I'd like to call the order. It's 3.30. Um, clerk, call the roll. Thank you, Mayor. All right, Council Member Kalmick. Here. Council Member Mosier. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Here. Mayor Strickland. Here. Council Member McKeon has not yet arrived. Council Member Bolton. Here. Council Member Burns. Here. All right. Um, uh, members, uh, changing the agendas from the last city council. Um, uh, so what I've decided uh, to do as mayor is to allow uh, council members to have three minutes uh, to speak on items that they might want to speak on in terms of their views from just as a councilman. And I wanted to open up, uh, make sure that you know that I'm not shutting down anybody's voice. But you know, when it's business hours, we're going to go through the business agenda fast. But here's your opportunity, not different than the House of Representatives where they have speakers time. And so if any member would like to have up to three minutes, uh, please uh, now, uh, if you're interested, to take up that three minutes uh, of time. Any, any member would like to take up that three minutes? Yes, Council, Councilwoman Mosier, go ahead. Thank you very much, Mayor. And thank you for the time for us to be able to share things with the community. I just wanted to touch on one thing this evening or this afternoon, which is the mobile home tenant-based um, rental assistance program, and just give a little bit more information to the community about that. The city launched the application yesterday, Monday, January 16th, and we'll be accepting applications online and in person for one month through, fe excuse me, February 27th. Then the city will conduct the lottery and start screening applicants for eligibility. The program has been posted on the city website and city social platforms. City staff has provided flyers, applications um, for the initial interest list directly to all of the mobile home parks in the city, notifying the tenants of the program will begin. Staff is also holding office hours. Thank you, staff. A few hours a week at the senior center to assist seniors in signing up for the initial interest list, which is the basis of the lottery. Staff is working with Senior Center staff to include sign-up information in the Senior Center's monthly newsletter. The most important thing for seniors to know is that they need to sign up for the interest list to be eligible for the lottery. Again, the interest list sign-up period is scheduled from January 16th through February 27th. And the interest list, if you're curious, is a simplified application with just enough information to assess likely eligibility and preferences. After the lottery is finalized, the city service provider will work with the seniors that are selected on a more detailed TBRA application to verify eligibility. And that's all I have to share today. Thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman. Uh, Clerk, I would like to uh, make it known that uh, Councilman McKenna is here. Okay. Um, any other members like to take up this time? Seeing Pat, is it? Okay. Seeing none. Uh, moving forward, uh, announcements of supplemental communication rec received after the agenda. Yeah, so this is just for the study session and closed session portion of the agenda. For study session item number seven, we received an email communication from Ocean View School District regarding the housing element and also a PowerPoint communication from Lun um, Ursula Luna Reynosa, our community development director entitled 2021-2029 housing element update. The rest will be announced at the uh, 6 p.m. portion. All right, thank you. Uh, public comments? 
I don't have any speaker sheets, but I believe Mr. Hansen wanted to make a public comment at this time. Is that correct? All right. No. So, uh, no, we have no one signed up to speak. Okay. Uh, pursuant to the Brown uh, Act opening meetings, City Council may now not enter into discussions at this time. Individuals who wish to speak to a member of the council on an item not on the agenda may consider setting up an individual appointment by contacting the council's administrative assistant at 714-536-5553. Those wishing to speak provide a comment may do so either in person by filling out a request to speak form or a via Zoom webinar by computer or phone. All speakers are encouraged but not required to identify themselves by name. Each speaker may have up to three minutes unless the volume of speakers warrants reducing the time allocant, which I will probably not do. Uh, reduced speaker time. So, um, closed session announcements. Um, pursuant to government code 54957-6, the city council takes this opportunity to publicly introduce identified designated labor negotiators. Al Zalinka, city manager. Uh, Peter Brown, chief negotiation. Also in attendance are Jose Rodriguez, human resources manager. Travis Hopkins, assistant city manager. Michael Gates, City Attorney, Mike Vigliota, Chief Assistant City Attorney, Eric Parr, Chief of Police, and Sonny Reef, Assistant Chief Financial Officer, who will be participating in today's closed session discussions regarding labor negotiations with Huntington Beach Police Officers Association. Uh, recess to closed session right now. Um, call for a motion to go to closed session. Motion. Motion's been moved by uh, Mr. Burns, seconded by Mr. McCann. We're in closed session.
At this time, I would like to reconvene the City Council Public Finance Authority meeting. Uh, clerk, call the roll. Of course. Councilmember Kalmick. Here. Councilmember Mosher. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Here. Mayor Strickland. Here. Councilmember McKeon. Here. Councilmember Bolton. Here. Councilmember Burns. Here. All present. Okay, so um, members, we're ready for a study session in the housing element uh, by Deputy Director Jennifer. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Yes, Okay. Please introduce your item. Thank you. Sorry, I want to make sure I present. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor. Mayor, how do you, how do you pronounce your last name again? I just want to make sure it's right in the future. Via Senor. Okay. <laughs> um, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, and the City Council. Um, Tonight, we are giving an overview of the, sta uh, the status, really, of the housing element. This is the first time we're before, the, the last time this issue came up, we had a different council, so this is our opportunity to provide a status update to the new council. We also um, have heard some concerns about buffer and no net loss, so we'll spend a little bit of time explaining um, what that is, and then we'll present an option uh, to the council for consideration um, or actually feedback on uh, how to address the buffer slash no net loss concerns. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Nicole Obey to give the presentation. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and council members. Um, tonight we are here to discuss the six cycle housing element update. There's two main components of the housing element update overall. First is the housing element document itself. This is a planning and policy document and is a mandated element or chapter of the city's general plan. The implementation actions of the housing element are what is necessary to accommodate the city's plan for housing through zoning. Both of these items must be completed in order to obtain HCD's certification. Basically, they will not approve the housing element unless we complete the implementation actions simultaneously upon adoption of the document. So an update on the overall status here. The Planning Commission recommended approval of the housing element update document, um, the overlays, and the EIR on November 16, 2022. At the November 29th council meeting, the item was continued to a special meeting on December 8th with the public hearing open. Uh, at the December 6th council meeting, the special meeting on December 8th was canceled. So here is some background info on the RENA, which is an acronym that stands for Regional Housing Needs Allocation. The RENA initiates the housing element update process and it gives every jurisdiction a quantified housing need by income category. The state provides a regional determination for the number of units each metropolitan planning organization needs to plan for. Our local MPO is called SCAG, which is SoCal Association of Governments. The state gave SCAG a regional determination of 1.3 million housing units to plan for. SCAG then developed a RENA methodology and used that methodology to divvy up that 1.3 million units to each of their 197 member jurisdictions, including Huntington Beach. And this is how we received our 13,368 unit RENA number. And the city went through a lengthy appeals process with SCAG and ultimately they denied that appeal and the 13,368 units were finalized. 
So here we have the city's RENA by income category. You can see that the lower income units, which are the very low and low income categories combined, account for just over 40% of all the units. Uh, moderate income units are just under 20% of the RENA, and above moderate, aka market rate housing, is just under 40% of the RENA. Here is the draft RENA accommodation strategy from the document that was last presented to the Planning Commission in November. As you can see, there's adequate zoning capacity to accommodate the RENA for each of the income categories, including those very low and low categories, which are really what drives that overall capacity. The total number of units is greater than the 13,368 RENA in order to accommodate a buffer percentage of units in each of these income categories so that the city can avoid being in what's called a no net loss of housing capacity situation. And we'll talk a little bit more about no net loss next. Um, having that buffer of units is in the HCD guidance for housing elements to gain approval. They actually recommend a buffer of 15 to 30% in each of these income categories. This approach was recommended by our consultant, and it's the same approach and recommendation they gave to all their clients because of the HCD guidance for this. And from what we've been able to find and review from other cities, it also looks like all, basically all cities are using this approach to include a buffer. So yes, the total number of units is greater than the RENA, but including the buffer is the most certain path towards gaining HDD approval, and gaining HDD certification was the direction uh, we're working under. And as we've gone through this process, we've heard a lot of questions and confusion why the document says there's more units than only the RENA of 13,368. Which brings up the question here. Can the city adopt a housing element that only includes the RENA units? And the reality is that a housing element law called no net loss of housing capacity requirements necessitates identifying buffer, site, buffer sites to pick up any units that are missing in a no net loss situation. So let's talk about uh, an example of when a no net loss situation would occur. Basically, two things must happen for a no net loss situation to happen. A housing project must be proposed, and the property for that project must be in the housing element RENA sites inventory. Say that happened, a property in the document proposes a project with a different unit mix of affordable and market rate units than what we anticipated in the document. So in this example, if the document assumed the site would have 39 above mod, 17 moderate, and 44 low income units, but it actually built 80 above mod, no moderates, and only 20 lower income units, then there would be referred to, uh, there would be what's referred to as a shortfall or a net loss of 17 moderate units and 24 lower income units. And the current buffer in the housing element exists to accommodate these potential fluctuations in development due to market conditions, other factors, so that the city can accommodate the RENA at all income levels throughout the duration of the planning period through 2029. So that said, there could be another strategy to accommodate only the RENA without the buffer all at once. The entire housing inventory in the document could be both the RENA sites and separate buffer sites. So for, you know, visually, you could picture the sites in two separate buckets. The implementation program could be revised to only accommodate the 13,368 RENA units. And a new program could be added to create a separate bucket 
of identified buffer sites that would be moved to the RENA bucket if a no net loss situation occurred. Sites would be reviewed from the buffer bucket to determine which of those sites most closely picks up that loss zoning capacity for the, each of those income categories and would be moved over to the RENA bucket. So again, you can see here as an example of that, this sample project has a shortfall of moderate and lower income units. So at that point, we would go over to our buffer sites bucket, review them to determine which of those can most closely accommodate that specific quantity of units, and then they would be brought over to the arena bucket to pick up that shortfall in zoning capacity. Nicole, yeah. if I can interrupt, please, uh, Mr. Mayor. Just, I wanted to make a point that this is an actual site in the housing element, and this would be an exercise that would have to happen. So if the site's in the housing element and it proposed development were to occur, we would do this analysis to see if there's a shortfall in any of the income categories. And if there is, there would be this requirement to go look at the buffer list. And the site identified here, site 62, is an actual site where it is able to accommodate. It's really, you can see the number driving this is the 26 negative number under mod. So we had to find a site that could accommodate the 26. We would look at the identifying sites that have the least impact. Um, so there, conceivably there could have been two sites that ultimately resulted in, in the smallest number possible. Thank you. So there are two primary options here to accommodate the arena. The council could pursue the current draft housing element document that includes zoning capacity for the arena inventory with the buffer in place already. This version is closest to the version of the document that HCD gave the city a substantial compliance letter for on September 30th of 2022. So that would be the most, you know, a more certain path towards compliance. The second options have less certainty than that for compliance, but we think that it's viable and a, le uh, a legal option for compliance. Option B would be to bifurcate or separate the arena sites and the buffer sites into separate buckets, and the arena sites would be accommodated through the affordable housing overlay now. Uh, option B1 identifies the buffer sites in the document, and uh, they would be accommodated through zoning with criteria for selecting which sites are moved to the arena bucket as necessary to accommodate the arena shortfall when a no net loss situation occurs. Option B2 identifies the buffer sites in the document, but does not accommodate the buffer through zoning now. This means that future council approval of zoning text amendments and map amendments would be needed when a no net loss situation happens to move those buffer sites into the arena bucket to accommodate a shortfall. So again, here's a, here's a visual on those options, B1 and B2. B1 would include triggers codified by the council to move sites from the buffer bucket to the arena bucket when a no net loss situation happens. And B2 would require the city council to approve um, zoning map amendment each time a site needs to move from the buffer bucket to the arena bucket to pick up that shortfall of units for those income categories. And this concludes our presentation. We're available to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Members of questions? Councilman Burns? Yeah, why can't, just a question, why can't we just require that they meet the arena requirement of the percentages they, so we wouldn't need a bucket list? 
what prevents us from saying you need you need five percent low income, super low, or whatever they are, and on and on. We we've actually tried to do that before, but once you start getting above a twenty percent low income requirement, uh, HCD will see that as an impediment because it's it's really not financially um, viable for most projects in the market to provide much it, more than 20%. It's an impediment to their requirements. It's oh, a, that's it, a heck of a situation. Yeah, they consider it a uh, constraint to development. Oh, that's kind of, that's really interesting. And that, so that, boy, that's interesting. they actually require that if you, if you submit an inclusionary ordinance that requires more than 20%, you have to send it to them for review. Well, that's awesome. Okay, and then the other thing is, I was here a couple months ago when we presented. It was a presentation of the six different options, and there was a lot of, and it was presented like those were the only options. Why weren't some of these options presented then so the public would know about that? The options that we presented back uh, in November, November were related to the sites. Today we're talking more about approach. Um, the concerns that we heard at that time in November were really related to um, the, the actual specific sites uh, that we were being proposed at the time. Today's concern we... The quantity we, of sites, right? Um, the quantity and... Uh, the location, placement, yeah. right. And so today we're really focusing on the approach and not on the sites. So it was kind of a two, di two different issues. Yeah, it's just kind of tough because I can't believe there would be such hypocrisy in the state that they mandate something and we can't, it can't be fulfilled. That's, uh, I think that's incredible. Thank you guys for, uh, oh, yeah. Thank you guys for putting this together, staff. Um, I really like the, uh, the B2 option. Um, I think as we've said before, we got sworn in. Uh, to me, this is you know, one of the biggest fights we have is pushing back against these 13,368 units. I mean, we have the highest RENA numbers of any coastal city. So at a minimum, <clears throat> if we have to certify a map, it should be the minimum amount of units, the 13,368. And then we have sites identified, and should projects come in with a no net loss situation, we have sites identified that we can then rezone on the fly and go through the process with maximum oversight. Instead of rezoning those buffer sites now, uh, which create a lot of angst in the community. So uh, I feel our approach would be to, to work on the minimum 13,368, and should a project come through with a no net loss situation, we have sites that we can choose from that we will then rezone at the appropriate time. No, we're just discussing. Oh, discussing, okay. Councilwoman Bolton. Thank you, Mayor. Ms. Villasenor, just have one quick question about the I guess, bucket methodology of dealing with the buffer questions. Are you aware of any other um, municipalities having that type of framework approved by HCD? No, not this specific way. There are some ways that I've seen um, where a buffer was identified in the housing element and not rezoned yet, um, but, but not that's directly specific to this um, approach. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't get certified. Um, and we, we think that it can. So if we come to a situation where we end up in a B2 situation, um, 
when would we actually fall out of compliance? And um, how might the state engage with us then? I, I understand that we would be triggered to come back with a potential site and would have to go through the process to get the zoning text amendment. Um, while that's happening, and um, would we, how far in advance would we know and would we then be out of compliance during that time? Well, essentially, when you become in a known at loss situation, you do become out of compliance. Um, so we would probably uh, bring, let's say, forward a zoning map amendment to add a known at loss site at the time we get a project that creates a known at loss situation so that we would be bringing it concurrently. But technically, the law allows for 180 days. However, you would probably be out of compliance for until you bring that forward. Um, but there is a grace period in the law. Thank you. Councilman Kalmet. Thank you. Um, it's a couple of questions that kind of go down this line. Um, so you said uh, we come out of compliance if somebody submits a project. At what point do we come out of compliance? Is it when plans are submitted? Because a lot of these are by right. There's no, uh, unless they have a CEQA piece. But like, is it, when do they vest, I guess, and then we've, we need to go to the bucket? It would be when we approve the project. Okay, so if it's done at the counter, it would be whenever the, when the planning department stamps it and says it's approved, or if the planning commission or whomever. Right, at, at any time we take action to approve the project, that's when we would be in a no, no net loss situation. So if it came through a discretionary process, there would potentially be enough time to do it sequentially at the meeting, if there was a public meeting? Right. I mean, even outside of a discretionary process, we would try to do it within the, the ministerial process, let's say, if that's what the project was um, uh, subject to. We would try to do uh, the zoning map amendment within that process. That's, um, our goal would be to identify a site as soon as possible in reviewing the project that's proposed and do the analysis and bring it forward. Um, what, what's the cost? I mean, there's a non-zero non cost to doing it with you know, on a piecemeal basis instead of doing it all at once. Um, what would be, I mean, I guess if, we, when, if you bring this back, a, kind of a cost for what the zoning map amendments each time we have to do that, there's a, there's a cost of staff time, uh, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, so... Um, I don't know, I'd have to look at what the fees are, but it's probably in the tens of thousands. Per, per item. So each time an applicant comes in, uh, and would, the, we would, would we charge that applicant that fee to bring the next body in, or that would be a policy change potentially? No, I, I don't think we would, but only because we will have the sites identified with the housing element. So part of the work will have been done. It's then us looking for a site that sort of closely aligns with the proposed project, or the shortfall created by the proposed project, but we'll have the inventory of sites um, already in the housing element. So there is, a, um, okay. I guess, a little less work to be done. Um, and then who determines what's, what are gonna be, if say it's a B2 or B1 situation where we have all the sites kind of hanging out, um, who determines um, what goes in the initial arena count and what's gonna go in the bucket? Like what specific sites? I mean, is our staff's going to make their best thing, and then we have a meeting and determine what those well, sites are. Well, so what what we'll do is we'll take the feedback from this um, from this study session, and we'll go and re make some revisions to the housing element into the affordable housing overlay, and bring that forward for a public hearing. Um, and part of that will show the housing element, which will largely stay the same. Um, we'll have to make some wording changes, and then we'll propose that 
for um, the city council. And it'll be really a numbers game. So we'll drive our work based on getting to the 13368. Okay. And the, the cities you said that have kind of done something similar to this, um, I guess the, the bucket method, um, how, what are they specifically doing? They've got, they do their sites and then... So I, I've seen where cities have not had a shortfall and, the, and so have rezoned for their entire arena, but then said, if we um, come into a no net loss situation, and it's different because this is the first cycle with the changes to no net loss law. So no net loss law has been around for a long time, but it was for the total number of units. In 2017, no net loss was changed for each income category, which really um, was a significant change to state law. And RENA, I think people didn't really know how drastically it was going to change RENA. I mean, your RENA becomes essentially like a starting point. Sure. Um, so anyway, in prior cycles, you're just having to get to an overall number, and you're not having to really look at the, um, your affordability assumptions sure. as, as much. So, but I have seen where they put a list in the housing element and said, if we ever get into a no net loss, we'll rezone these sites so at the whatever point. So the difference between B1 and B2 is B1 is, is ministerial, B2 would be discretionary. Each one would come back individually. So with B2, we would be bringing a zoning map amendment with each uh, buffer, buffer site or no net loss site. With uh, B1... It's like a sunrise? Uh, no, what B1 does is we would bring forward uh, in the affordable housing overlay criteria for selecting sites. So the council would approve the initial way to select the sites, but then each time it happens, the selection of the site would be done at the staff level. So that's the big difference. We've had no conversations with HCD if they'll buy that or not? Um, no, not on this specific topic. We have talked about the concerns of the community with the buffer and that we would probably be making some changes um, and but that they'll be compliant with law. So, um, we got a letter from HCD between the last meeting and this meeting that basically threatened if we don't get through this that they're going to hand everything over to DOJ. In that conversation um, they talked about our builder's remedy potential ordinance that's coming forward um, that that would be a big problem for um, uh, being in compliance with state housing law. Um, the city attorney said that our code already implicitly states that builder's remedy is illegal. Are we going to have to make changes to our zoning code to make it, to make it clear that builder's remedy is not illegal if HCDs in their letter is saying that if you do that, you're in, not in compliance with state housing law? So I guess the summary of the question is, are we not in compliance with state housing law and our zoning code? With respect to... Builder's remedy. Like it's, I don't know. I'd have to okay. look at it. All right. When, you, when this comes back, if that could be an explanation of like how our code is um, implicitly makes builders' remedy illegal, because if it is, then HCD says that we're out of compliance with state housing law already. So it kind of moots the whole. Well, I, I would say with respect to the housing element, we are out of compliance. I'm currently. saying, but our I'm saying our zoning, like our zoning ordinance. If, oh, if, okay. if, our, if implicitly our zoning, H, the HBZSO is out of compliance, that. Uh, or implicitly states that builder's remedy is illegal. Uh, we want to make sure that that's remedied. We don't want to go through this whole process and then have them say that, oh, your code doesn't allow for, for the builder's remedy clause. So that's all I have. Thank you so much. Councilman Burns. In these, these developers, 
to, to meet these numbers for the very low, the low income, low, very low and upwards, are they able to build like a 400 square foot for very low or do they, and 600 for um, low, moderately low, 800, et cetera? Can they be different or do they have to all be like apartments or units or whatever they build? Our, our code for um, affordable housing says that the, whatever your mix of affordable units is should be proportional to the rest of your market rate project. So there could be some, let's say, studios and one bedrooms. A lot of time, extremely low and very low can only be accommodated through a subsidized project that includes like permanent supportive housing, which are, tend to be you know, smaller units. Um, but Okay, R code versus meeting RENA. I mean, what do you mean by R code? Is that something we d Our zoning change? code on affordable housing. But can we change that as a body? Uh, yes, that's our inclusionary housing ordinance. Okay, we can change that to meet RENA's numbers if we want to meet the numbers so we don't get into a, um, a no net loss. We would have to make sure we're in compliance with fair housing law. So that's largely what drives that. So most of these codes that these inclusionary zoning codes have that same thing where they want the mix of affordable housing to be proportionate to the mix of market rate housing. Um, so we'd have to look at fair housing law as well. But in terms of RENA, they count the unit. They don't look at square footage. So a unit is a unit is a unit in terms of meeting these RENA numbers. Councilman McKeon. Uh, Mr. Villasenor, just a uh, quick point on B2. <clears throat> um, I don't feel there should be any fees associated with zoning tax amendments. I mean, that's just staff doing their normal daily operations, right? Yeah, so we weren't under the assumption that the, that the project proponent would okay. uh, have to pay for a zoning map amendment. Okay. Okay. And also city fees. I mean, we're just, staff is just doing the zoning tax amendment. Cor correct. Right. Okay. All right. Anything else, members? Seeing that, thank you so much for the presentation. Staff, thank you. So very quickly, just to wrap it up, Mayor, sure. uh, what we're hearing is B2 is, is the preference of most of the council. I prefer B2, yes. Okay, um, how about we go to each council member and ask what their preference is? Is that appropriate? Michael Gates? City Attorney, I just want to make sure we're No compliant. official votes during study session, but no, if each no of you could give some feedback to staff, that would be on what they're pro Okay. Uh, Councilman Kalmet. So, um, Realize I, it's 559. We're about to start. We are, so, so, so um, yeah, I'm, I think for, for me it's A, what we can actually get certified from the housing uh, from HTD. Um, just given uh, understanding where the rest of this council is, I believe um, I want to make sure we end up with the certified housing element. Um, at this point, I think I would um, move towards B2. I'm in support of B2 as well. I'm B2. B2. I think we should go with the one that they conditionally approved, so that's A. B2 also. Again, staff, thanks for all your hard work. I know you put you. a lot of work into this. Thank you. Members, uh, now we're going to our 6 p.m. Uh, meeting uh, to reconvene at this time. I would like to reconvene the City Council Public Finance Authority meeting and call to order a special meeting of the successor agency. Uh, clerk, please call the roll. Certainly, Councilmember Kalmick. Here. Councilmember Mosier. Here. 
Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark? Here. Mayor Strickland? Here. Councilmember McKeon? Here. Councilmember Bolton? Here. Councilmember Burns? Here. All present. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to go to the Pledge of Allegiance led today by Councilman Dan Kalmick. Please stand if you're able. Oh, go ahead. Ready, begin. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to our invocation. Reverend Nathan uh, Byronstad of St. Wilford's Episcopal Church and member of the Greater Huntington Beach Interfaith Council. Let us, let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for all the good work that you are doing in our city, in this place. Give the leaders in this building wisdom, compassion, and courage to make the decisions that are needed for our community to help those who live here thrive. Help those whom you have given the power to change the lives of others. Give them wisdom to use that power well, to strengthen and build neighborhoods rooted in kindness and generosity. In the name of God, amen. amen. Closed session report uh, by city attorney. City attorney Michael Gates, do you have anything to report? Thank you, Mayor. Nothing tonight. Okay. Announcement of supplemental communications. City Clerk, do we have any supplemental communications? Yes, we do. For consent calendar item number 13, a memo from myself uh, regarding a correction to the December 6, 2022 minutes. For item 15, also a memo from myself regarding a correction to Exhibit B of our Conflict of Interest Resolution 2023-01. For consent item 17, an email communication received regarding volunteer release and waiver of liability agreement. For administrative items number 18, a memorandum to City Council submitted by Catherine Jun, our assistant to the City Manager, regarding a correction to the request for Council action on homelessness. Also, three email communications received regarding request for Council action on homelessness. For administrative item 19, a PowerPoint presentation entitled Consideration of OCPA Default Rate Selection and City Municipal Account Rate Selection was submitted by Travis Hopkins, our Assistant City Manager. We also received an email communication on that item from Linda Kramer, Chapter Chair, the Climate Reality Project, Orange County, regarding the OCPA Default Energy Product Rate. Seven email communications were also received for that item. For item number 21, a letter from American Civil Liberties Union Foundation, ACLU, the First Amendment Coalition, FAC, regarding ordinance number 4277, relating to anonymous complaints. And for that item also two um, additional email communications. For council member items number 22, an email communication received regarding the proposed public memorial honoring Don McAllister. For council member item 23, 29 email communications received regarding the closure of outdoor dining on Main Street. For council member item 24, we received a letter from Carlos Rubio, president of California Teamsters Local 911, regarding the proposed implementation of a managing, managed hiring process for vacant city staff positions, and also an email communication was received on that item. 
And finally, for council member item number 28, an email communication received regarding appointments to boards and commissions. Thank you. Uh, now we're gonna go into public comments. Uh, pursuant to the Brown Open Meeting Act, the city council may, may not enter into discussion at this time. Individuals who wish to speak to a member of the council on any item on the agenda may consider setting up an individual appointment by contacting the council's administrative assistant at 714-536-5553. Those wishing to provide a comment, agendize or non-agendize items may do so either in person by filling out the request to speak form or via Zoom webinar by computer or phone. Zoom webinar uh, participants wishing to speak will be provided 15 minute window to select and raise a hand feature on the webinar controls section. All speakers are encouraged but not required to identify themselves by name. Each speaker may have up to three minutes unless the volume of speakers warrants reduction at that time allowance. Please note that this will be the last meeting in which we'll be receiving comments via Zoom webinar. Um, City Clerk, uh, do we have anyone signed up to speak? Yes, we do. We have 34 individuals signed up to speak and um, an additional two on our Zoom meeting. So would you like me to call the first 10? Please. Thank you. All right. I'm going to call. You, you can just come down to the and please approach both podiums. Connie Boardman, Shirley Detloff, Jocelyn Rabbit Shire or Sire, Laura Sire, Pat Goodman, Ryan Ransom, Todd Brown, Kathy Ryder, John Raymer, and Stephanie Wilson. Good evening, council members. My name is uh, Connie Boardman. At the last meeting, staff requested an allocation of $138,000 to return to pre-COVID organizational structure. The motion passed 7-0 with Mr. McKeon's request that staff find corresponding cuts or cost savings to offset the $138,000. And that's fine. However, earlier in the same meeting, the majority of you voted to raise the salary of the city attorney 20% to $140 an hour, retroactive to July of last year. Your raise gives him a regular annual pay of about $291,000, an annual increase of over $46,000 from 2021. Our city attorney now makes more than the city attorney of Los Angeles, a city of over 4 million people. Assuming benefits are about 14% of salary, the cost of his benefits will increase, as I estimate, about $5,000 over 2021 for a, a total unanticipated, unbudgeted impact to the budget of $51,000. But none of the four of you who voted for that increase requested that Mr. Gates find corresponding cuts in his office to mitigate this unanticipated impact to our budget. You also didn't address the salary of the city clerk, the other elected full-time official. Mr. Gates is a political ally of yours. There were campaign signs with pictures of him with three of the four newly elected members, and some of you donated to his campaign. There's nothing wrong with having political allies and friends. There's nothing wrong with donating to people's campaigns. But once you're elected and you use your power to favor your friends, that is wrong. That's cronyism, and that's a horrible governance model. Item 12 requests that taxpayer money be used to pay for an unknown amount of money or an unknown environmental assessment for the air show, even though the air show is suing the city and still owes the city money. Tonight's item has no written attached staff report for the council members or the public to review prior to the meeting that analyzes what kind of assessment is needed or how much it will cost. 
No reason as to why the city attorney's office is handling this instead of planning, since planning handles environmental assessments. There's no analysis of the argument that the air show brings in a lot of parking revenue, so it's a public benefit. You know, the same argument can be made of other developments in the city that when built, increased property tax, sales tax, utility tax for decades. But the city has never used taxpayer money to pay for their environmental assessments or their EIRs. I'm assuming Mr. Gates will be providing an oral report, but real transparency requires that the public and council members be able to review the analysis of issues like this prior to the council meeting. There's no transparency, even though four of you ran on that. But then the owner of the company that puts on the air show was up on the dais when Mr. McKeon the night he was sworn in. So it appears there's one set of rules for your friends and one set of rules for everybody else. This kind of governance is going to harm the city's reputation, will lose highly qualified staff. Businesses looking to relocate will look elsewhere when they learn there's one set of rules for your friends and one set of rules for everyone else. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and members of the City Council. My name is Shirley Detloff, and I've been a resident of this city since 1964. I urge you to get your act together to get a housing element prepared and set up to state. Your staff has done an extraordinary job in preparing the housing element under difficult and never before events. The pandemic, City Hall being closed, staff having to work from home, but they accomplished a housing element which I believe that the state will approve. They held public meetings, provided the statistics and background for everything in the document, made changes after public review and suggestions from the council, both the previous council and our current one had input and were listened to with the appropriate changes being made. Why is supporting the housing element so important? It is important because that is what the state requires to have certified a, a certified general plan. I know that many of you, and myself included, felt that the arena numbers were too much were, were too high, but after several reviews with state with the state, they prevailed. How many lawsuits do we need? If we don't have an approved housing element, the state has several actions it could take, and we know that they do. There could be fines. The state could withhold state monies. And the most detrimental to the city, they could take over our local planning process. The dollars involved would be money we need to do the many projects the city is involved with. We do not lose control. Remember that the housing element is more than just an affordable housing, but involves all levels of housing, from low affordable to low above moderate. There's been some indicators that the council may want to remove the section that refers to builder's remedy. This would mean that the city does not have the certified housing element, then they would not be, uh, they would be not able to deny a, a project. Some fear affordable, but probably have never seen an affordable pro uh, project. Look behind City Hall on Lake Street. You would not be able to determine which was affordable as it fits into the neighborhood. Cape Ann at Maine and Garfield has affordable units. In fact, some of our council members have lived there. I urge you to support the housing element amendment, send it to the state, and stop the fight between the state and the city. No one benefits from it. Bring back integrity and responsibility. Thank you. Yeah, before we move forward, a gentleman uh, fell down, um, so we're going to hold off for a little, a little bit. Um, 
five five minutes because I believe an ambulance is on the way. My name is Ryan Ransom. I am a professional restaurant consultant and operator with over 20 years of experience in hospitality, operations, and management. <clears throat> I have worked extensively across Orange County and Los Angeles with many well-known and prestigious brands, getting to work under many different governing bodies and their individual rules and policies. I was brought on to rehab Aloha Grill about six months ago on Main Street. Immediately upon um, starting, I identified many issues of the current parklet and curbside patios that I identified as both destructive and harmful to our individual business. One, it appears highly inconsistent from if you even received one to how much square footage you did receive to how it is built out. Some of them have massive patios, some of them have very small patios, and some of them, like Aloha Grill, didn't get a patio at all. There doesn't appear to be any consistency between the builds. Some have umbrellas that overhang into the walkways. Some have extensive build-out dining rooms with all the furnishings, while others just occasionally throw out a folding table. Not to mention that many of the build-outs look unpermitted and out of code. This should be consistent and contiguous, giving Main Street a uniform look and feel. Besides the inconsistent look, the question is, how is this fair to the businesses who have paid a premium for their space? How is it fair that some smaller restaurants with less rent costs were able to double or even triple the size of their dining room, and thus doubling and tripling their sales and profits, while others didn't get any increase or a very small increase? Next, this has a very obvious impact, negative impact on the parking, which makes it much less attractive to visit Huntington Beach Main Street, which heavily relies on tourism and needs a lot of accessible parking. Finally, we already see with the good reason the parklet and curbside patio programs are getting dismantled, county, state, and countrywide. Most of the cities have already removed them as the need for them has passed. And while I enjoy the idea of a promenade on Main Street, I think that there is a path to accomplishing that. That would need to be done in a consistent and contiguous fashion that's fair to all the businesses that occupy Main Street. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Strickland. I'm John Briscoe at Huntington Beach. Um, yeah, and uh, Mayor Strickland and the Huntington Beach community. Hello, camera. I'm John Briscoe, the elected and re-elected 16-year trustee of the Ocean View School District and injured on the stairway. I'm here tonight to bring to your attention the lack of understanding of public comment statutes and case law. After hearing about your assault, Mayor Strickland, on free speech from the last meeting and your stifling rulings from the dais against Speaker Bethany Webb, I'm compelled to educate you. Um, on what it truly means to respect the law of the land. You shut down Ms. Webb when, you when she criticized Gracie Vandermark. You threatened to have her removed by HBDPD just because you didn't like the content of her speech. That's what fascists do, Mr. Strickland. 
It seems you ruled that the critical speech is defamation not allowed during public comments, and it appears you also ruled that public commentators must not address anyone but you. Later, another speaker attacked Councilwoman Bolton without looking at you, without censorship. Do you have a head-turning measuring device that can discern if the speaker is looking at you or looking at one of our other elected representatives? We have the right to petition our elected representatives. That's you and everybody at that dais and our city attorney. The newly enriched pay raise city attorney we have, Mike E. Gates, gets to directly be petitioned as well. Mikey, stop public speaking shutdowns. The ADL conducted a background check of Councilwoman Vandermark, which I read to council several years ago. Gracie has a well-publicized uh, Jewish disparagement uh, persona. I will be presenting many examples over the next council meetings. Gracie's most famous recent Nazi romp, Nazi romp was on Facebook. Here, I'm going to hold this up so the camera can see. There it is. Read her own words. Do not look away. Uh, Mayor Strickland, you need to keep the audience at bay or I will have you extend my speaking time. Is that clear? That's your job and duty. Hey, you know what? You're here as a guest of uh, the city. No, I'm here no, as no, the right no, to no, speak no. in public you, you, comments. You I'm not here of any guests. You can't dictate to Read the council. Read her own words. The notorious Proud Boy leader, Johnny Benita, said to her, careful, calling them out, they'll brand you a Nazi. She replied, I'm okay with that. Here it is, right off of Facebook. Gracie Vandermark is okay with being known as a Nazi, apparently. Did you hear that HB, your own mayor pro tem, is proud, your mayor pro tem is proud to be called a Nazi? There's her Facebook post. Read it and weep. So I'm not a Nazi, and I'm not proud to be called a Nazi. So that concludes my comments. Our new councilwoman, Gracie Vandermark, and uh, proud. I'm okay with that. Order, 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 order. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Todd Brown. I'm the owner of Aloha Grill. Uh, to stand behind my colleague, Ryan Ransom, as far as the promenade goes, uh, my feelings are to keep the promenade open the way it used to be historically before COVID. I can sit here and pretty much repeat everything that Ryan had said, which I agree with. My main concern is you know, business owners such as myself that own a business on a second floor that we don't have that space given to us if you were to go through and provide that space would you take and consider the square footage that we pay for and give us our equal amount down on the street so we have an even chance to compete with the people on the on the first on the first level and uh, this was my first time speaking here and it's quite a show but thank you <laughs> Good evening. Uh, my name is John Raymer, and I'm a resident of Huntington Beach and the general manager of Fred's Mexican Cafe. The second block closure of Main Street has caused numerous issues for our guests and our staff. Uh, the, the closure has created the following issues. Safety and security issues, homelessness problems, parking problems, creating an environment downtown that is not family friendly, has ruined Surf City nights that brought in locals and families, created traffic issues during the busy season. There are health and cleanliness concerns, uh, taking away a famous street for cruising and classic surf cars, deterring the surf culture we were, we were built on. I love beach cities. Um, I've been coming to Huntington Beach most of my life. 
Um, when I have guests come up to me, mothers, and, and are telling me they're afraid to go up in the second block because they don't feel safe, um, what I see every night when I leave Fred's, the, the groups of kids, the groups of homeless people, uh, basically what it is, is, is the second block is an open air bar. And all the issues that the ambassadors have to deal with every weekend, I see that on the WhatsApp app, and it's disturbing what's going on down there. Thank you. Good evening, Mary, Mayor Strickland and council members and staff. My name is Jocelyn Rabbit-Sire, and I've been a Huntington Beach resident since 1999. I would like to voice my strong support for the approval and certification of the 2021 through 2029 housing element update. Agenda item number seven. As you are aware, this plan has already had provisional acceptance by HCD if this council will approve it. The state has thereby de deemed it an appropriate plan to fit the re realistic housing needs of Huntington Beach. However, if there are parts of the plan that you all decide you are actually unrealistic and harmful to the community as a whole, please remember that certifying the plan now does not prevent Huntington Beach from contesting those parts later. Certification will put our city in a good position to help solve our local housing crisis. Also, being out of compliance robs us of opportunities to better our entire community. Falling out of compliance makes us ineligible for many state funds like grants from the Affordable Housing and Sustainable Communities Program and other entities ready to help fund infrastructure projects that benefit, that benefit us all. Irvine, for example, was able to offer funding to applicants through the Vulnerable Populations Grant, the Small Businesses Assistance Grant, and the Emerging Nonprofits Grant. None of these would have been available if they had not agreed to certify their housing element. When the state of California took the unprecedented move of suing the city of Huntington Beach in 2020 for neglecting its duty to satisfy its, house, its affordable housing requirements, our city decided to comply because doing so would have disqualified our city from state grants for homeless response programs. Also, I don't need to remind you that failing to certify carries heavy and progressive fines. The idea of going beyond non-compliance to the point of suing the state of California seems to be an exercise in futility and a waste of our city funds, since we have never won. For reasons like these, I encourage you to approve this housing element. I would also like to briefly ask that you delay any decision to make changes to your OCPA accounts, and please vote no on agenda item number 19 concerning the move to move to the 35% basic rate in OCPA for all new customers and municipal accounts. As a city highly motivated to protect our beach environment for the present and future generations, it is critical that we lower our citywide emissions. The 100% renewable rate is the best way to do that. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak. Thank you, Ms. Sire. She's my sister-in-law, so. 
Anyway, um, I'm Laura Sire and a longtime member of, uh, well, a longtime resident of Huntington Beach, like 60 years. I'm also a member of HUHB, um, which is uh, Homeless United Huntington Beach. And I'm just here to echo what um, Jocelyn said and um, Shirley Detloff, our former mayor, that uh, it's just imperative, I think, that we approve the, um, the housing element. And uh, if, if litigation must be, then um, I think it's a needs to be very carefully considered, and um, I think I ask that you council members consider all of the members, I mean all of the citizens or residents of Huntington Beach, even the ones who uh, didn't vote for you, because you do, you do represent all of us, and please consider what's best for our city. Thank you. Good evening, Council. My name is Stephanie Wilson. I'm a longtime resident of Huntington Beach. I am also a partner in two of the biggest downtown businesses, Fred's Mexican Cafe and Sandy's Beach Shack. I am here to support, as a resident with children and a business owner, agenda number 23, reopening of Main Street. The following reasons are why we agree the street should be reopened. With the pandemic over, the temporary closure is no longer for emergency purposes. We originally supported the closure due to the hardships of the pandemic. At this point, it is unfair to allow this cost-free business expansion to only the second block of Main Street. Let's remember, not every business was granted permission for extra outdoor dining space. Not one of the businesses in the second block has paid any kind of rent for the extra square footage. These businesses are using more of the city's resources and not paying their share. Parking has been a long-standing problem downtown. Losing all of the parking in the second block and in a few other places in the first and third blocks is not good for any of our businesses. The city is also losing revenue from all of the metered parking. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure each business is zoned for a certain amount of parking spaces, which are now gone. The closure has created an environment of bar-oriented problems and a necessary police presence in the second block. In return, this has scared away families, locals, tourists from the downtown area. Aesthetically, the second block is unsightly and unwelcoming. We as a city are courting large-scale events where the current look and the feel of downtown could be a deterrent. In turn, all of HB businesses would lose. We believe the street, the street needs to reopen and return to the pre-COVID era. We are open to the redesigning of Main Street as long as the street is open to two-way traffic. And all businesses, I say all businesses, are invited to have a voice. We are Surf City USA. We need to prefer, preserve our downtown vibe. When you think of Huntington Beach, who doesn't think of the Woodies and the classic cars cruising Main Street, parades, and a relaxed surf culture? Let's get back to it. 
Thank you, Mayor Pro Tem, for putting this on the agenda. Good evening, uh, Mayor Strickland and Council Members. My name's Pat Goodman, and I'm here tonight to listen to, I listened to the presentation on the housing element update, always learning something new, and the homeless services agenda item number 18 to learn more about the work being done to address homelessness and housing insecurity in our city. I believe it's critical to have an approved housing element, as others have said, in place for the steady functioning of a city. Please pass it as soon as possible, in good faith for the people of Huntington Beach. The work of addressing homelessness and housing insecurity is not complete by any means, and I believe the concentrated effort of the various city councils for the past 10 years has brought us to a place where public health and safety have improved and really um, prepared us to respond humanely and with resources to needs in the period of pandemic. We should take pride in these services to our citizens. My understanding of a city's housing element is that, that is simply a planning document to meet the housing requirements for its residents over the next nine years. And it's not a mandate for a city to build these number of units. It's a plan. Due to past housing elements, we have a track record of some good-looking affordable housing. And even in my own neighborhood, we have Cape Ann and then the uh, senior housing on Lake Street that's within walking distance of my house. They're all affordable housing developments. I look forward to tonight's agenda item 18, presentation on the data of the city's homeless task force that has been accumulated these past two years and the lives that have been impacted by these services. It's impossible to tell how many lives have been saved and diseases pre prevented from spreading to the general population by having these services in place, especially during the time of pandemic. We know that these services are not cheap, but neither is doing nothing. The good news is that they are funded by many sources, including restricted uh, funds, state and federal funds, and our general fund. If we do not have an approved housing element, many of these funding sources go away. Please pass the housing element as soon as possible. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor, City Council members, city employees, and my fellow HV residents. I have lived and voted in Huntington Beach since 1985, and over the years I have spoken to the City Council numerous times on a wide variety of issues. Tonight, I urge the Council to vote no on agenda item number 27. Just last year, our California legislators voted to ban any new oil drilling within uh, 3,200 feet of homes, schools, and community sites. And it has been very well documented that Californians who live near oil wells are exposed to air pollutants that can cause asthma, a wide range of cancers, pregnancy complications, and premature birth. So why would our city council knowingly expose our citizens to these risks? Also research shows that most of the wells that are on city property are no longer profitable and or very costly to maintain. And up and down the state, cities are not only banning new drilling, but they're phasing out their existing wells. This agenda item seems to be moving our city backwards, 
not forwards. And what exactly is the purpose of agenda item number 27? Is it just to create some more busy work for our city staff who are already very busy? Is it hoping that maybe we're gonna create some kind of a mythical revenue stream? Is it some kind of a thank you to a campaign donor? And this item also seems to be sort of a contradiction to the rationale offered to sue over the state's housing element mandate. Matter of fact, one of the city council members has even stated that the state's mandates are a direct threat to the health, safety, and well-being of our, the, the cities, the landscape, and our natural resources. Please help me understand the difference between shutting down housing that won't affect the lives of people necessarily and opening up oil wells that can bring our citizens risk. So I urge you to vote no on agenda item number 27. I'd like to call the next 10 speakers down. Please approach both podiums. Diane Bentley, Jim Hall, Bob Bolin, Luann Nichols, Tanya Brown, Jean Stanley, Mary LeBeouf, LeBeouf, sorry if I mispronounce that, Susie Smith, Ken Inouye, Andrew Einhorn. Good evening. My name is Diane Bentley and I'm a 22-year resident of Huntington Beach. I'm here to speak in support of the Huntington Beach Navigation Center. The Navigation Center opened in December 2020 during the height of the COVID pandemic to provide shelter and services for homeless residents of Huntington Beach. Services include daily meals and showers as well as mental health and employment services and assistance with finding more permanent housing. After two full years of operation, the Navigation Center has served over 500 previously unhoused residents for an average stay of 71 days. 162 people were assisted in finding housing and 54 retained or found employment during their stay at the Navigation Center. They were able to provide a great deal of help so that many unhoused people, to too many, uh, to many unhoused people despite a year of reduced bed space dictated by the county during the height of the pandemic. For the development of the Navigation Center, 96% of the costs were funded from agencies outside Huntington Beach that offer support from funds designated specifically for the homeless. Only 4% of the development costs for the center were from city funds. The large majority of operating costs for the Navigation Center for the past two years have been from designated funds intended for limited uses, such as homeless services or affordable housing, from organizations other than the city of Huntington Beach. The Navigation Center is a major success story for Huntington Beach and Orange County. It was developed and opened in record time and it sheltered many, many people who may have perished on our streets during the worst worldwide pandemic in history. The previous city council is to be congratulated on this highly successful response to our homeless, homelessness crisis. If Huntington Beach residents want to keep unhoused people from sleeping on city streets and in city parks, the continued operation of the Navigation Center should be assured so that it can continue its vital mission. Thank you. Good evening, and I am here to support the reopening of downtown Main Street. 
It is dirty, ugly, and an embarrassment. They have had two years to make it beautiful, and they have not. All it does is provide a place for the homeless to hang out after hours and leave their scabies and body fluids all over the furniture. I have watched one restaurant clean in the morning with just an air blower and did not wipe any of the furniture down. They have taken Main Street rent-free. And since the area is not owned by anyone, it does not fall under the health department for inspection. And let us not forget the cockroach incident back in June and July when there were thousands of cockroaches coming out of the planters downtown. Downtown has been dirty, ugly, scary, and dark for a long time. I know there are many people who are worried about their outdoor dining being taken away, but it won't. We had outdoor dining before the shutdown, and it will still be there. Also, there are restaurants who are occupying rent-free on Main Street that have open patios in the back of the restaurants. This leads me to the next subject, the 12 to $14 million remodel project for the second block and only the second block on Main Street, of which the previous city council had the plans drawn up. I ask that you take a long, hard look at the project and the cost. I've been going downtown Main Street for years. I'm a fourth generation property owner, so when I say I've been going downtown for years, I mean I've been going down there for years. I have never walked downtown Main Street and thought to myself, how beautiful. Several years ago, the city went to the expense to put in all those planters, which look so drab. I mean, what is up with that? What an opportunity to fill them up with flowers and other beautiful plants. It's not rocket science for Pete's sake, and now there is a plan to remodel the second block to beautify Main Street. What is the plan? Who's going to keep it nice? I mean, because whoever has been doing it has not been doing a very good job. And I will end with my family motto. Never follow bad money with good money. Thank you. My name is Bob Bolin. I've been a businessman in downtown Huntington Beach for over 50 years. And I would like to say hello and welcome to all of our new city council members. I am here tonight to speak in favor of item 23, which was introduced by one of our new council members, Gracie Vandermark. The COVID pandemic is over and we need to restore Main Street back to the way it was to its pre-COVID state. This was supposed to happen last September, which was anticipated by most of the retail merchants and even some restaurant owners or managers, but it was mysteriously extended by the previous council. I own property and a business on the third block of Main Street. I am there every day. I personally speak with business owners and managers. I personally see what's going on Main Street each and every day. You will hear from some that they would like to keep Main Street closed. You will hear from some that they want to keep Main Street open like it has been since 1909. In my opinion, the second block of Main Street has to be opened for the following reasons. There is no connectivity between the first and second blocks. 
which is hurting first and third block, which is hurting business on all Main Street. It originally was closed to produce more businesses, more business for the restaurants and not the retailers. The retailers pay a lot of rent to be on the ground floor level of Main Street. The COVID pandemic is over and the restaurants need to pull back to where they were pre-COVID. I understand they were losing approximately $150,000 or more in parking fee monies due to the removal of the parking meters on the second block, monies that could be used more efficiently by the city. Due to the lack of parking on Main Street, people are parking on 5th Street and go to Main Street, which affects the businesses on 5th Street. As I understand it, when you remove parking like the city has allowed on Main Street, that parking needs to be replaced, which has not been done. I was just down on Main Street this afternoon. It looked like a ghost town. Very few people were using the outdoor dining facilities that exist there. In the evening, it is not very safe. They are due to the homeless problems and alcohol-related fighting that goes on there after hours. One other item is added police presence located on the second block to help control the drinking issues. Due to my three-minute time constraint, I have only mentioned a few of the reasons why the second block should be restored to the condition it was prior to COVID-19. Thank you, Gracie, for bringing this before the City Council. I sincerely hope that all City Council members will support this item and vote yes. If you have any questions you would like to ask me, please feel free to do so. I'm available. I didn't wear a tie. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Jim Hall. I'm the owner of uh, Surf City Alehouse, 301 Main Street. And uh, Mayor and Madam Mayor, Pro Tem, and City Council, you know, thanks for letting me speak today. Um, I came in with a plan to say a lot of the same things that everybody else said. So in the interest of not being redundant, I decided to tell you the story. My story is that I'm 54, and I've owned restaurants and operated all over the country, right? And an opportunity came about in 2019 for me to lease a place on Main Street, Huntington Beach. And I got to tell you, I jumped at the opportunity. And a lot of people said, don't do it. Your location has already been three or four spots, right? And the fellow that spoke before me, Mr. Bullen, he came in and he said to me, when I first opened up, he says, why do you want to open a restaurant in a spot that's already been three spots? And I said, Bob, this is Main Street USA. How can I fail? You can't, right? I mean, it's beautiful, it's busy, it's got the pier. The town is built on legends. I got to tell you, we're close to failing, and it hurts. And I'm not blaming it all on the second block, but there's totally an inequality, right? The party's on the second block, and we're a half a block off. I love eating in the street. I eat in streets all over. You know, Laguna, you know, wherever there's a chance to eat outdoor, we did it, right? But if I eat in front of someone's business, Knowing that there's no customers coming in because I'm eating there, I'm getting up. I'll go eat somewhere else. I can eat anywhere, right? Yes, it's dirty. Yes, there's homeless. There's a lot of issues. But the reality is there's an inequality. I just need a level playing field. I love the people on second block. Cammy owns Wet Dog. I love Cammy. I don't want to see her fail. And I don't think changing this will make her fail but I think it's gonna help the third block businesses like mine. So, in closing, I just wanna say two things. One, 
HP police are phenomenal, and so is the fire department. So whatever you vote on today, thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Tanya, and I own a bikini shop on the third block of Main Street. I am not going to get into everything else like Jim said about all of that stuff. My story is, is I started my business 30 years ago. And six years ago, I was so excited to be able to get a shop on Main Street. For goodness sakes, I have a little bikini shop on Main Street. All my nickels and dimes that I saved finally got me there. The first four years was amazing. And I understand that we had the pandemic and all that. But for the first time in 30 years of being in business, I am scared to death. And I have never been scared to death. We are not getting the flow of traffic like we used to on the third block. People tell me they come down Pacific Coast Highway, they come up to the first block, and they get moved around, and they don't know which direction to go. They don't come back around and come back up Main Street. When the street was open, I can't tell you how much new business that I got from people coming up going, oh my goodness, I didn't know there was a bikini shop up here. So now we no longer have that, and they're, they're going in different directions. It's just, I just want it open to back the way that it was. That's why I took my spot on Main Street. That's what I dreamed of forever. And now it's just not fair. It's just, it just needs to go back to the way it was. Thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Jeannie Stanley, and I work for her. <laughs> so I ought to say great things, right? Actually, she is one of the, the best uh, employers anyone could have. I've worked with her from the beginning there. Uh, we had great uh, you know, customers coming in in traffic flow originally. Uh, then there was a pandemic. Understandably, things slowed down. Then when we reopened, business came back booming, booming. For, for like, and then all of a sudden, the street closed down, and look at, I'm losing hours of work because she can't pay me, okay, to, to work at a place where we're not having customers coming in, right? I don't want to make this about me. This is about Huntington Beach. I live in Huntington Beach, and I've been here for many years. Um, you know, we even tried, when they, when they did this, closed it, tried to put a really nice sign to show that there was other businesses, Dare Me Bikini, on Huntington Beach, up ahead. But we were going to be fined 5,000, well, I say we, sometimes I act like the boss. We, you know, were, were going to get fined $5,000 to put a sign to let them know that we're open down here, it doesn't close off right here. And yes... Going up and down the street, I remember, you know, I've been, like I said, a long time. Um, Huntington Beach is a great place to live, but whatever has happened, the look of the place, the, the tourism getting lost by not knowing where to go because it, it blocks off just right in the middle of the whole, the whole main event, so to speak. Anyways, um, we need to go back like we did before and let all the businesses thrive. 
um, and open up all those parking spaces that we've lost. I have customers complain, can't find you know anywhere to park. It used to be really nice to come in. You know what little shops you want to shop at and um, park there. So anyways, that's all I have to say, but thank you, and I hope you consider to um, approve agenda number 23. Hi, my name is Mary LaBeouf. It's LaBeouf. Um, I want to say welcome to the new council members, and thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak this evening. This is my third appearance here before the council on the same issue. My husband and I do volunteer maintenance at a small federally protected wetland on the corner of Pacific View Street and Beach Boulevard behind the Hyatt Hotel. According to an agreement signed in 2003, the Waterfront Condominium Association is responsible for maintenance of this land up to $30,000 a year. The city has not been billing them for several years, maintaining it at taxpayer expense. We were able to get a bill sent in May of 2022, payable in 90 days. We inquired as to the status of the payment, but have received no answer. This is a complicated issue, and I would be happy to meet with any or all council members to go over it in more detail. Thank you. Mary, can you fill out a, a blue card? Mary, can you fill out a blue card, please? Yes, yeah, it should be in the front where, you, where the pink slips are. Awesome. Thank you. My name is Andrew Einhorn and I'd like to welcome the new council members. Many years ago, I spoke against white supremacists in combination with the KKK holding a rally in city, right here in Huntington Beach at our park on a Saturday morning. This was a long time ago, it's on the record. This room was filled to a maximum against these hate groups coming to our town. Unfortunately, I question whether this room would be filled against them in 2023. When I talk to people that live outside of Huntington Beach, many of them ask me, do you really have these type of people, anti-Semitic, white supremacists that contribute to our city? I really, my personal opinion, I would not consider this type of reputation as a good one. So why is hate growing? Hate is created by people, uh, then falsehoods are put online, and extremism accelerates. Hate is amplified by politicians, known hate groups, individuals, mob mentality types, and then the media fuels these attacks. Hate continues to grow threats, intolerance and violence will eventually occur. I am here tonight requesting the council to be on alert for groups or individuals that target people by faith, sexual preference, or skin color. If you sit back and do nothing, others will be harmed and abused. I see no exceptions for the people that work in this building, city council members, or local residents. We are at an inf inflection point on this topic and an antidote for hate, racism, and anti-Semitism needs to occur. People can debate and agree without hate. Debate is a normal part of society, but hate is not part of democracy. Words do matter. 
We must restore the culture of debate, compromise, and mutual respect that needs to exist here in this room and our, our society or we will be doomed. Thank you very much. Hi, uh, my name is Susie Smith. I own Making Waves Hair Salon, located at 320 Main Street. I've been in this location. This year will be 26 years. Prior to that, I worked at a hair salon on the second block of Main Street for three years. So 29 years total on Main Street. I've seen this street open, closed, one way, all kinds of things. Um, I have so much to say, I had to write down what I need to say because I could talk for 30 minutes straight about the mess that's on Main Street right now like I've never seen in all of my 29 years. Thank you for agenda item number 23. Main Street is designed to be open, not closed. Loading zones are blocked, causing traffic, as well as complicated access for emergency vehicles. We need the missing parking spaces. This closure has hurt businesses for most of downtown and benefits only a few restaurants on the second block. We miss our car cruises. The car cruise people are friendly, safe, and bring money into the downtown area. They shop, they eat, and we have lost that. Uh, Tony, who owns Surf City Skate, couldn't be here tonight. She wanted to have me say she would like the street open as well. And, you know, I have to say another thing. The new four council members, I didn't know any of you prior to being elected. And I'm so thankful that there's someone here that's actually hearing all of what we have to say downtown because that hasn't happened in the last two years or longer, actually, probably the last four years. So thank you for that, and thank you for this agenda item. I hope you open up that street. Mayor Strickland, honorable members of the City Council, my name is Kenny Nobley. I'm a 50-year resident of Huntington Beach, as well as a practicing CPA for over 50 years. I'm coming here today to respectfully request that the City Council pursue its interest in a more business-like manner. Specifically, I'm addressing the fact the way that the raise for the city attorney was handled. I'm not making a judgment on the results. I'm just saying that, Tony, I'm sure you've never seen in your life a vote like occurred without any, any more additional evidence than was presented at the city council meeting. As a resident of the city, I'm very happy to accept the consequences of the vote of the City Council, as long as it's based upon facts. My understanding of the vote was that the request was made to have a salary study done, and it was not done. I'm very disappointed. And as I look at some of the agenda items today, I see similar items. Similar items people are asked to vote on without looking at the potential impact of the results of these items. So entire City Council, I'd respectfully request that when you put something on the agenda, you think through all the consequences, because as a resident of Huntington Beach, I really want um, the city to move forward in a, I guess, in a manner that's, I guess, accountable. And I really appreciate the time to be able to speak tonight. Thank you. 
I'd like to call the next 10 speakers. Please come down and approach both podiums. I've got some names here. I apologize if I mispronounce. Uh, Rob, Ron, Abdel Fatel, Saboteur Bajwar, Brittany Bass or Boss, Doug Von Dolan, Patricia Pappas, Zignesh Padier, Francis Zala, Diana Orr, Michelle Kearns, Chanel Fignetti. Good evening, City Council. My name is Ran Abdel Fattah. I own Jack Surf Shop in Huntington Beach, and I own the building in the corner of Huntington Beach. I always make Huntington Beach to be beautiful because the entrance of the city. And closing Main Street affects us really a lot. Why? Because it looks like a swap meet. This is not the way we look to the city, our downtown Huntington Beach to look. Because look our sidewalk, look our building, how we clean it. Like I spent this year about $1 million to make the building really nice. And you bring in me that swap meet in Main Street, that doesn't look good for me. Also, like the previous speaker said, a lot of tourists, they come and they call us and they Google and they said, where are you? Told him in Main Street. They come to Main Street, they come to the close-up, they split left and right, they end in Seal Beach or they end in Newport Beach. Then they said, how we can get to you? For that's really, I urge you guys to support item 23 to open Main Street because we need to clean Main Street and make it really happening in the, our downtown. Thank you so much. Thank you, council members, uh, Mayor Tony, Mayor Pro Term, Gracie Vandermark for bringing this agenda item 23 uh, regarding outside patios uh, on Main Street. My name is Savitur Badwar. I represent uh, Indora Modern Indian Cuisine Restaurant on Third Block. I'm the owner and managing partner there. We took the place uh, three years back just before COVID hit. And uh, the day we were launching, uh, we had, you know, the city ordered that inside dining would be closed. And we had to take a call whether to proceed with opening the restaurant or what we do. We started with like doing the takeouts and we loved the city of Huntington Beach. At that stage, um, it was allowing to do outdoor, outdoor dining. And I think, uh, you know, I'm in support of agenda item 23 to opening Main Street to pre-COVID state, considering, you know, the very necessary reason why we had to do the outdoor dining at that stage was because the state of California had inside dining closed. Well, that particular state has changed. I mean, psychologically, otherwise, indoor dining is now prevalent and is running smoothly. And we, at this stage, you know, should just take those outside dining areas away. Get to the pre-COVID state. There are a number of reasons that are mentioned by the block one, as well as third block businesses that are getting affected. Um, financially, um, 
you know, morally, it's, it's demotivating when you don't get guests and you have outside patios, but there are no customers for them. I, I'd written up, you know, several items over here, and most of them would be redundant, but I'm going to still summarize some of these things that I've been hearing other businesses speak, speak out. And, you know, COVID is behind us. Psychologically, pandemic is over. You know, we need to go back to the pre-COVID state. Um, we should unanimously and comprehensively, as far as the third blocks, uh, support that. Um, there is an inconsistency and cause of confusion from a guest standpoint um, as to where should they enter to the businesses because the access to your particular store is through inside, inside roads and parking is another issue, where should we park and not park. So I would say providing the reopening of the main street would have this consistent flow of traffic um, and have a level playing field, like uh, some of the businesses have mentioned there. Um, we will be in support of uh, you know, the second block uh, renovation program. I would say not only the second block, but the first and third block should be included in it at that stage. And once again, thank you very much for listening to me. Good evening, everybody. My name is Brittany Boss. I am the founder of the Amuse Foundation. We advocate, maintain unity with special humanly needs and everyone. And I know I may be the uh, unfavorable opinion this evening, and that is okay. I'm here to bring some perspective and food for thought. Um, as I just heard this gentleman speak about wanting to go back and many others pre-COVID, I wish I could go back pre-autism diagnosis. I looked at my son in the community and life and daily life skills and activities so much differently. But I will say that I'm happy that it happened because I am the catalyst for change and to just bring perspective. So I'm gonna just read what I have. Whether we keep it open or closed, I'm still gonna continue on with what I'm doing. Um, and maybe we do need to look at how the businesses can you know, get their, again, business side, I get it. Logically, I feel like there's holes we can fill. Speaking to the agenda, 23-025, update on downtown street closer. The Amuse Foundation together, um, we collaborated together as a foundation, including myself, others, and our, Denise, our BCBA, Board Certified Behavioral Analysis, Ms. Denise Tadora. We would like to comment and share our perspective and opinion of why keeping downtown street plan the way it is right now for me, it's open because my kid can walk down it, but it's closed, right? I want to keep it how it is now. Not just for neurodiverse individuals, but for all individuals. It provides the opportunity to decide and have a choice between what environment best fits the individual's needs, whether we're light sensitive and need an enclosed environment or the opposite, where we might be crowd, noise, and space sensitive and need an outdoor space or need wheelchair accessibility. As I noticed that some restaurants, if I may just speak to 25 degrees, we had a restaurant fundraiser there and we had wheelchairs that were able to dine downstairs on the first floor of Maine. And again, logically speaking, we can get to all that. So the sensory benefits alone have provided so many options and opportunities for our entire community as a whole, thus contributing to an inclusive environment 
for HB, thus bringing in more revenue for the city in the form of locals and tourists. Some families with disabilities don't go out in public. It wasn't until I found Lael at Denny's and Keola downtown and Jonathan at 25 degrees that I felt comfortable coming in public and at Sugar Shack. Since the closure of the cars, I've been able to bring my son in public. Anywho, not just myself, but others. I'm gonna bring the mom opinion in though. The ability to choose indoor and outdoor, I'm gonna cut off. If you'll let me continue talking, I have just a small piece more. The ability to choose indoor-outdoor also provides families peace of mind that they have the flexibility to work with the options once they get to the location. Oftentimes, we try to pre-plan for the what-ifs for certain environments, but when the unexpected happens, it can often be overwhelming to the individual. So having the ability to offer choices, such as sitting outside in a more open space to help support de-escalation... Thank you. I can't give you uh, that much more time than everybody else. I, I appreciate you I coming. I heard someone ask for Thank extra you. time, which is why I left this on your yeah. desk. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Next speaker. Thank you. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, City Council members, and staff. My name is Doug Von Dolan, and I'm speaking on item 20 on tonight's agenda related to campaign reform. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I give you credit for being so far out ahead of the movement to bring more money into politics, but I believe this issue warrants further study before a vote. Both the effect of increasing contribution limits almost tenfold and the impact of the newly expanded Levin Act need to be studied carefully. For decades, our city candidates have raised modest amounts, a couple of hundred dollars each, from a broad base of residents and interests. The proposed chain would increase the limit a couple could give per candidate from $1,200 to $11,000. And that couple can give to as many candidates as they like. For example, they could give to four city council candidates and a city attorney candidate for a total of $55,000 per campaign cycle. In another two years, they could give another $55,000 to three candidates, a city clerk candidate, and a city treasurer candidate. Now imagine how much just 20 of these rich donors, these couples, could give to five candidates in every election. You've got over a million dollars from just 20 couples for a city of just 200,000 residents. But it gets better because council members are limited to just two terms this donation increase could allow it or encourage them um, with those candidates that have uh, uh, want to run for higher office to build large purses for future campaigns unrelated to our city's interests. And since our city attorney, treasurer, and clerk do not have term limits, it creates a temptation for them to act as kingmakers, asking candidates to audition for inclusion in the next election slate they will endorse and campaign with. Potentially, they could do this over and over and over again. What a barrier that creates for just an average citizen considering elected office in the future. Now, into this situation strolls SB 1439, an amendment to the Levin Pay to Play Act. As of January 1st, 2023, the state legislature has set new limits on campaign contributions solicited or received by local elected officials. You can't give more than $250 for, to any candidate or campaign if you are, have or had a proceeding involving a license, permit, or other entitlement for use before that candidate in the year before or in the year after. So what happens if one of our rich 20 couples 
is asking for a special event permit on a city beach, and another owns land where oil from city-owned wells might be collected, and another owns a local business that had a history of anonymous code complaints before the city code was changed. What's their campaign contribution limit now? And who decides? The FPPC suggests it might be the county district attorney's office assisted by the city attorney. That certainly needs to be clarified and more study is needed. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, uh, council members, and welcome, new council members. Good to see you all up there. It's been wonderful to see everyone come out with their grassroots movement and getting us, uh, the city excited and the residents excited as well. Uh, we gave you our vote because you promised us your ear. That doesn't just mean you're right. It means you're left as well. Huntington Beach is full of all kinds of thoughts and diversity, and we need to be accepting of all that. So we really appreciate that. Can you announce your name, please? Um, Jignesh Padiar, apologies. Thank you. Sorry, Thank my you. mistake. Um, so yeah, our first agenda item I want to talk about is agenda item number 19 uh, about the Orange County Power Authority. I think it's fairly obvious that renewable energy, as great as it sounds, isn't reliable and it's overcharged. Customers are being overpriced and businesses are being overpriced, especially at this time and age where inflation's high, groceries are getting more and more expensive. If we can cut down on energy, which I think is going to be the next endemic we're going to have, is going to be an energy endemic, and you'll see how much... Uh, the role is going to be pulling on your lights. So bringing that price dollar down would be definitely beneficial uh, to Huntington Beach and to the businesses and people here. Uh, one more agenda item, I think. Uh, let's see. Agenda item 23, again, thank you so much, uh, Madam Mayor Pro Tem, for bringing this out here. I think Huntington Beach downtown has kind of gone downhill. It was nice while it was out. We have sun maybe 300 days out of the year, so it makes sense why we want to go ahead and enjoy it. But I think the, the negative aspects of having that space has really come down to us pretty hard. And we just maybe might need to just clear up the space, maybe come back with a better idea so people like Fred's and the third block have an option to, to maybe utilize the space or divvy it up equally. I don't know. Um, and one last comment. I've been lucky enough to call Huntington Beach my home for 31 years as of 5 p.m., 32 now. And uh, in that time, I've been called a lot of names. I've been called a whiteback. I've been called a brown spick because of the way I look and the things I say. And certain people believe that because I look brown that I have to think like them. And they label me. And you know what? I'm totally fine with these labels. I'm almost okay with them because their labels do not define me. I define myself. I am not going to let the people who I disagree with describe who I am. That being... That being said, I just want to go ahead and say thank you, Madam Mayor Pro Tem, again for putting that item on there. I've got to know Gracie when she was just a fighting mother, when she just wanted a better life for her daughter coming down from LA or so. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Um, and I, I think it's, 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 it's amazing that she has such a patriotic and fire within her that makes her want to come on this council. And you know what? She put agenda item number 23 on there because she's listening to what residents want and what people want to make happen. And now, if you want to go ahead and call me a Nazi by association, well, that's fine. You want to know why? Because if you've been paying attention to history, Indians had the swastika first. Hello, good evening. Uh, my name is Francesco Zazza, and um, I own uh, a pizza place downtown on 221 Main Street. 
Well, me and my family, we moved here 10 years ago, straight from Rome, Italy, to Huntington Beach, because we choose Huntington Beach, because we used to come here as a, a tourist, and we truly fell in love for this place, at, as, as, as it was. Main Street open, all beautiful rides with amazing uh, cars, uh, bikes, uh, and uh, amazing place. I understand there was the, um, the pandemic, and it was necessary to, clo to, um, to give to the business a patio, to give to a business a chance to survive. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to ask you guys, we still are living the pandemic? No, it's finished the, the pandemic. So it's time to come back how it was Huntington Beach Main Street. And after, when everything will be the same, we can sit down and we discuss all together because we don't want to be one against the other one, one business another against another business. We are all there for the same reason, for the same idea. So we want to have the same opportunity to all the rest of the business to survive, to do good, to do our job. I will be very short. I'm sorry for my English. And uh, just, I want to I just let you know that Huntington Beach is the best city in the world. Have a good one, guys. Ciao. My name is Patricia Pappas, I'm Honorable City Council staff and city attorney. I'm happy to be here to speak. Uh, my husband Dennis and I uh, bought our home uh, 43 years ago, and we just celebrated 43 years of, Anna, of our marriage last week. So we were very happy to um, come to Huntington Beach. Thank you. I was just finishing university, and Dennis was starting his own manufacturing business in Huntington Beach. We had a little bit of money, but we had a dream. And he had a veteran's home loan because he was in the Navy. And um, it was not easy. Somehow we paid our very expensive rent, um, monthly payment, and there was no free ride. And when I was a college teacher, I told the students, there is nothing free. We have to work for everything that we have. And that's how it is. <clears throat> um, fast forward, a uh, 40-year career in education. And notice that our town wasn't safe used to be the number one safe city. Wasn't safe like it used to be. We stopped going downtown because of all the problems we were seeing. There's lots of speeding around the city, accidents, people getting injured, um, people that were homeless, <clears throat> jumping in front of cars. Um, money was being spent to, to beautify certain areas that were more expensive, even downtown. And in North County, North, North Huntington Beach, I didn't see a lot of money being spent. And, um, and I also noticed that there were high-rise buildings popping up, and we were losing our beach charm. Okay, some of that. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, I heard a group of residents, um, about a group of residents that were advocating to preserve our city. So I drove to a local park to inquire, to sign a petition, and to possibly volunteer. Well, now we have this new council. So many of the residents came together to really fight for our city. 
Um, and I hope that some of our existing council members will also join us, the residents, the voters, in fighting. I know that sometimes you feel like you have and do, but there's so much work to be done, and it can be done together. Um, so what I really want to say is thank you to, to Michael Gates and to our our new council members especially, we hung out with them. Michael um, supported so many small businesses as well as you. Um, and I, what I've done with my friends here is we've created what um, I call a photo journal for each one of you. And um, this is a sampling of some of the campaign experiences and some of the business support that, we, um, that you lent. We're going to restaurants we never even knew existed. So thank you so much for that. Um, we have a book for each one of you. I also want to thank uh, Anne and um, Valentina, Delane, Lolly, and Joe Katcha and Jeannie. So, thank you. Yeah, we have to give them to them. Yes, that would be great. Ne next speaker. Hi. I'm Diana Orr. Um, I'm a bit of an outlier, too, because I'm here to speak about keeping Main Street open. Um, we've heard from a lot of the business owners, and I can understand it sounds like there's a bit of discrepancy, but I'm a business eater, if you will. My husband go down, we live in the um, 12th block downtown, and we go to Main Street every single day. Um, first of all, I've never once felt out, um, unsafe there. We walk frequently. Um, I notice actually, in my viewpoint, it's more family-friendly because I actually see people. In the past, when we were walking on the sidewalk, it'd be really crowded, especially, for example, if there was a sporting event and people were waiting in line to get, like, in Killarney's or something. But now you can you see strollers and things going down the street with families. Um, so there's no shoving and pushing. It's also, I eat out more for good or bad, because we'll be walking our little yellow dog down the street, and I'll be like, mmm, those tacos look good, or a glass of wine? Why, well, I think I shall. Um, so there's a lot more of the impulse buying and shopping and eating. Um, when you think of a beach community, I think you frequently think of sitting outside, and that's one thing um, that this has added. I don't know that Huntington Beach had that before, as many outdoor seats. And so places like um, Sushi on Fire, you'd frequently have to wait for two, three hours to get in. And now we went with some friends on Friday and got a table immediately. Um, again, I've talked to some of the business owners because we go downtown a lot. Everybody knows my little yellow dog's name even. Um, and we've talked to some of the business owners and they feel it can be safer because there's people sitting out. So you actually see what's happening versus inside the back of bars. We've also met more of our neighbors because we're sitting outside and we'll start chit-chatting, which inside a restaurant, it's not as conducive. Um, I think having Main Street open sort of enhances the beach flow and vibe. Um, and also, because we have a house downtown, um, one year we had 59 house guests and they're coming back now that the pandemic's over and trust me, when we walk downtown, everybody's like, oh, this is really nice. This is a really good beach vibe. So I think it's good for tourism as well. And as far as parking, I think they only lost like total on second street, like maybe 15 spots, I'm not for sure, but I think a lot of people do either utilize the parking garages or walk. All right, and I have 28 seconds left, so thank you. <laughs> Bye.
Hi, I'm Michelle, and welcome to our new members, and hello to our, our current members. Thank you for your service, and um, welcome to the new mayor and our city staff. I'm speaking tonight on items 7 and 18, um, Michelle Kearns, I don't know if I said that. Um, I have faith in God, and um, above all, I have faith of a mustard seed that moves mountains, faith that we, the people, can and will work together for the betterment of this city and its people, housed and unhoused. So um, in remembering Martin Luther King Jr. yesterday, um, his goal was to eliminate racism and discrimination. Um, and so not providing housing for people in need is, um, and not wanting affordable housing near or in our backyards is in a way a form of discrimination. So I'm here to attest to the fact that housing those in need of low income and affordable housing is a gain for all. I run a senior transitional living home, renting rooms to Huntington Beach seniors who've experienced homelessness. I've had zero police calls. My neighbors are all in support. I'm able to serve and help others while staying housed myself. Since April of 21, three of our seniors have been housed. Three more are waiting for permanent housing, all of which were homeless in Huntington Beach, at the park, and or living in their cars. These are people who took care of their parents and had nowhere to go once they passed on. These are people who had serious health conditions that affected their finances to the point that they ended up in their cars on oxygen with pneumonia in the freezing cold and rain who had worked all their lives and just needed help tapping into their social security. These are people like me, had it not been for my community coming alongside me in the name of God to walk me through addiction and recovery into the light and freedom of Jesus, so that I may now respond with the same grace and mercy. These are people who are now working at Ralph's, Home Depot, Walmart, at their churches, and with the county. The county is still housing people from 2018, which is why we need more affordable housing. And we need to comply with the housing element in agenda item number seven. As it was written, right, love God and love your neighbor as yourselves. Well, these are our neighbors, loved ones. Housing is for everyone who wants it. I am also speaking um, in favor of item number 18 for our HBPD and the task force. These guys provide, and ladies, sorry, these gentlemen and ladies provide instant response and linkages to housing, employment, mental health, and social services to the clients in my senior home and to those on the street via the Be Well team. These first responders are the first step of assistance for those experiencing homelessness. The Navigation Center is the second step for persons experiencing homelessness, some kind of temporary tr transitional housing, otherwise known as a shelter. People stay in these environments until permanently housed, which is the third and final step, and ties right into agenda item number seven, the affordable housing needs as expressed in the housing element. We cannot in good measure approve 18 without approving seven or we'll be spending valuable resources to no end. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Chanel Finetti and I'm part owner of Rock and Fig Surf Shop on the third block of Main Street. I do believe that the second block closure is slowing down our business. Um, my father actually thought the same thing as well. I, at the beginning, I kind of talked to him about it, like, oh, maybe it'd be good. There'd be more people walking around. But he also, too, like, made good points that people can't park. Um, it's not flowing anymore. It's just, like, tourists come off of PCH. They hit that second block, and they don't know where to go. They drive around. They don't know the area. And then they don't realize that there is a third part of Main Street at the top. 
Um, I think that it's, it disrupts the flow of traffic and um, people don't realize that Main Street does continue on. And I think if it was open, it'd be more flowing and it would kind of bring back some normalcy after the pandemic. So thank you. I'll call the um, final, I think there's 12 in this stack, speakers in person. Please come down, Libby, Ricky Fignetti, Amory Hansen, Sherry Atkinson, Kevin Madden, Oscar Carrillo, Ann Palmer, Linda Kramer, Roger Knorr, Byron Costa, Adam Wood, Bruce Weary. Good evening. I'm here to talk about agenda item 21, the ordinance that would disallow anonymous reporting of complaints against businesses. I'm concerned not only because of the First Amendment violation that is certain to induce lawsuits against the city, but because the foreseeable impact upon all businesses in the city. If you think about it, you'll realize that the most likely observer of code violations are the employees in the very businesses that are in violation. Do you really think an employee will be able to report their employer and retain their job? With that in mind, it's likely that most employees will just keep their mouths shut and continue working and never notify authorities of a violation. So, and it becomes known that HB is not receiving notices of violation and therefore is not enforcing the health and safety codes regarding restaurants, buildings, grocers, etc. Do you really think HB would be the first or even second or third choice for a dining location? Would you want to put your offices in a building that you can't be certain followed all building regulations, especially if you're thinking about a multi-story building? Would you put your parents in a nursing home or your child in a daycare center where you can't be confident that all safety regulations are being followed? What about our police officers? They interact with the public and local businesses more than just about anyone. If they see a code violation that is not under their jurisdiction to enforce, Ordinarily, they would file a complaint so the proper agency can investigate. With your new plan, they would have to provide their personal ID with their address in order to file a complaint. Is it really prudent to make officers' home addresses a matter of public record? I know that you all have claimed that you support the police, but this doesn't seem to be very supportive to me. I strongly urge you to vote no on item 21, or at the very least to table it until it can be evaluated further with regard to these and other potential consequences, as well as the First Amendment impact. Thank you. Hello, this is uh, Ricky Finetti from Rock and Fix Surf Shop. Uh, I'm just here to, um, I'm in favor of opening Main Street as well. Um, just to, um, especially the second block, it's like being all blocked off. Uh, I think it'd be better for um, the businesses overall downtown. Um, it would provide more car flow, like everyone said, more parking for the customers. Um, it would give our downtown more uniformity, like they said, um, make a lot look ni cleaner and nicer. Um, it reduced a lot of the loitering and homeless situation down there on Main Street. Um, 
Also, the street fair has been um, pretty much diminished from the, uh, this whole closure. Like a lot of the biz people don't shop for the street fair anymore. Um, also, just tonight, I think we heard a lot of people in overwhelming support for the uh, opening the street. That's all I want to say. Thanks. Hello. Um, my name is Sherry Atkinson. I'm a longtime member of Huntington Beach, part of the faith-based community, Huntington United, and a practicing mental health clinician and social worker. And I'm here to speak on 18. I am so excited that our city council is interested in addressing the needs of the homeless and the residents of Huntington Beach. The good news is, for the last couple years, people have been working tirelessly on this issue. Faith-based members, the city council, the police, the nonprofits. The good news is you don't have to reinvent anything. All you have to do is build on what's here. We have one of the top professionals in California, Jason Austin. He's the head of our behavioral and homeless services. We also have Virginia Clara, our volunteer coordinator. We have a navigation center to help people transition into permanent housing, to give them the services they need, and by having a shelter, the police can do their job. We have Project Home Key coming in, which is in and almost full um, for transitional housing. We have Jamboree Housing, which is going to be built um, for seniors who are low income. And by the way, what, that's one of the largest growing homeless populations, um, seniors who cannot live on their social security. We have great police officers who do their job with firmness and compassion, and we have street outreach workers. We also have the Be Well Mobile, who can come out in crises for the homeless, substance abuse, family disputes, mental health. This is state of the art. And I have to say, I interface with people from other states, from other people in the county, and I can hold my head up high with the services we have. Um, we also um, are starting a volunteer program, so if people want to be involved in helping, they can. And we have a multitude of agencies who are supporting the program. Um, the best practices, housing first, and then services. So please do not consider having to reinvent the wheel. We have a great wheel. Let's just build on it. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. My name is Mr. Amory Hansen. I'm speaking tonight in support of item 23, Councilwoman Vandermark's item to reopen Main Street. I believe that taking away public access to a direct route to the beach on Main Street has reduced the public access of those not just on Main Street, but on Ellis Avenue and Euclid Street. Direct access to the beach is always desirable when possible. The beach is an important asset to Huntington Beach. The beach is greatly enjoyed by residents and tourists, and Huntington Beach should be proud of it. With increased indoor dining options, I am confident our local restaurants notably those downtown, will continue to play an important role in Huntington Beach's economy, and I proudly remain a connoisseur of Huntington Beach's local cuisine. I also recognize that there are many great businesses in addition to restaurants down in downtown Huntington Beach.
Downtown Huntington Beach still requires revitalization and should remain a place for Huntingtonians to come together. I am looking forward to participating in future town halls that were proposed by Councilwoman Vandermark, Councilman Vandermark, and McKeon and approved by the City Council on December 20th, 2022. I want downtown to be a place of pride for all Huntingtonians. Parts of, part of downtown Huntington Beach, after all, is the beach. Many cities do not have a beach, and the beach should be a particular source of pride for all Huntingtonians. I urge the City Council to share the beach that makes us Huntington Beach. Once again, I urge a yes vote on I am 23. Thank you. Hi, my name is Oscar Carrillo, and uh, I do oppose that same agenda item. Uh, I run Main Street Wine Company down there, and it's been running for 13 years now. Um, I'll rewind you guys back to prior to 2020, when we were going into this, um, you had blocked out all of the streets. And so there was a total shutdown of Main Street, which was amazing. Um, what I saw there originally blew me away because as I was setting up our patio and as we set it up in and out every day, I saw people walking down that street with their kids in tow, strollers, the whole nine yards. Families that never saw us before. Families that would say to us, we never come down here because it was always so rowdy. And now we do. And they started to support us in a different way. We saw a lot of the homeowners and the people that have paid the taxes down there that come down to Main Street like Diane earlier, they come in here and they want it to be theirs. So I understand what Jim was saying at the Ale House as well, because it's not really fair that there's kind of this mismatch and, and this kind of disproportionate kind of what, whoever took whatever down there. And, it, and uh, you know, people say, oh man, it looks so bad, whatever. I'm like, look guys, it, it, you're still down there. You're enjoying it. If it looks so bad, then why are you there? But they're there, they're enjoying it. I heard somebody say something about record profits, they're taking over, and I go, there's free for them. I'm like, well, is it really free? They're paying their taxes here too as well. I understand the arbitrariness of it. I wish the whole thing was closed down again, all three blocks. I think it should be a giant pedestrian area for all of us. I oppose the agenda item because there's no plan already involved. That's what the problem is, is you guys don't have a plan ready to go. And I would say stop and think about that first. The majority of the people that have come to Main Street Wine Company have expressed to me how much they do not want the outside dining area to go away. Any poll I ever see on Facebook, it's always overwhelmingly, we would love to have this whole place closed down. The whole three blocks of it, maybe the fourth block, I don't know. I think it'd be awesome if we could have some sort of pedestrian pavilion walkway down there where you could have music outside, where you could have event entertainment outside, where we could sit outside on our sidewalks where we enjoy Huntington Beach. This is why we live here. Uh, I, I, I opposed the other guy who was saying, there's some kind of racial whatever. I'm like, I came here in 1998. I'm a first born you know, immigrant. Uh, I was embraced by this city. The people here loved me. So I bought a house here. I love it here. Um, this business that we run, my friend Dan Bean and I, it, it, it's, it was made specifically for our locals. We would like to see that. Uh, you know, I'd like to see you guys maybe put this off again, but come up with a plan that maybe shuts down all of it. I think, you, as you heard before, the people here are telling you we would like to see it all shut down. All of it, not just a little bit arbitrarily like we were saying. That, so. Yeah. I hope you guys will take that into consideration, guys.
Hello, Council. I appreciate the time and the opportunity to speak. My name is Kevin Madden. I'm the founder of Smoke Flower. It's a surf-inspired clothing brand made in America, designed by the surfers here in Huntington Beach, made in Los Angeles. And unlike a lot of the people here, I have not been here for four generations or doing business on Main Street for 50 years. But I was drawn to Surf City USA because Huntington Beach has always exemplified American values. And being as unapologetically patriotic as Huntington Beach has known to be, I was sure that all of the resisting to some of the Orwellian mandates and edicts that much of the state was enacting on small businesses, that signing a lease in October of 2020 would be a safe bet to bet on Huntington Beach to be reopening and emerging from a pandemic that was clearly coming to a close in Memorial Day of 2021. And I am more than shocked to see that since the pandemic has been fully closed for some time now and so many of the other towns and cities across the state who have a much less patriotic mindset and much fewer American values that they live by that we're here with some of the mandates that none of these other towns are living with and while we have enjoyed some success and support of the community our lease is set to expire in October and we have some real hard decisions to make will Main Street in Huntington Beach be a place that embraces small business will Main Street in Huntington Beach be a place that embraces family-owned businesses and gives everybody an equal opportunity to succeed Right now, it doesn't feel that way. And I'm here to plead with city council and the mayor to hear the voices of the community, listen to the, the business owners, many who have been here for multiple generations and have experienced so many changes, mostly positive around Huntington Beach, and now are faced with this challenge that is no longer necessary. This was only presented as an option to save lives since we're all in this together. Well, right now it doesn't feel like we are because only certain groups are benefiting from this, uh, this, this closure that no longer serves the interest of health. And so I appreciate the opportunity to speak today and I hope that my my words will be impactful. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Ann Palmer. I've been in Huntington Beach over 30 years. Welcome to the new members. Welcome to the returning members. And welcome to our city attorney and staff. I'm here tonight. I had thought about um, presenting some information about a couple of topics that have been discussed, but I determined that I shouldn't do that in the interest of time. However, I'm shaking right now because of a flyer that was distributed in these chambers. This was distributed in these chambers, and I could not be more offended. This is not free speech. I'm sorry, Mr. Briscoe, but 
I was here when Bethany Webb spoke, and it was not free speech. I do not have a problem with people being called out for things they may or may not have done. But when it's defamation of character, when it's a vitriolic hate speech, it hurts me. It hurts everybody. And Andrew Eichmann, I believe, when you talk about why is it we have a reputation for a city with bias and bad things that I won't even say, it's because people like you get up and assume that that's the case. And you spread it. And you tell it. You don't know me, but I can take anybody in this room and find something on social media to turn you into a pariah. That was my job. That was something I could do. And I won't do it, and I won't tolerate it. And I hope that this council continues to shut down people who even use those vitriolic words. They're not necessary, they're not true, and they're really, really detrimental to our community. Thank you. Evening, Mayor, Council, and staff. Adam Wood with the Building Industry Association. Thanks for the opportunity to comment tonight. You obviously have a lot on your plates. Uh, I think we got a really good study session from staff explaining how the housing element works. We're, of course, a resource and always happy to discuss that with you from the builder's perspective. Also wanted to provide a quick comment on item 26. Uh, it's very important to create these um, uh, objective standards for development, but I know that in working with a lot of different cities, targeting uh, specifically the applications for alternative materials and methods uh, has been a great way to maintain local control. It's been a great way to enhance safety of projects, and so if you choose to proceed with that project or that uh, decision tonight, we hope that we'll be able to work with you and provide the input that we've seen from multiple other jurisdictions where this has actually been a great boon to local control and a benefit to the community to maintain this kind of uh, an approach. And let's keep maybe the um, housing element discussion uh, separate, hopefully. But anyway, we're here as a resource and, and looking forward to working with all of you. Thanks. Hi, uh, Rich Jardine, Main Street, Honorable Mayor, distinguished council members. Thank you very much for being here for us. I'm going off subject a little bit here. Uh, you've heard a lot about closing down, opening Main Street and all that. All the owners down there, I know they all support the downtown revitalization plan. Thank you very much for considering it, for considering us for this downtown business district, for this great plan as a flex street Cars can move through. There's parking again on the street for the locals. It's a great plan. I heard somewhere that uh, it was possibly they were thinking about closing it for uh, the summer and opening it during the winter. I don't know if that's a great idea, but it's a little early right now to talk about, but maybe big holidays only. Closing, it's never a good idea. It's never good for business. But part of the plan I'd like to mention is please consider adding multiple bathrooms on every level of the parking structure for that plan. Be very important for the city, for the revitalization plan. Um, going back to the right now, opening Main Street right now would be very beneficial to the city because of parking revenue, 
sales tax revenue, be very beneficial to the citizens. It's a long winter and they like to access their street in and out of their car. The businesses have been really in bad shape for a year and a half since uh, indoor dining was opened back up. The tourists, they can't find their way in. You know, about a third of the tourists are, they have bad body parts. They have to drive around, they have to find where they're going and then park. They can't just park and walk two miles looking for where they're going. A, a third of the people coming in have broken down stuff. Main Street starts at five points. It goes by the Civic Center, the high school, and it ends at the end of the pier. It's the most beautiful drive in Huntington, maybe rivaling the Coast Highway. You know, it's, it needs to be open. It needs to be open. It's not right to have the main street of a city this big closed down for no reason anymore. All the seats have been empty for a year and a half. Empty on weekdays, weeknights, every day, even Saturday, Sunday, they're all empty. None of the extra seats have been needed for a year and a half now. You know, when we opened, there were seven bars in town. We were number seven. Now there's 37. There's seven or eight more restaurants with liquor licenses downtown, and another 10 or 11 that serve food. Thank the you. Businesses need volume, like 2019. Thank you so Rock much. Play. Thank you. Hi, folks. Uh, I'm Bruce Warre. Um, hello, Mayor, City Council. Uh, it's good to see you guys up here. I'm glad you got up here. I'm really proud of you for, for taking the stand and come up here and, and, and representing Huntington Beach. Um, I'm here to speak on 23, on um, opening Huntington uh, Main Street up. Um, let's see, where can I go? Um, I think that it is a good uh, destination for us to get to, to be an open, uh, or a, I guess it's a closed block, of a pedestrian, open to pedestrian block. I, I like what Main uh, Street uh, Winery said. Um, you're seeing families down there. You're seeing kids playing in the streets. You're seeing a lot more people walking it. Um, yeah, it needs to be revitalized. Yeah, you can do your program. We have uh, the previous council set up a, a, a plan. If you don't like it, I think you should fix it. Um, yeah, maybe the couches, maybe the uh, ping pong doesn't fit and it's not going to be an attraction, throw it out. Um, I think, personally think you can give it all the streets, all the businesses, all the way up to the curb for outdoor dining and or retail, everything. And then make the parking spots walkways, whether they're sidewalks, whether it's open walkway. And then you can decide on the traffic, oh, two, two lanes, whether it's open during the daytime and, and close at night or close on weekends, whatever. You can decide. You can leave it closed. You can do whatever. But I think you guys said you're going to represent people. And right now we have a plan that's set. And um, if you want to stall that plan, you want to go out and get new surveys to see it, I see 90% plus down there support being closed. I, I've heard the PD say it's 95% for his uh, personal um, uh, survey of all downtown businesses and people. Um, I've heard from you guys that saying it's 50-50. Well, that's not a majority to change it. 
Now, I understand there's issues. I think there's people talked about cockroaches. I, you know, I saw a video on that. I was there. I'm down there 10 hours a week, every week for the last two and a half, three years. Um, and I, I looked underneath there. I don't see them. So maybe it was there. Maybe they fixed it. Maybe it's not. It's not an overwhelming problem, right? I've never seen a cockroach. I've never seen a, a rat. So I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, to be honest. So maybe they're there, but it ain't overwhelming to where it's an issue and for ter tourists because I'm there all the time and they're not there. So um, I think you can do all what you're doing without bringing cars onto the street. You don't need to at this point. You can still let people do that. Do your surveys. If you have a majority against, against uh, uh, closing it then, or keeping it closed, then go with that. If you want to put it to a vote, then do that. But wait till you have a majority to do something. Thank you. Appreciate your support. Hello, city council members, and congratulations for the new, the new members. You guys did a great job. But I want to warn you, please do not rush on, uh, on approving everything just because they want to steamroll you, especially the things that they're doing in the very beginning of your tenure. When, when they're telling you to pass this and pass this, especially the police department budgets, and you don't even have time to even study it, and it's intimidation, please do not just hold off on it and think about this. I mean, $99 million that you guys gave in 2020-21 on the budget report, $99 million. Afghanistan does not even spend, did not even spend $99 million every year to keep us out of their country. And we didn't win for 20 years and they were spending less than 99 million for the whole country. And that's how much we spend, and it's the taxpayers' money. So please, I mean, don't just, especially if it's the first couple of weeks that you guys are, uh, as members, and they're trying to pay, they're, they're having a policeman association, you know, <laughs> try to twist your arms, please, 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 tell them to hold off, and then look at the numbers first before you guys do anything. Because just because you guys support the police, and you guys want to support the police, now you, and then you're going to give them 500000 I don't know where this is going to go for the agenda number 18, but you guys, please, please, please don't just rush and vote things in that you guys really don't know that much about or you guys aren't really clear about. Second thing that I really want to talk about is the agenda items. It even has it over here on this page. It says the ones that you, know, where you fill it out when you're speaking over here. It has two lines for agenda item this and if you support it, if you oppose it, or if you're neutral to it. And it has two of them, and then you can also cross off if you want to speak on non-agendaized items, you can also speak for that. That means that you can speak for three minutes for non-agenda items, and you can also make a point every single, about any item that's on here. You don't just have three minutes for all of them. So, and it, it even shows because it has more than one item on each one of these pages. And I believe that you're supposed to talk about the agendaized items. I mean, we're supposed to speak about them individually when the item comes up. Instead of just speaking, getting it all hosh poshed in the beginning and nobody, and everybody has to abstract the, the, the item for the person that speaks it. We're supposed to speak about each agenda item separately. And I don't understand why, because I wanted to speak about a couple of agenda items last, uh, last week, and I was only speak, I was supposed to speak about for three minutes. I never abused it. I've never it, talked for more than three minutes. But we have a right to speak about every single one of these items for three minutes. 
and it's right before the before the item shows up to uh, to, uh, to a vote, not in the very beginning. So please respect the uh, the rules and do that. Let us speak. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, City Council members. Um, I just wanted to, to also parrot what my friend said, that I think it would be a good idea to extend the three-minute rule. Um, I think if I heard it said that politics is kind of modeled the federal government, state, and then local, so maybe I've been watching the C-SPAN too long, but basically when a senator wants to yield his time to his fellow uh, uh, senator, then then I think they sh they do that, and I think that you should parrot what they do at Capitol Hill. So I've always had a problem with that you can't um, extend your time or you can't yield your time, and I think that would be very helpful under the United States Constitution, the right to free speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion. I want to commend all of you for running for public office and that you made it, and maybe you can be the poster child and get rid of corruption. <laughs> You'd be the, it'd be kind of cool. Um, also wanted to mention that um, I have a shout out for all the business owners that have spoke before, and I really think that's wonderful that, well, they've having some rough times and bumps in the road, but the backbone of America is the working class, and I honor that. Uh, so, uh, okay, Our articles online about corruption. Article number one. <laughs> One of many. Corruption made legal in Huntington Beach. Another headline. Huntington Beach city manager hit with misconduct allegations in latest. That was in January. This is January. That would have been last year. Uh, Huntington Beach corruption, part three, YouTube. City attorney, city council squaring off in Huntington Beach, MSN. Okay, Huntington Beach today. By the way, I do not reside in Huntington Beach. I don't know if that matters for me speaking, but thank God for the First Amendment. Okay, Huntington Beach police misconduct cases. Sorry to burst your bubble, Huntington Beach, but commensurate with their long tradition, the Huntington Beach Police Department is exceptionally brutal and will almost never pass up an opportunity to tune up anyone who dare not jump fast enough when they bark or who challenges the officers unreasonable orders to them. Get over here and shut the F up. Sit on the curb, shut the F up. Get on the ground, shut the F up. All supposedly for, and it goes on. Okay, so that's pretty much the shocking headlines that were in the past. Democrat corruption town in Huntington Beach, a dumpster full of only. So I uh, just wanted to mention that we need to clean up corruption across the board, not just in your town, but I th would like to see you be the forerunners and hopefully you'll be the next poster child. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mayor Strickland, last call for Linda Kramer. You didn't approach Linda. All right, we're gonna move on. We... Oh, she is right. here. Come on down, Linda. Go ahead. Good evening, Council. My name is Linda Kramer. Um, I'm here to speak on item 19, 
the Orange County Power Authority, or OCPA. I'm a longtime advocate of fiscally responsible choice to cleaner energy options. Please continue to show leadership in sustainability and support energy choice and independence for Huntington Beach. There has never been a choice with our utilities. It's either opt-in to SCEU or have no electricity at all. OCPA has a strong financial standing by one of the top CCA auditors in California um, that's currently auditing six other agencies. And in December, they expected to have a $53.2% million reserve by the end of the year. The bigger problem is no competition for the utilities. The, on December 1st, the CPUC authorized a 24% rate increase for this year for SCE. Uh, we already, most of us, got our 2.9% notice of an increase, but that's just for January. Um, this morning, the OCPA board uh, authorized a 2% lower rate for the basic choice. Tonight, you are voting to move to the basic choice. I urge you to delay that important decision. Huntington Beach has a legacy of strong sustainability and protecting its environment. For the average residential user, the 100% renewable rate is 3.9% higher, $5.24 a month. There is no real green choice for, by the utilities. The current power content label that comes out every year for every utility for SCE is 31.4% um, renewable and 9.2% nuclear. According to their own report in 2021, because they only offer the green rate to a tiny amount of customers, out of 5 million SCE customers, a mere 2,452 customers were allowed on the higher 100% renewable rate. It's closed now. You can't get it. Um, SCE and other utilities just spent $40 million lobbying against for a solar tax and a 75% drop in credit for people that put solar um, energy back onto the grid. Virtually, they're getting your solar energy for free. We must continue to have competition. It's a wise choice. There are 11 million customers and 10 years experience. CCAs have proven that they're a good energy option and you always have the option to go back to SCE. There is also a power content label that shows the renewable energy choice every year for every utility. And we will be able to see OCPA's renewable rates, SCEs, and like I said, this year for 2021, it's 31.4%. I really appreciate you taking the time to keep energy choice in Orange County. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Madam Clerk, is that everybody? That's everybody in person, so we'll move on to our Zoom callers. I actually have seven hands raised, but two of which just recently raised, so they did not meet the 15-minute uh, time window. So I'm going to go to RBB, and please unmute and provide your comment. RBB? Hi. Hi. Just a moment. Uh, good evening, Council and Mayor. Uh, this is Robert Banzett, a voter in Huntington Beach. I'm addressing agenda item 21, which makes it impossible to anonymously report code violations. First, I must agree with you that frivolous tips should not be used to harass business owners. However, item 21 is a poorly thought out solution to the problem. It has the unintentional practical consequence of threatening the public health. 
Employees are often in the best position to observe violations concerning food safety in restaurants, grocery stores, and markets. Construction employees are in the best position to report violations of building codes. You are essentially asking these people to forfeit their jobs to report threats to our health and safety. Furthermore, I think the thin legal veneer of the Sixth Amendment underpinning this proposal will not stand up in court. Anonymous tips are a staple of police work. They clearly do not contradict the Sixth Amendment. I'm surprised that the city legal department did not alert you to this mistake. Surely you can find a better way to cut down on frivolous complaints than this poorly thought out rule. Please vote no. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, Jordan R. Hello. My go name ahead. is Jordan. I am representing. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm representing Jaybird's Chicken regarding the request to end expanded outdoor dining in downtown. Jaybird's is located on the third block of Main Street, and I'll keep this short and sweet as quite a few of us tonight have the same message. We, like others in the area, notice business on our street is slow due to tourists stopping at the end of the expanded outdoor patios. Um, we just feel this is a disadvantage to us, and we are eager to have the temporary patios removed to bring business back to normal. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Ada Hand. Ada Hand, can you unmute your mic? There you go. Hi, my name is Ada Hand. The city received a letter in early January from the Department of Housing and Community Development. It warned us about our not complying with RENA requirements for affordable housing. The HCD letter lists multiple court cases that were similar and failed. Our city's housing element uh, plan was out of compliance last September because we had not yet submitted it well past the deadline. The letter stated it hoped the Huntington Beach housing element would be soon adopted. The city needs to provide housing for all income levels. By fighting the state requirements, we risk another huge fine by the state. By fighting the state requirements, oh, I'm sorry, that's a repetitive. In the meantime, vacant lots are being developed. How many housing units are currently being developed for low and moderate income levels? When are you going to report that to us? I'm also against returning to pre-COVID procedures for city council meetings, which was mentioned in passing at the beginning of this meeting, that this would be the last one done on Zoom. I want Zoom to continue for city council meetings. My health is precarious and I don't want to be exposed to flu or COVID. I don't wish to attend the raucous loud meetings. This proposed change lacks of, uh, smacks of a lack of transparency, especially for people with mobility or transportation issues. I think we get more involvement across the city from all age groups and uh, ability groups when we have Zoom meetings. A last item, I hope all mobile home residents will attend the city's mobile home advisory board meeting on Monday, January 23rd at 5 p.m. It is scheduled on Zoom, or you can attend in the city council uh, nearby room. It is critical that we speak up for our issues. Thank you. Thank you. Mark Sheldon. Uh, th thank you very much, uh, 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 Mayor and City Council. My name is Mark Sheldon. 
and I'm a 30-year-plus resident of Huntington Beach. Um, I uh, want to speak primarily on uh, agenda item 19, the, uh, the, the, the power authority item. Um, as a previous speaker more or less pointed out, um, I would imagine that you would agree that citizen choice, uh, enhancing citizen choice is a good thing and that, um, and that a city, a government uh, anointed and monopolies are in general bad things. Uh, for, and yet but that's what we've got with our current investor-owned utilities. There's a reason they evolved that way in, historically when power was generation was centralized, but that is rapidly uh, expanding to more distributed generation and more entrepreneurial opportunities in power generation. And uh, that isn't going away. So constructs that allow people to avail themselves of, of more opportunities and more choices are a good thing. And the, and the power authority represents a construct that, that was set up to enable communities to allow for that degree of freedom. Uh, and uh, so it, the power, the OC power authority has had its fits and starts in terms of its, its, uh, its infancy and uh, certainly things could have gone better, but we are far better off uh, allowing that, uh, fixing whatever uh, uh, shortcomings in the, in the short term in order to, to build, the, build this into a viable uh, choice for our citizens. And so, I, I, you know, necessarily there are some defaults that go with the uh, setup uh, and, the, and the initial what, what, what uh, people service defaults to. And the city is well advised to, to study what it wants to, what, what offerings it wants to make the defaults and, and the city's choices. But you should also take into account that uh, because the, the power authority is so new that, and there are so few cities participating, that Huntington Beach's choices are going to affect the ability of that power authority to, to, to grow and stabilize. And so I would, I would encourage you to consider your, uh, your, your choices in that light. Um, I would also like uh, briefly to mention the, uh, the Airshow Environmental Impact uh, Review and encourage you to be consistent in the way that is financed with the way other environmental reviews are financed because you're going to be seeing a lot of those in, uh, in, in, as, you, as you go on and you want to put them on a, in a consistent footing. And finally, I'd encourage you to continue to offer the Zoom option. It's something that came out of the pandemic, but it's a good thing because it encourages Thank participation. You. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, our last speaker is Emily Grant. And again, I apologize to the two who just recently uh, raised their hand. They were not within the 15 minute window. Go ahead, Emily. Hi, good evening, Arnold, Honorable Mayor and City Council. My name is Emily Grant, Senior Public Affairs Manager for SoCal Gas. We're reaching out to inform all customers that natural gas prices are going to be even higher than usual this January due to several unprecedented factors beyond our control. Customers may see a winter natural gas bill double or higher compared to one year ago. The high bills are a result of historically high natural gas prices in the Western United States. As a reminder, SoCal Gas doesn't set the price for natural gas. Instead, natural gas prices are determined by national and regional markets. SoCal Gas buys natural gas in those markets on behalf of residential and small business customers 
and the cost of buying that gas is billed to those customers with no markup, meaning SoCal Gas does not profit from gas commodity prices going up. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, or the EIA, a number of factors are contributing to, natural, to higher natural gas commodity prices, and that includes widespread below normal temperatures on much of the West Coast, including Washington and Oregon, high natural gas demand for heating by customers in areas with below normal temperatures, reduced natural gas supplies to the West Coast from Canada and the Rocky Mountains, reduced interstate pipeline capacity to the West Coast because of pipeline maintenance activities in West Texas, and low natural gas storage levels on the West Coast. To help our customers reduce energy bills, we encourage them to lower their thermostat three to five degrees, health permitting, install proper caulking and weather stripping, which could save roughly 10 to 15% on heating and cooling bills, wash clothes in cold water, reduce the temperature on their water heater. In fact, lowering the temperature on a water heater or setting it at 120 degrees can save up to 22% in energy costs and limit the use of non-essential natural gas appliances such as spas, pool heaters, and fireplaces. And of course, you can visit SoCalGas.com slash manage higher bills for more information. We also offer several ways to help income qualified customers through our bill assistance and forgiveness programs, home improvement assistance, and the level pay program. In addition, SoCal Gas recently announced a $1 million contribution to the Gas Assistance Fund, a program that helps income qualified customers pay their natural gas bills. And to learn more about that, again, you can go to www.socalgas.com slash assistance. And with that, if you or a member of the community have any questions, please reach out to me directly. I've left all of my contact information with your city clerk, and I'm happy to help. Thank you very much. Thank you. That concludes our public comments. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, members, we're going to the agenda now. Um, Council committee appointment announcements. I have two. Um, I'm appointing Lisa Barnes to Community and Library Services Commission and Michelle Schutz to Investment Advisory Board. Uh, members, do you have any appointments? Councilwoman. Yes, thank you, Mayor. I'm um, appointing Ms. Gigi Jackson to the Citizens Participation Advisory Board. Thank you. Any other announcements, members? No? Okay, now next on the agenda, AB1234 reporting. Does anybody have anything to report? Seeing none, moving on. Uh, openness and negotiation disclosures. Does anyone have anything to disclose? Go ahead, Councilman Kalmick. I, I had a meeting with the POA. Okay. The Police Officer Association. Okay. Anything else? Members? Okay. Let's move on. Uh, city Manager's report. Uh, city Manager Zelinka, please introduce your reports. Mayor Strickland, thank you. Members of the Council, uh, first report in the month of December, uh, the city uh, welcomed seven new 1HBT members, two for community library services, one for finance, one for community development, two in the police department, and one for public works. Uh, secondly, just a, a thumbnail overview uh, on the update on the downtown street closure. As you know, in December, um, you know, specifically on the 20th, the council uh, directed staff to pause the Main Street uh, project and to work with um, and to pause the work of Studio 111 and to work 
to re-engage the community over the next uh, month, month and a half, and come back to council in February. Uh, we are, um, through, from now through the end of January, uh, staff from Public Works, Community Development, and, um, and other, uh, other departments are gonna be, and p police department are gonna be outreaching to businesses and property owners, getting their feedback. Uh, towards uh, the early February, we're gonna have a community meeting at the uh, Main Street Library to get additional feedback. And we will also be um, sharing uh, a survey with uh, community members for their feedback. Ultimately, we will, we will give you an update in early February, and then we'll roll it all up and come back to you with um, the uh, combined feedback uh, in early March, and then we'll go from there uh, based on your direction. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. City Manager. Thank you for the update. City Treasurer's report, City Treasurer Backstrom, please introduce your report. Good evening. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to present the 2023 investment policy statement updates. So I just have something very brief for you. There are two updates, both in section 10 of the policy, which authorizes the suitable, authorized and suitable investments. The first update is to increase the maximum allowable investment amount for the investment type of joint powers authorities specifically. This refers to the section of the California code allowing public agencies to own shares in the investment pool. It has specific requirements as to investment manager, including having over 500 million under management. So it's not just invest in any, uh, any type of joint powers authority. It's very specific on what type of that can be. The specific investment utilized under this state code is the California Asset Management Program or CAMP, which is a well-known investment option for public agencies offering overnight liquidity with a AAA rating from Standard & Poor's. It's a permitted investment for all local agencies. Previously, the maximum amount uh, for this type of investment was 20 million according to our investment policy. However, there is no limit according to the state code. So in order to more properly match the allowable amounts for pools within the city's investment policy, as well as to allow flexibility uh, for investing in uh, liquidity funds, this type of limit, uh, the limit for this type of investment has been raised to 75 million. The second item is under section 10.0, uh, which according to the California government code, obligations of the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, or IBIRD, the International <laughs> Finance Corporation, IFC, or Inter-American Development Bank, IADB, this is a category referred to as supranational, shall not exceed 30% of the agency's monies. Uh, so as that is the state code, in order to allow for flexibility and diversification and in investing in the portfolio, as well as to match the government code, the allowable percentage shall be increased from 10% to 30%. Uh, these uh, must be rated double A category. However, all of these are actually rated triple A. So that is uh, my presentation and I'm open for questions. Go ahead, uh, Councilman uh, Burns. Is it, before you make these investments that'll come before us, 
to approve or do you just make these? No, these are just categories. Oh, so just categories. You're, you're just approving the categories and the amounts in total. But every oh. month I provide you with a report as to what investments are made. What this does is just allow us to invest in this fund that gives us a bigger rate of return. Yeah. I would like to move the action. I'll second. Uh, clerk, call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick. Hi. Councilmember Mosier. Aye. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Yes. Mayor Strickland. Aye. Councilmember McKeon. Yes. Councilmember Bolton. Yes. Councilmember Burns. Aye. All affirmative, 7 Thank 0. You. Thank you. Uh, next on the item agenda, members, is City Attorney Gates. Please inter uh, introduce your report. Uh, thank you, uh, Mayor. Um, so at the December 20, uh, 2020 meeting, uh, City Council uh, took action by a council member initiative uh, to undertake an environmental review to support the air show. Um, and, it, and also as part of that direction was to come back first meeting in January to give an update. Um, and so just wanna let you know we're in the process of identifying a firm to actually do the review. Um, not all firms, uh, environmental review firms, do air shows. Um, some have experience with airports and things like that. So um, we are looking uh, to identify the right firm for the right fit. Um, and once we do, we'll come back and report uh, with a much more specific plan and also an engagement agreement to get the ball rolling. Thank you. Uh, I am uh, members, we're now moving uh, to the consent calendar. I am 13 through 17. Does anybody want to pull an item from the consent calendar? Okay, uh, item 17 has been pulled by Council Member Bolton. 14, please. And 14 is being pulled by uh, Council Member Mosier. Okay. Um, members, uh, do I hear a motion uh, excluding 13 and, oh no, I'm sorry, 14 and 17, correct? I'll move. Second. Madam Clerk, call the roll for the consent calendar. Councilmember Kalmick? Aye. Councilmember Mosier? Aye. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark? Yes. Mayor Strickland? Aye. Councilmember McKeon? Councilmember Bolton? Yes. Councilmember Burns? Aye. Okay, the items identified approved 7 0. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, members, we're going to go to now file item 13. Uh, it's been polled uh, by, oh, I'm sorry, 14. It's been polled by uh, Councilman, uh, Councilmember Bolton. Um, oh, Mosier's 14, I'm sorry. Okay. I apologize. Please no uh, open that. Sure, open this up. should be, I think, relatively quick too. So this item was the annual review of the City Code of Ethics. Um, I'm just so glad that the City Council reviews this as well as all of the other boards and commissions and really the staff and everyone um, throughout the city's organization it's so important that we have this living document that demonstrates who we want to be as a city, um, I think even beyond um, these chambers in the walls of our city government. And I just really encourage um, all, of our, um, all of the people that have received these, because while you, you receive them, you don't have to necessarily say that you will abide by them. And I, I hope that it's everybody's, um, that they realize it's their obligation to do so. I know we've been in council chambers over the last couple of um, meetings. It hasn't been that way this evening, and I'm, I'm glad about that, but where there's been a lot of hooting and hollering, um, and I would just basically say it was uh, ultimately disrespectful, and I think we can just do better. So I hope that all of us can abide by these codes of ethics. And also, finally, um, that 
that people can show each other respect. It specifically says in the Code of Ethics, I treat my fellow city officials, staff, commission members, and the public with patience, courtesy, civility, and respect, even when we disagree on what is best for the community and its citizens. And I, I do hope that our new commissioners, um, while they are there to um, you know, really do their best work and represent the community, treat our staff in the way that, that we should. Um, it's just, it's very important to me. And, and I, I think that we can all um, agree to do that and abide by that. And that's really all I wanted to say. Thank you. Okay, uh, does a member want to move? I, don't I would like to move it, definitely, for um, the annual review of the City Code of Ethics. Thank you. I'll second it. Uh, Clerk, call the roll. Councilmember Kalnick? Aye. Councilmember Mosier? Aye. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark? Yes. Mayor Strickland? Aye. Councilmember McKeon? Yes. Councilmember mm -hmm. Bolton? Yes. Councilmember Burns? Aye. 7 0, vote count. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, now, members, we're on item 17. Uh, Councilmember Bolton? Yes, thank you, Mayor. Um, this will be quick, too. This is the form that volunteers sign, um, folks who volunteer with the PD, and let me just say how much we appreciate um, their time and service. Um, but the form um, has an address, let's see, yeah, lines for street address, an email address, and um, a volunteer wrote in via email and asked if this information would be public. And I don't know the answer to that question, so I wanted to see if we could get the answer to that question. So we will not be releasing that information. Uh, it's just for, for our purposes here, and so the city has the information in the event that uh, they require it, but uh, we're not going to routinely release that. So I'll move the item. I'll second it. Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick? Aye. Councilmember Mosier? Aye. Councilmember, I'm sorry, Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark? Yes. Mayor Strickland? Aye. Councilmember McKeon? Yes. Councilmember Bolton? Yes. Councilmember Burns? Aye. 7 0 vote count. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, now, members, we're on item 18, administrative items. Uh, police Chief Para, please introduce your item. So this is a report back from an H item requested by Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Uh, the, uh, the H item requested several, uh, several report backs. One was a full report and accounting of all city resources uh, used to address homelessness. Two is a full report and accounting of the navigation center's use since it opened in December 2020, as well as general information about our homeless clients. Three is a proposal that incorporates former Police Chief Handy's 90-day plan for HVPD to enforce the city, city's uh, and state's laws regarding encampments and related concerns. And number four was a request uh, for myself to give quarterly updates to City Council. That uh, number four will begin in, in March, so that will not be addressed this evening. But we will start with the, uh, the other three. It'll be myself and uh, Lieutenant Brian Smith, who has been running the uh, Homeless Task Force for uh, quite some time now. With respect to the homelessness team, it is uh, the costs uh, are on the board here for 2020 and 2021. It's for the homeless task force, the police officers, which are four officers and a sergeant, the task force outreach workers and administrative staff. And we have uh, we're able been able recently to hire to get some more staff. So we have the uh, the director. We have the uh, uh, community volunteer uh, director, which is a Virginia Clara, and then we have a part-time staff worker for the, uh, uh, for the homeless uh, 
task force, not the police side, but the, uh, the city side that deals with homelessness. That's the administrative staff. The funds were from the 2020, uh, 2021 year, 90% general funds, 10% restricted funds. 2021-22 would be 92% general funds and 8% restricted funds. And for 2022-23, for the estimated cost, it will be 100% general funds. And as you can see, uh, they've had a total of uh, about 400 a month uh, contacts since we've been up and running. The first year was a little low, but uh, that's where the overall city efforts are in that regard. With respect to the Navigation Center occupancy rates, they have uh, fluctuated since it began in, in December 2020, and some of that was related to COVID and COVID lockdowns, but the capacity is 174 total. As of yesterday, there were 139 um, people in beds there, and we have a chart here that shows the average enrollment, the peak enrollment for that month, and then it shows the bed capacity, which is uh, which fluctuates due to COVID, and it talks about the uh, the COVID uh, restrictions that occurred. So that is where we're at in terms of occupancy at the time, at the moment. For client data, we have served 504 persons uh, that are unduplicated. If duplicated numbers are more than that, but the unduplicated numbers are 504. Uh, there have been 162 housed by Homeless Task Force and by Mercy House. There have been 500, uh, I mean, 55,072 bed nights, 71 uh, days is the average length of stay, 156,000 meals provided, and 54 uh, persons held uh, employment during the stay. The uh, interesting part or the important part about this uh, slide is that uh, in order to be eligible for Navigation Center, you have to be uh, from Huntington Beach or have ties to Huntington Beach. You're not uh, eligible from another city, so it does serve Huntington Beach residents. With respect to exit data, the number of persons that have voluntarily exited, self-exited, have been 421. And what a self-exit means is that they found permanent housing, temporary housing, or they've been enrolled in a substance abuse program or some other type of program that, that allowed them to exit and move on. Uh, there have been 211 that have been exited for failure to follow rules, which is contraband, fighting, and other uh, behavior that would uh, be contrary to the rules. 116 have been housed, and uh, medical reasons have been 13. The cost data is for the initial uh, actual costs, or rounded up $13 million, and that's 96% restricted funds uh, of the funding source and 4% city infrastructure funds. For the uh, actual operating costs, you'll see that it was uh, 1.26 million for 2020 and 2021, which were restricted funds. Uh, you'll see 2021-22 is 2.5 million, which is 74% restricted funds and 26% general funds. Uh, for the estimated 2022-23, it's uh, 2.8 million rounded up uh, with 100% restricted funds. 
So those are the, uh, the cost numbers for the navigation center from uh, two years past to the estimated that's upcoming. The next area is uh, to look at is Be Well, which are the, uh, you guys have seen the bands that are, that are out and about and they're servicing our area and they're helping uh, police and with uh, calls for service. And what they do is we've broken down how they've responded and they have 19% uh, private residents, 36% public space, 14% would be uh, businesses and 20% uh, telephone. So they've, they've had a wide array in terms of the, the, the way they've serviced people. And if you look at the client demographics, it uh, is uh, uh, significant in terms of 1,791 men, 1,324 females, and three, 521 not stated. And it looks like the uh, uh, median or the, or the majority of uh, persons served are adults from 18 to 64, but they do serve minors and seniors uh, at a decent number, significant number. So that is from Be Well. And we have additional client data. This month, um, 450 calls for Be Well. Total calls uh, since program exception, inception is uh, close to 3,800. And of the calls received, 41% have been uh, housed persons and 59% uh, have been unhoused. So they, don't, they, they serve a population, uh, they serve the whole population basically. Uh, the funding uh, source, so the initial contract because of hiring was low, which was just uh, impact fees of 24286 For 21-22 actuals, it was uh, $981,000, and 56% were state um, uh, permanent local housing asset funds, and 44% were general funds. It's estimated to be 1.2 million in 2022-23 with 50% of PLHA funds and 42% federal earmarks and 8% general funds for Be Well to continue in 2022-23. Uh, you asked us uh, to look into County of Orange initiatives and Project Home Key is the uh, redevelopment of the Quality Insight, which has 62 interim housing units. It's on Beach Boulevard and it was converted to permanent supportive, ultimately will be converted to permanent supportive housing in the future. It's operated by an experienced nonprofit, which is American Family Housing, and they have 24-7 uh, security and two support staff living on site. It's not a walk-up shelter. Uh, the city committed 2.4 million in restricted funds, uh, which is low moderate income housing asset funds towards construction at the beginning, and another county initiative is the point in time survey which uh, was conducted January 2022. It showed that uh, our count went from 349 in 2019 of unhoused uh, homeless persons to 330 in 2022 which is a uh, decrease of 19 and that is the presentation with respect to the navigation center and be well. Uh, we were, Brian Smith is going to continue with the uh, uh, police department's 90-day plan, which is taking what Rob Handy did at the beginning in terms of uh, noticing people of the navigation center, making sure that they had, uh, that they understood it was there and available, and uh, that uh, we would be moving them from 
from uh, public places if they were sleeping at nighttime or otherwise. And so we, we took that and we expanded upon it, and Brian's going to uh, go from there. Thank you, Chief. So the Police Department's Homeless Task Force is currently comprised of four officers, which is two two-man, two-officer teams that patrol the city five days a week. They're a primarily response-driven unit based upon um, citizens' calls for service, uh, information received via MyHB, and flag downs throughout our community. Ultimately, our goal would be to increase the unit to eight sworn staff to ensure we could provide seven-day week coverage and outreach to our community. As Chief Parr mentioned, Chief Handy's initial plan was saturating the area with staff um, 90 days prior to the opening of the Navigation Center to educate the community uh, that the shelter and navigation services would be available, and following that, we'd be able to uh, enforce our anti-camping ordinances. We propose to continue to saturate that and um, also increase a few of our services. First, we wanna increase education and awareness to our community and our business community about resources that are available and rights on private property of our property owners and people responsible for the businesses in our community. That will be done by dedicating two officers one day a week to strictly and solely go out and do outreach to our business communities and stakeholders and reach out to them and identify what are their concerns, what issues they're having issues with and how we can work with them. Uh, we would like to increase our dedicated homeless task force staffing by two additional shifts per week that would give us seven day a week coverage of these specialized officers that are well aware of the resources and the legal requirements for us to take enforcement action, but they know the resources available throughout our countywide um, spectrum of services that can assist all community. We'd also like to provide six additional patrols per week of two officer teams to patrol specifically the downtown business district, the beach area, and Sunset Beach. Traditionally, during the summertime, we upstaff these areas to address the issues specific to these areas. We propose increasing our services, which would be two patrols a day extra, uh, three days a week, to ensure coverage in the early mornings and late in the evenings to contact um, individuals that we might not normally have interactions with, as well to address concerns from the downtown businesses and the community that enjoys our beaches. Uh, we've also worked closely with community library services to um, identify areas of concerns and areas that we can uh, provide better services to in downtown and in our parks. So we're gonna be making proposals to amend um, specific park-related regulations to ensure public safety and also uh, regulations or municipal codes pertaining specifically to activities occurring within the main promenade parking structure located at 200 Main Street. Uh, to further make sure our staff is able to provide the services without impacting patrol operations, we would also like to uh, procure three pursuit rated pickup trucks that will help transport property or um, even trash when they clean up the large sites uh, without impacting or utilizing patrol assets or resources. Uh, we would like to work closely with the Director of Homeless Services and evaluate uh, if there's a need and a benefit from creating a mobile application to help get the information out to our community of what services are available and to also enhance our communications with those in need, either experiencing homelessness or at risk of experiencing homelessness so they can have better access to our case managers, our officers, and the resources available to the community. 
And then we'll also work to coordinate with other community services um, about quality of life issues, meet with code enforcement, um, public works, and other entities to figure out how we can best utilize our resources to clean up these areas um, where there is blight or quality of life issues. Following, or pardon me, to show if this is successful, what we would like to see is an increase in the percentage of individuals accepting services, whether it's social services, um, housing, shelter, or anything. Just any increase in acceptance of services will be a benefit. Increase the percentage of occupied bed spaces at the Navigation Center. Increase the number of referrals to shelters, housing, and supportive programs. And improve partnerships with our business community. In 90 days, we'd like to come back and provide a recap of our outreach, education, and enforcement efforts, the total cost of our increased engagement activities, bids for the additional vehicles, cost of the mobile services application and status of a program if it is feasible and it would provide value, assess the engagement plan's impacts and identify future needs, and provide an update on the status of any municipal code amendments. Thank you, members. Do you have any questions? Councilman Burns. Chief, who prepared the report? That one that you were at, had to read off. The, that report was prepared by uh, Jason Austin and his staff. Yeah, sorry then for answer what you can then, because I got some questions. Yes. Um, for my quick. Uh, some of my calculations, the $13 million land and building with the 504 um, unduplicated people, that's about 54.25 per person that we spent on that to date. Uh, I'm not too stoked on the pursuit uh, quality trucks. I, we talked about that. I'd suggest maybe we enter into an agreement with uh, Public Works and partner with them with some of that kind of thing. Um, hey, Chief, can you explain what those trucks are for? Yeah, so the trucks are available to, uh, I would like to have one for each squad that is out and available in the community. So when, when our officers are dealing with somebody that has an excess of property that, that sometimes is, is not really sanitary and doesn't have to go into a patrol car, which other people sit in. It's not just that we have other, uh, you know, suspects in cars. We sit, you know, normal, just citizens in cars that, that we're helping out or we're transporting somewhere, and we do a lot of that. I would prefer to have that type of, uh, of property placed into the back of a, of a truck and then transported here to the station because it's a better environment for the station. And the reason for, it's called a pursuit uh, rated truck, but it just means it has the, the lights and siren and, uh, uh, has the ability to uh, to when you have the lights, your ability, you know, you're, you have the ability to uh, put them on so the public can see you when you're dealing with somebody and not and avoid accidents. To clarify what Pat's saying, Pat, you said perhaps Public Works could we could utilize their trucks to do that to pick up things and not occupy the policemen to do that kind of right st things. Okay, that's interesting. Task force type quality. Uh, I mean, is it, is it critical that those trucks have sirens, or I mean, is it more just transportation? So it, it, it's both because if they're out and about and they see somebody that, that's out that needs help, or first they're going to offer services to them, but in the event that there's an incident where they would they would arrest or another unit's having the arrest, they would 
they, they would take that property and move it. And I think there's a value in having the, the red lights and the siren capability. Public Works does help us, and they're, they're always available for encampments or things like that. But I think this is going to be just a general, general patrol type, type vehicle that'll be out and about and readily available 24 7. Okay, another uh, question I had is it says 500 unduplicated served, but we have 55,072 bed nights. Does that mean that of those 504 people, it totaled those nights, 55,000? I know you might not know the exact answer. I have some notes. So it says of 504 unduplicated clients served to date, 305 had one stay in the shelter. The remaining 199 had more than one stay, with the majority entering and exiting between two and three times. So that would make that, uh, that bed night uh, be higher for, because of the duplicate clients. Well, that's why I asked what the 504 unduplicated. Correct. It's kind of... I was like, okay, that means 504 different individuals, I would think. Of, that are, that have been there one time, That correct. have been, yeah, stayed. And that says uh, 71 days average length of stay. Um, that means per individual, so it doesn't it? Correct. 71 days, because if you do the figures, 504 divided, I mean, 55,072 divided by 504, is 109 days per person. And that kind of, I don't know, which is an average of about 77.51 a night, but we'll go on. Uh, let me see what else I got here. It's killing me. But uh, it also shows that with the operate, I don't know, 500 served operation cost plus mercy is divided by the 504, I might be wrong on this, I'm not sure, but $8,470 is what that's costing us with the uh, operation costs and the task force, and that whole program. So that doesn't count outside resources, doesn't count the 2.4 million in Huntington Beach funds for the Quality Inn which is 62 housing units. Does the county, do you know if the county had any input in that, how much they put into that? I do not, I can get back to you with those numbers. All right, well, our, our total is about 40,000 per unit, uh, which is no small piece of change for most people, especially some of those that are working their rears off just to live in this city and not getting this, uh, these paid. Uh, so, do you have do you, how much? Two things. Do you know how much? How many people have died in the tent under Mercy Care's uh, supervision? I mean, uh, Ryan, I know of at least two in December. We've had three death investigations at the Navigation Center. One has been uh, completely investigated by the coroner's office, which was a natural death ruled natural causes. The other two are still under investigation by the coroner's office. All right. And how often does fire go there? You can give me a monthly number. Because is, is that, are those numbers at all, Chief Haverly might be able to throw into that, uh, 
Are those numbers included in our costs? I can say, Chief Haverly, if you don't mind. Oh, Since the Navigation Center opened, the fire department has responded to 281 calls for service at that site. Uh, that's not that bad, given the situation. Not as bad as I was, I, I kind of was led to believe. Mm -hmm. But, uh, well, basically my point is, is that thing is all these, all these funds and all these efforts and just to touch on your matrix for uh, what's going to show improvement with our homeless situation, I would really, to be honest with you, ultimately what would be success is closing that navigation center, minimal people in the beds, uh, et cetera, on those kind of deals. That's what I'd like to see. Less on the streets, less in the tent, less in Huntington Beach. I mean, that would be success. I mean, I'm, it's, I mean, I'm all for helping people, but uh, I worked dope for a long time, and uh, you can't help them until they help themselves. All right. Council, Councilman McKeon. Yeah. I was uh, really hoping Jason Austin would be here um, since he's in charge of this department. There's, I just have a lot of questions. This is really important. This is, uh, there's a lot here. There's a lot of data. It's incumbent upon us to be good stewards of our finances for the city, and a lot of this can get lost in translation um, and confusing with numbers. And so I, maybe it's just appropriate for me to kind of read my concerns, and then Jason Oskin can come back with answers to these questions. I mean, just on the chart alone on page two, you know there's inconsistencies with the asterisk under uh, 2020 and 2021 where it says there's, there was two part-time and one full-time outreach worker, but then the chart says there's two full-time employees. Um, so I'm not sure about the inconsistency there. Um, you know, our administrative costs are a lot, $373,000 for, I think, Jason and his staff. So I'd like to understand what we're getting for those costs. Um, in the chart, 2021, um, how can we have two full-time employees in the Homeless Task Force for $135,000? And then three and a half for $149,000 a year later. So we have three people for... $149,000. To me, that, that doesn't make sense. Um, under the administrative staff, it says implement HB CARES, the volunteer program, which is on the city's website right here. Um, you know, why are, why are volunteers, um, you know, I guess the question is like, how much does this cost for the volunteer program? You know, I've got concerns with volunteers, you know, canvassing the neighborhood around the navigation center um, as ambassadors to the city. This is a very hot button issue in the city, and so I'm concerned that you know our volunteers the best option for this. Um, you know, the county has a system of care, so when we're doing a deep dive on this, I'd like to look at what does the county currently offer, and are we duplicating those efforts? Because you know I don't want to throw good money after bad unless it's being successful, or more importantly, put it on the county when they should be doing these these uh, these you know this should be under their their responsibilities. Um, you know, who are we paying to manage these volunteers? Um, are we taking on liability for these volunteers? We want to really, uh, like Grace and I talked about and we talked about on the campaign trail, we really want to enhance the private sector, the nonprofits, the you know, Serve City, the Trellis Program to really, as uh, Mrs. Atkinson mentioned, you know, bring in the faith-based organizations to help with this uh, outreach and not have to rely on, on paid volunteers. So to me, that's a big thing is can we really bring in the, the private sector to help us with that? You know, what does the three and a half, you know, full-time outreach workers do? Um, have they all been hired 
right? It doesn't seem like they have been. You know, what are their goals and metrics used to measure effectiveness of the money that's already being spent? Um, digging into the homeless task force total outreach contacts. You know, what type of contacts are being included in this total number? Does that include officer contacts, be well data? Is that every time a be well employee talks to them? You know, how do you, how do you explain the dramatic increase from 2021 of, you know, 231, 2,318 contacts, then one year later to 5,479 contacts? So you basically doubled with the same amount of staffing. So in this year, you were showing 400 contacts per month with an out, 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 you know, asterisk showing, saying that uh, outre outreach position workers were vacant. So we doubled the amount of contacts, but those outreach positions were vacant. To me, that doesn't make sense. So if we're comparing apples to apples, I just want to be specific on what data is being included in these accounts. Is it you know, the navigation center, the homeless task force, like be well, what is it? I think it's really important that we, that we fragment these and look at each one individually. Um, and then lastly, just, you know, for the Navigation Center, can we see a calendar of events and services being provided through Mercy House? You know, can we get more transparency? Um, which ones are being provided by Mercy House per agreement? Which services are provided by outside service providers? You know, the whole point is to get people back on their feet and into society, right, and help them out. Um, the 504 persons Pat mentioned, unduplicated serve, seems like a big number. When on page six, under County of Orange initiative, their, count, their county in point time count was 349 in 2019 and 330 in 2022, but yet we have 504 persons. So this data seems high to me. So we're 504 unique individuals with ties to Huntington Beach, right? That's what it's supposed to be. To me, that seems high and inaccurate. So are we or have we ever taken county referrals that don't tie to Huntington Beach? is the county sending individuals to our navigation center. Um, you know, 162 housed by the Homeless Task Force and Mercy House. Can you provide a more detailed breakdown on the difference between the Homeless Task Force and Mercy House? 54 persons held or found employment. You know, what job placement services are being delivered at the navigation center? Um, do you verify they were employed? Um, the next page on Navigation Center exit, you know, housed housing was facilita facilitated by Mercy House and only includes successful or permanent housing placements. Define what successful or permanent housing means. Give us some examples. Um, you know, is the quality in just being used for transitional? Are you putting, putting them in there and counting those numbers? Um, and then, you know, next on Be Well, what hours and days of the week are the vans running? Are they fully staffed? says when they are not taking calls for service, they are doing proactive street outreach. If BWell is being, doing proactive street outreach and the homeless task force case managers are doing proactive street outreach, are they duplicating their services? Could those efforts be better used by someone else for the taxpayer's money? says BWell received 223 calls per month or eight per day. So what is the breakdown on calls coming in versus proactive calls? Eight, eight calls per day does not seem like a lot for the amount of money we're spending on BWell. Assuming they meet someone on the street that needs help getting to the shelter or access to services, who facilitates that? Be well, the homeless task force case manager, and then outside resources. Is the quality in full? You know, where did the residents that are in there, in there now come from? Are they, did they come from our shelter? Did they come from our streets? Did they come from the county? And back to your point, uh, Brian, you know, I think the enforcement is, is a really good start. I like it. Um, and then chief, you know, maybe there's some conversation we could have about kind of what's your wish list on that 500,000, what you need, you know, immediately to help. Can we uh, spread that out over, you know, maybe a couple years, fiscal years? Could we 
work with public works to kind of absorb, you know, some of that cost already and not have so much cash outlay. You know, we're going through uh, rough economic times, I believe, currently and in the future. So we really need to tighten our belt, be, be good stewards of our finances, get creative, save money where we can. So I know that's a lot, but this is a really important issue. It was one of the number one issues that we uh, heard about on the campaign trail. I really think we need to dig into these numbers to really get a, a pure understanding of, of what we're uh, looking at with the data. Thank you. Councilwoman Mosier. Oh, you're not ready yet? Okay. Uh, Councilwoman Vandermark. So, um, Councilmember McKeon asked a lot of the questions that I had. Um, I did have a couple more. Uh, I think we discussed earlier are you differentiating transient versus homeless people that just want to kind of swing by town and move on um, versus somebody that is actually homeless and does have needs that we need to tend to? Um, then I also see here that in 2022, 2023, 92% of the funding will be coming from PLHA. Um, the state will be cutting funding for mental services. Um, do we have any guarantee that the funds will be coming from P? LHA. I will. I will look into that and then report back. Okay, and maybe if you can, if we don't receive, because that's going to be a significant difference. That's ninety-two percent. Um, and if not, then um, where will the funding be coming from if we're not able to receive them from PLHA? Um, also, I'm looking at the ninety-day plan. Um, and I don't see here that we will be enforcing all non-camping laws. Um, could we specify on there whether we will be enforcing the no camping and the loitering laws? Yes, we will. And the additional uh, resources that will uh, that the overtime funds will allow us to have a, a larger presence. Okay. And will we be able? How much of this plan can we get done if we get started with a one-time? a little package off to the side of uh, overtime costs. Um, we need to, I think the three vehicles is much, quite a bit more than we're willing to or able to do right now. Um, but how much can we do with just the options on the left, the one-time overtime costs for 228450 So... What we would be able to do is, is uh, increase the education and awareness in the community. We'd be able to increase the homeless task force officer staffing. We would do the additional dedicated patrols to downtown City Beach and Sunset Beach areas. We would still amend the park-specific regulations and the regulations related to Main Street Promenade. And we would... Uh, uh, look into developing the homeless uh, services app, the app for the, uh, their phones, and we'd still coordinate with city departments to address quality of life issues and public safety concerns. So we would be able to establish a substantial amount of the plan with uh, the overtime. Okay, and another concern is um, we, we spoke earlier um, in one of the meetings that we had, I believe it was called a healing center, about some of the deaths that have happened where we're saying we're enforcing all the laws. However, I know there's a fine line when some of the people that go in there have drugs on them, and we've had several overdoses. I can't imagine that that actually is not traumatizing for the employees or for the people that are actually in there looking for help to have people be allowed in there with some drugs. Um, obviously, they're, getting, they're bringing them in somehow. 
Um, can we get stricter on searching them? Um, I know I was told if we arrest the ones that are showing up with drugs or are in possession of illegal substances, they might not come for help. But it almost seems like if they're coming in there with drugs, it could actually hurt the ones that are actual, actually ready to seek help. Um, and the ones that have them on them are probably not. So are we sacrificing the staff and the trauma that they're going through by watching people die in front of them? Or the people that actually want and need the help, are we sacrificing them for the ones that are just not quite ready yet? So Director Austin and I both started our positions around the same time. And one of the first things we looked at was the security at the Navigation Center and the security procedures they were utilizing upon people entering the location. And we are constantly reviewing that and changing their practices and procedures to help alleviate that or eliminate it. Um, there's always a chance it could get in there, but we're trying our best to work with them and their resources and their security staff to uh, reduce that from happening. Okay, thank you. Councilwoman. So um, a couple of things first, and then I'll go to read my things as well. So um, first of all, before I, I proceed, thank you for all of your hard work, um, both in creating um, this presentation um, and creating the report, um, and also more so all of your um, and all of our team's hard work in uh, doing this very important work in our city. And it is one of the most important things for our entire community. And it's certainly one of the most important things for the people who are out on the streets as well. And for those 162 people who have been housed, this has been a very important impact to those lives as well. Um, I know it's also a deep concern for our community. I would like to say that um, I think that, you know, we have a lot of disagreement, um, but I think that we have a, um, uh, something mutually in common, which is we share the same commitment, which is an outcome to have a healthy, thriving community. And I definitely think that our paths to getting there and our tactics are very different, but hopefully we can all align on the facts. Um, and get to know a little bit more about our system of care here in Huntington Beach. I'm going to go through some of my notes that I wrote down while things were being discussed earlier. One, um, with regards to drugs um, in the shelter, I know that the conversation that we had during our healing center conversation um, included the fact that many of the people, and I don't have a percentage or a specific count, but I'd say maybe even most of the folks that head to of the Navigation Center often have some type of substance abuse disorder. Would that be correct, Lieutenant Smith? Do you think if you were to qualitatively, maybe many? Yes, many. Okay, do. maybe not most. I don't have that number. Um, if we arrest people for having drugs, by the way, the drugs are removed, is that correct, once they're come on site? Correct, any um, drugs, narcotics, illegal substances that are collected by security staff are stored securely, and then our officers go over there, collect them, and ensure it's disposed properly. Okay, and then it was mentioned that um, it would be traumatizing to have people dying in front of them. You mentioned how many deaths have occurred during the multiple year time? Three since the navigation center has opened. And I, I had heard, and I know that it's not confirmed, that perhaps two of those deaths might have been an overdose. Is that? what has been considered, maybe you can't speak to it because it's not confirmed Since in the corner. Since open investigations, I would okay. be comfortable pining. That's fine, thank you very much. Um, also, you know, one of the things that Councilmember McKeon talked about, well actually in going over 
um, a lot of the different um, things, really, I think you identified such an important thing, which is we asked for a comprehensive report on homelessness. And I think that um, staff was given about five to 10 minutes for that presentation each. You cannot have a comprehensive report on homelessness in our system of care, all of the wonderful things that we're doing, the challenges and the gaps that we have as well in that length of time. We need to have much more um, information sharing. We need to have um, multiple study sessions, I believe. Um, we need to have more comprehensive reporting. Also, many of the things that were mentioned by Councilmember McKeon um, have to do with how do we um, define success, how do we define the data. Um, and I think that that's actually really important. We need to have transparency. We need to have, in my mind, and we've discussed this before, a digital dashboard that identifies all of these things. Um, having worked in organizational performance myself in the past and doing these, I know how challenging that is because you do have to come to agreement about what these different data points actually mean. But then you can define them and then you can look back and, and bring people along. Um, so I don't disagree with that. Um, I think it's important to have that. Um, I also think that it will be great to be able to um, welcome Jason Austin here to have a conversation about all of these different efforts that have been going on um, and so that he can do a deep, deep dive with everyone about um, all of the efforts that have previously been done and what's on the horizon as well. I do think it's important to note from what was mentioned earlier that Chief Handy's 90-day plan was in fact not a 90-day plan but was done 90 days before the new navigation center um, to saturate the community and it was really more of an education outreach effort. Is that correct? To my understanding, yes. Okay, thank you. And I won't talk again about Chief Handy's 90-day plan. I'm excited that we're moving forward from that place, um, but I think it's important not to continue a narrative that doesn't exist. Um, with regards now, going back. So again, I already expressed my appreciation for staff. Um, homelessness, as we can all tell, is a very, very complex issue, um, and as I mentioned, it's impossible to present that in its entirety in a comprehensive way in this um, allotted amount of time. With that complexity comes a lot of various different funding sources, which makes it even more difficult to discuss, um, in addition to local and broader legislation within this area. Um, in the last two years, I think it's so important to say that the city in general has made huge strides in reducing homelessness. We have a lot of opportunity to continue to do so. Um, we also need to work on preventing homelessness. We built a shelter, opened the shelter, launched our mobile crisis response efforts, the first in the county to do so with Be Well, and I'm very, it's really one of the most things I'm most proud of um, during my time on council. Working with the private sector, our partners like Be Well, with Jamboree, and also with the county to increase interim supportive housing, which will later become permanent supportive housing. Um, I'd love for staff to come back and kind of go back over all of the funding sources for all of those things. So that way our current council, it's a lot of information, so our current council can understand um, what those plans are, what the programs are, um, and also the costs of those and who's sharing those. Uh, also, they, we've created HB Care as a coordinated volunteer program. Uh, one note that um, Councilmember McKeon mentioned earlier, I think you said, and maybe you didn't mean to say it, that they were paid volunteers. They're not, they're, they're just volunteers, they're not paid. Um, so I think that that's important. And we've heard, um, I've been involved in um, advocating to try to get solutions for homelessness in our city since about 2017. 
Um, and all of the time I've been saying, I, I want the map of how everything works together. I want, I want to understand, and it's been joked about before, but to connect the dots. I want to see what the costs are with everything. I want to see what we can do. During that time, we've talked to a lot of different entities and people throughout the community, many faith-based organizations, service-based organizations, nonprofits, who are doing incredible work. Some of it is duplicative, but that's okay. Um, but they've, they have asked to be able to be more involved. Many have said in the past, if the city had a way for me to get more involved, I, I would. And I think what's so exciting about what's happening now is that the city is really acting kind of not as the hub um, and spoke per se, but really as the connector for all of these people that are already doing the work. And one thing that is important, and I'll bring it up in a bit as well, is all of these people, great organizations, faith-based groups, nonprofits, the city, everyone are doing great work. Um, we are not capturing all of the, the data for all of that excellent work. And I think that that is important to be able to do. We need to, to work on ways to do that. I know the county has been working on, it's, it's difficult to be able to do all that tracking, also to work in between different organizations. Um, some of that is because of privacy issues, some of it's because from the police department can't share outside of the police department, um, but we need to do better with regards to that so we can really see um, how effective all of these efforts are. Um, okay, so. I understand also that every resident here in the community would like to have um, immediate action and immediate solution taken, but there is no quick silver bullet to ending the homelessness crisis. There is no quick silver bullet to ending the homelessness crisis. And I can certainly assure you that more enforcement, while I likely will support the, I, well, number one, I support our homeless task force. I think that the homeless task force has done an absolutely incredible job with our specialized skills and knowledge about all of the connections with working with all the different parts of our local system of care and our county system of care that is so important. I do think that expanding that, um, and I've talked to Brian about this, and you know, he, he's ensured me that it, it will be more helpful to be able to have people seven days a week, and that doesn't exist right now. And so I think that that's important, and I would, I would support that. However, I would not support only looking at enforcement. And I think part of the reason that we're doing that tonight is because the ask was specific really to um, the data, but also really towards a plan of enforcement. And that's what was provided tonight, and, and I understand that that's what was asked for. So tonight's presentation focused mainly on enforcement and policing aspects of the issue. And those are certainly important tools, but again, they're not a silver bullet. Our uniformed our task force does an incredible job, and I thank them, but it only addresses one leg of the stool. If we only have one leg of the stool, we have a failed stool. The great thing about our city right now is we don't only have one leg of the stool. We have all of these different entities that are working together, including uniformed officers, casework, outreach, volunteer, supportive services, private-public partnerships, affordable supportive housing, and on and on. We must continue our efforts focused on solutions that address homelessness with short and long-term solutions that include housing. Moving people around does not bring them closer to resolving their housing situation. Because I've talked with many officers, and, and perhaps you can, I'm trying to think of the way to, to ask this question, um, 
If people are not in the shelter, and I know we talked about the number of calls to the shelter and things like that, um, you know, 300 plus people, 500, uh, you know, uh, non-duplicated non people, how many calls would there be on the street for those individuals if they were not in the shelter? It's, it, you couldn't quantify that. I mean, it would be, in my opinion, it would be significantly more than the calls for service we've had at the Navigation Center. In our conversation, I know you can't specifically quantify it, but it was more of a, you know, kind of a best guess idea. I know we talked about perhaps four calls per person in a month, what might be something or something along those lines. I wouldn't want to speculate okay. on that one. Then that's an opportunity for us to yeah, consider to try to find a way to identify a number for that. And I think that that goes to show, though, we can't speculate on that, but we can't then provide a value to the services that we're providing. We can't say with our crystal ball, because I've had people also say to me, if we've done nothing, let me rewind. What is, we want to see success. If we want to see success, what does that look like? And my response to that person, and this might sound flippant and I don't mean it to be, is look around. Because if the navigation center wasn't there, we would not be able to enforce our anti-camping and anti-loitering laws. When Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark mentioned that, are we going to do that? You already answered, Chief. Of course we're doing that. Having more officers will allow us to do that in addition. But we're, we've, our officers have always been enforcing these laws. Is that correct? Correct. Thank you, Chief. Um, the other thing that Councilmember Burns mentioned was um, he'd like to close the Navigation Center. You know, one thing I'll say to that, if we had no homeless people in our community, we would have the ability to no longer have a shelter. I would prefer not to have a congregate shelter. I'd, I'd prefer to have people living under roofs and in housing. But that's not the situation that we're living in, and we need to deal in reality for right now. This plan fails to address the causes and solutions to the homelessness crisis. We can't just move people around. However, I do think that it does address one piece of it. And I'm sorry, I know I'm taking a long time, but I've been also working on this for a really long time, and it's important to me. So thank you for letting me have, have this time. Um, hold on one second, please. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so does enforcing our anti-camping laws um, decrease homelessness? Chief. Can you repeat that? Sure. Please? Does enforcing our anti-camping laws decrease homelessness? If we enforce the anti-camping laws and we place them in the navigation center, then that person's not on the street. When you enforce anti-camping laws, is it always um, the result, is it always to go to the navigation center? No. Okay. So if somebody goes into jail, what is the cost of um, one night in jail, approximately? I'll have to look up the, okay. the new numbers for you. Thank you. And, and I didn't ask this in advance, so yes. I apologize about that. Really, I'm just looking at there's a lot of different costs at play, and I think we have to do some comparisons to things, um, including the cost of a night in the shelter versus the cost of the, the calls for service. Um, all of these different things, they're, they're very important. Finally, you know, how do we define success? There is a slide, and there's so many more things I could say, but how do we define success? There's a slide with metrics on here. 
that has no numbers, no specifics. And I appreciate an, an increase, and I think that they're important things to look at. But I think that it's important to look at very specific metrics, not only for us, not only for our staff and our team, but for the community to be able to follow. Are we successful? If we're going to have, we're going to be investing in, in all of these different efforts. If they are, if we have metrics that show whether they're succeeding or not, we can determine if we want to continue to contribute more resources to those, or if we need to pivot, because not everything is going to be a success. And that's okay too, but we need to be able to have that data. And we also need to define what do we consider success. For me, it's that homelessness is rare, brief, and non-recurring. I don't, if somebody's out there on the streets, I don't want them to be out there for a long time. I want them to get through the services, receive services, receive mental health services, um, and be able to then have, be in housing. And I, if it happens again, like one thing that we don't know about, and this is a challenge that's broader than just our city, if people, and uh, Mayor Pro Tem um, Vandermark mentioned this too, like what happens after people leave the shelter? Right? If they're in housing, what happens? Um, I would hope that, our, that we can get more access to county data and our HMIS system to be able to see by name data on each individual to follow them along the system. And it's challenging because people are transient to some extent and people might be from Huntington Beach and then go elsewhere. But the county is the one that has a lot of this data and we have access to HMIS. We have access to the HMIS system partially because we have non-uniform people and caseworkers doing this work. If we only had the police doing it, they would not give us access. So I think that's another important piece too. So as we move forward, again, I think that we share the same commitment. We want the same outcome of healthy, thriving community that includes all of our residents. Um, but we need to define what are the metrics of success and of effectiveness. And if we are going to invest in our policing efforts, we should also continue to invest in housing and supportive services efforts and really look beyond all that we're doing, continue to work on our private partner relationships. Um, you know, those are the things that are going to help us move more quickly. We can't do everything ourselves, but we can rely on those relationships with Jamboree, with Bewell, with the county to help us move along. And I do think that on many of these things, I am, it's important that we look at sustainability for Bewell. I think that there is more money coming. I think so many of the residents have utilized those services. It's important to know that that's not just for the homeless, it's for the entire community. And I know many, many people in the community who have accessed that. And so um, I do hope that we can move forward beyond talking points, beyond political theater, so we can have real, informed, comprehensive discussion and actually get to our mutual goal. Thank you. So I would like to, we have, a, we have a long agenda. I would like just to do a couple um, quick questions. Um, <clears throat> recently I was speaking to a, a school, and I talked about the differences between the forms of government, city, county, state, federal. <clears throat> uh, traditionally, is this a county issue or a city issue? Traditionally. Who, who's responsible for homelessness? Is it usually the county or is it usually the city? I, I'm asking the, the traditionally. I'm sure I'm not sure I understand who, what the who's, question is. Whose responsibility to homelessness yeah to fund homelessness. Traditionally, uh, is it the county or cities that have been responsible for getting homeless off the street? I'm not aware of the funding sources for that. 
Okay. Well, okay. From today. It's the county. Yeah. It's the county. It is the county. Yes. Thank you. Traditionally, as of today, how much has Huntington Beach spent on homelessness? Anybody want to take a crack? Do you have a ballpark? Anybody have a ballpark number? City manager, do you have a ballpark number? Would it be fair to say in the millions? Sure. Would it be fair to say in the millions? Over 20, 30, more? Okay, around 20. How many people have we got off the street so far with the $20 million? 162 people? Is that about right? 162 housed. 162 housed. So we, we have a city that's a county responsibility has now spent a little over $20 million to get 162 people off the street. Is that about right? I okay. think that we need to look at the data and actually provide oh, the correct calculation. I'm, I'm just, serious. I, I want to know kind of where we are. And, then, and, and when we talk about success, we also have to talk about the hardworking taxpayers of Huntington Beach that spend the money on these programs. And if we're going to spend $20 million, I would venture to say if we give a private charity you know, $5 million, they can actually probably do a better job because they're more efficient. But um, getting back to goals of uh, enforcement, I, I think enforcement's imperative. You, you, you know, Councilwoman, you had a long time, but you mentioned cost. You know, what's the cost of housing? Uh, what's the cost of housing a homeless person? What's the cost of the business that has a homeless person in front of that business day in and day out where the consumer doesn't go into that business? That's, that's the, you know, we have to look at the whole picture here. And uh, I, I do think there, that this council is it's miles apart about what we think is success. So I'm actually looking forward to our retreat where all seven of us can get together and start talking because um, where we are today, I, I just don't see that anywhere near an action item being moved forward uh, unless I'm wrong. Yeah. So um, that's all I have to say on this matter. Uh, Councilwoman, oh, Councilwoman uh, Vandermark. So Councilman Member Mosers, we're doing the fact that what we ask for has a very strong focus on enforcement. There is a reason for that. The reason is that success is not just helping the homeless person. Success is also helping the rest of the residents. Success to me is for children to not have to see people shoot up on Main Street. Success for me is for not having, making it the norm for moms to sweep the sand before they take their children out on the playground. Success is for the business owners on Main Street to not get sexually assaulted, which has happened by the homeless people. Success is for our visitors and our tourists to not be accosted, which just has happened recently as well. Success is for us to be able to go into the parking structure without being afraid because there are four or five homeless people just loitering, following you out to the elevator. Success means everybody benefits from this. And there is no focus on our community. There is no focus on the women, the children, or even our visitors. We rely on tourism. Many don't want to come back because of what they see downtown. We need to revitalize downtown. We need to control the homeless situation. And we need to make sure that every single resident in Huntington Beach, that their concerns matter just the same. Homeless, moms, children, business owners, that is success. We don't hyper-focus on just one. And a lot of the residents, 
approximately 80 or 90 that have complained to us feel unheard because our focus is so, it's just, just on what do the homeless people want? Thank you. It's so narrow. There is a lot more to Huntington Beach and there is a lot more to success than spending $20 million on 162 people. Members, I would... I would that success members, will also get us sued. Uh, members, members, I, I, I would, uh, as mayor, say we have a long agenda. We've been on this item for quite a while. Um, do we hear any motions? If not, can we move on? Yeah, I'll, I'll, okay. yeah just real quick, tying it up. Um, my comment about the volunteers being paid, I meant who, what are we paying to manage the volunteers? Uh, clarity for the former chief who is not here to defend himself. His 90-day plan was not just education, it was also enforcement. Um, I think it's critical, and we've, I've talked to him frequently, is like, how do we recapture our public space for its intended use? You know, restoring, restoring public space for the people and the residents. That's what it's all about. And Chief, if you don't mind, just indulge us real quick uh, about what your thoughts on the parks and kind of tighten up the ordinances and what that means to kind of recapture our public space. So the uh, park ordinances, we are going to look at... Uh Amending those to include, hold on one second, I have it uh, right here. So what we're going to do with the parks is we're looking to prohibit uh, unpermitted enclosed tents, the enclosed tents. We're looking to restrict the use of uh, barbecues and fires uh, similar to beach regulations and, and prohibit fires during uh, times of increased fire danger. We're looking to prohibit stall obstructions and require head-in parking in the no-fee stalls. That's for the uh, parks. For the uh, main promenade parking structure, we're looking to uh, amend uh, the uh, municipal code to prohibit smoking in the structure, to prohibit loitering without reason, to prohibit sitting or lying in hallways, walkways, public areas, stairwells, etc., and to prohibit interfering with the operation of public restrooms. Nice. Thank you. And then real quick, Chief, just on the... the yeah, you can clap for that. Just on the business owners with those affidavits we had talked about for trespassing and loitering. And, it's, and this doesn't always have to obviously be with homelessness, but just trespassing and vagrancy. Just kind of walk the community through that real quick. So that's part of the overtime operation is what we'll do is we'll outreach to businesses and we will go out and make sure that the uh, businesses are aware of the uh, trespassing forms and that we have a letter of agency on file so that in the event there is trespassing, whether it's homeless or not, right. that we're able to uh, make arrests uh, with or without the business owner present. Perfect. Thank you. So there's a lot here, like I said, a lot to unpack. I make a motion that we uh, table this for Jason Austin to come back and provide details about all the questions that we've all asked. Um, and also for Chief, if you could come back with a little bit streamlined uh, proposal for maybe this year, what you think is kind of critical. Um, you know, I know it was, you have like the, your total goal, but if we can kind of streamline it and then maybe uh, get creative with public works to lessen the, the cost on our general fund. I'll second that. I'd like to make a substitute motion. Okay, go ahead. I'd like to make a substitute motion that we do all that you just said, but we bring it back as a study session um, and give it its due time. I think it, it should take more time than we're, we've been allotting it. Well, um, Councilwoman, would you be amenable to saying we just meet with the chief in between uh, three, two, and two study session instead of all of us doing a study I think, session? I think no, I think it's definitely for the community that I want to hear. Every, okay. the, I all think right. we should do that too. Um, don't get me wrong, actually. I think that would also be good. I think we should do both. Let's all amend it again. Um, I think that we should do a study session um, with what Councilmember McKeon had said 
table the items as discussed, and also um, proceed with additional briefings of uh, council members in a three, two, and two um, method or order um, with all of the various parts of our homeless system, uh, police included, um, and also the other parts of our system of care. Just a point of clarity, though, I would, I would like the chief to move forward with the ordinances on the enforcement mechanism so we're not wasting time. I could say, um, if I could yeah. have a friendly amendment potentially, yeah. is that we do a study session with potentially having the item later agendized in the regular meeting for we can at least start with the discussion. We can do up, up front it with the, the municipal code changes and we have, get a bunch of questions answered and then take bits and pieces at the, at the end of the meeting. So I come back in like a month maybe? Or yeah, as soon as possible. Yeah, I, we, what, I don't know what our study session calendar looks like going forward. But, yeah. yeah, as soon as possible. Is that doable too? As soon as possible. Yeah. I'm good with that. Right. We're good with that. Um, clerk, do you well, get that? Second. Uh, I would prefer like a, a date. Could we put a date on the calendar for this? First meeting in March. Yeah, last, last meeting in February. Last meeting, uh, I believe. First meeting in March, I think. Is like Either the last meeting in February or first meeting in March. I think it's February 21, right? February 21 or March 7. Let's, let's say February 21. Yeah, let's make a goal. Let's push. It's a top issue for the... Is that fine with staff? February 21? We, we so will work I have... I, will that be all right, February 21? Okay. I just want to make sure there's not already a study session scheduled. Oh, oh okay. If there isn't. We can work yeah, I don't that. have that master calendar on my iPad but, right here, but um, we we'll, can look we'll at say if that, there that's is. the goal. If not, we'll do the first uh, meeting in March. Okay, very okay. good. And then, um, so I had Councilmember McKeon and um, Vandermark as the second, and then we had friendly amendments. Or are we doing a it's substitution? Been moved, it's been moved as a substitute motion by okay, uh, Mr. Kalman. Okay, that's fine. Clarified uh, the most. Mosier. And then, and then Mosier. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go with Mosher's substitute motion that incorporated the first right. with her changes and you seconded it, correct? Council Member Kalmet? Kalmet got some amendments. Yeah, I just had, a, had, a, I had a friendly yeah. amendment, I think, to the first motion. Okay. Um, but I friendly, think just add the friendly amendment to Ms. Mosher's amendment and then we can move forward. We can move forward. Clerk, call the roll, please. All right. Council Member Kalmet? Aye. Mosher? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Yes. Bolton? Yes. Burns? Aye. All right. So the new motion is approved 7-0. Thank you. Uh, members, we're now on item 19. Um, Assistant City Manager Hopkins, please introduce your item. Thank you, Mayor and City Council members. This item is consideration of Orange County Power Authority's default rate selection um, for city um, rate payers and um, the city municipal account um, rate selection tonight. This um, item started in December um, 20th. Um, there was an item brought forward by council to um, evaluate the tiers of, of power that was provided to, provided by OCPA and have um, the option for council to select a different um, item. And I'm gonna give a little bit of background. Um, um, 
the City of Huntington Beach joined the Orange County Power Authority, um, now known as OCPA, in December of 2020 and confirmed joining as a founding member in February of 2021. OCPA is a Community Choice Energy or a Community Choice Aggregation, CCA or CCE, that provides the ability uh, for local agencies through Assembly Bill um, 117 in 2002, the ability to provide um, the option for communities to purchase um, power generation. On February 1st, the city selected options for Huntington Beach OCPA um, for the default rate for members within the um, city boundaries, as well as the city municipal energy accounts. And for both of them, the city selected in um, February 1st of 2022, the 100% renewable choice. OCPA launched the services for commercial customers in April of last year, and, um, and that included the municipal accounts and, um, and residential services starting in October of last year. There is some phasing in of, of members. Um, those with um, solar are, are phased in over the next, this coming year. Um, on the, um, and, and as discussed at the um, December City Council meeting, 20th City Council meeting, the council directed staff to come back um, at this meeting, providing options and information um, for Huntington Beach to change the Huntington Beach default rate for new OCPA customers from the 100% renewable choice to the basic choice and, from, and to, ch to consider changing Huntington Beach municipal accounts, the city accounts, from the 100% renewable um, to the OCPA basic choice. Additionally, the City Council requested that um, staff return and present um, information on the process and options for the City to consider withdrawing from OCPA, and that will um, occur on a future date um, in February. Um, the City Manager and I met with OCPA to discuss the options and the process to make these changes that just discussed. and. Um, and through this city council meeting or another city council meeting, the city may um, provide direction to staff um, through a council vote um, to select one of the three options um, for both the default rate for um, residents within the residents and businesses within the city of Huntington Beach, Huntington, Huntington Beach, and also the municipal rates which city pays for their municipal accounts. Um, in discussion with OCPA, um, typically they're able to um, make those changes after they receive that this information, the vote of the council, um, and once that's submitted to them, they can um, usually complete that in one full billing cycle, which is typically 60 days um, for both rates. Um, with the recent changes, um, there's rate changes by SCE as well as OCPA starting um, in 2023. And um, currently the, the um, basic choice for um, OCPA has been set at 2% below comparable SCE rates. Um, and um, every time there's a rate change, uh, the, either the investor-owned utility or um, a CCE, like OCPA, are required to prepare a joint rate comparison, which it will be sent to all customers. That'll be coming out in the coming months. Um, the city has um, uh, 462 municipal accounts 
that's are currently on the 100% renewable rate and, the, and if the city moves to the basic choice, there's an estimated savings of $234,830 um, annually. That's approximately about a 13% um, uh, savings. Um, the new, and as you see, the new SCE rates, um, you see the OCPA basic choice is set at 2% of this, 2% uh, savings from the standard SCE rate, and then the select choice is um, one cent per kilowatt hour um, higher than the basic choice, and then the, and the um, renewable, 100% renewable is um, 15 cents um, kilowatt hour above the basic choice. With that, the city council has the choice on um, both of these, both the, um, the basic, the um, default rate for OCPA customers in Huntington Beach, as well as the city municipal count options, and those options are available, are, are here for you to choose from, and I'm available for answer any questions you may Thank have. Thank you, Councilman McKeon. Yeah, I'd like to make a motion that we set the default rate to basic choice for OCPA new customers and also basic choice for the municipal accounts. It's been seconded by Pat Burns. Councilman Kalmick. Thank you. Um, as I think I brought up before when this item was, I have concerns that um, we may run afoul of our uh, environmental document we passed um, as part of the general plan with the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Program. Um, under CEQA, we stated that we, have, we will meet our greenhouse gas goals under state law by a different, different margins, one of them being a potential CCA offering certain rates and certain um, uh, energy mixes, one of which being um, you know, certain percentage of customers would select 73, or excuse me, would select a, some sort of renewable above 35%, and a certain percentage would select 100% renewable. Um, if that's not a concern, um, I mean, I still think that we don't, we potentially have some exposure there, but um, the other uh, issue I think would be to potentially granularly look at our bills. We have probably 20 different tariffs on the commercial side, including streetlights, um, some of which those rates are actually quite competitive at the 100% renewable rate. Um, and so it would be, I, I think, just going with a, a sledgehammer here to take all the rates may I don't know. I think those are some spots where we're actually cheaper than Edison in certain areas at the power authority. So that was just, I wanted to at least flag those concerns, but I don't think I've got the votes. So um, that's, that's it. But, well, no, again, we're just, we're just setting the default rate. I mean, residents can still move up the, the different pricing options. That's right? correct. I mean, just, I'm, just, I'm and, speaking more yeah, for, just for, sure. the, for the city rates. For sure. It's, you know, discussion for this tough economic well. times, and we're going to you know, save 234000 that maybe we can allocate towards you know, the homeless topic that we just talked about with that budget. Or, so. or it's savings in a, in a tough economic exactly. environment for hardworking families. Right. I so, just, I just, I just where we have exposure for, for going against what our general sure. plan okay. says. Sure. So it's been moved. It's been seconded. Clerk, call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick. No. Mosier. No. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Yes. Bolton. No. Burns. Aye. All right. It's a four-three vote with Councilmembers Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton voting no. Thank you, uh, members. We're on item number twenty. Uh, City Attorney Gates, please introduce the item. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so on December 20th, 2022, at the Council Meeting Council, uh, directed the City Attorney to come back with an ordinance amending Chapter 2 of the Huntington Beach Municipal Code, um, amending the ordinance that controls contribution limits. Uh, thank you, Mr. Schooley, if you could zoom in on that, if that's possible. Uh, and so the text of the draft 
is presented on the screen. Uh, it's a simple one paragraph, and it basically uh, amends the code uh, and the ordinance um, to track the state limits. So if those go up or down, ours goes up and down as well. Thank you. Um, I'd like to move the item. I'll second. It's been moved. It's been seconded. Councilman Kelly. Apologies. I just want to flag that this is um, extremely odd that there is no staff report, no analysis by professionals. Council member items in the past have always been direction to staff to come back and have professional analysis of council member policies. There's nothing in there. I don't even know what the rates are going to be. Like, there's no staff report in here saying what the rates are. I heard, I got an email saying they're going to be 5,500. I got an email saying they're going to be 4,900. I have no idea what the context is. We got an email asking, are the rates going to be, which state person are they? It's the state legislature? Is it it, the it's, state? It's assembly and senate limits. Right, but that's not what the ordinance says. It says for state candidates. Does that mean the governor? That, that is state candidates. Those are state yeah. candidates. Well, what's the governor? Well, the governor is a specific item that's not part of, it's gubernatorial. It's called gubernatorial limits. And okay. then you have statewide limits. Sure. And then these are state legislative sure. limits. Sure. But like if somebody goes back and takes a look at this in a while, um, there's no context. So you have to go back two meetings to find out what the H item is. Yeah, I mean, it, I just, it's just weird that there's not an analysis that says here's the government code section that sets this at the, federal, at the state level. Here's what the current rates are. Here's where you go look them up. Like it's. Okay. That's duly noted, but yeah. this is direction directly from council to me to draft the ordinance. Correct. So, uh, the, I guess the assumption was that everybody did their homework and understood what the issue was um, when I was directed. So this is what I came back with. This is what I was directed to do. I, uh, next time I can provide more information, but when council votes to direct me to draft an ordinance, I'm just drafting the ordinance based on the direction I was given. So that's precisely what I, I mean, did. I mean, we've had you directed you to draft resolutions and ordinances before. There's generally a staff report that goes Well, th along. there's no hiding the ball. All this is public information. Sure, it's just State the fact candidates. that we've got residents that may not pay be like have paid attention to the last meeting just saw this one and now we're wondering what this item is there's just there's no staff report and i think that going forward and obviously i'm going to have the same com the same uh comments for the next item as well okay so clerk uh, it's been moved it's been seconded oh go ahead yeah so um you know for the reasons i stated before i'm not going to support this item if we have concerns about uh, money from outside the city pouring in um to fund candidates for city elections, and the concern is about independent um, expenditure packs. You know, there's more than one way to get at that, and doing it by Jack in the in, uh, contribution limits up to $5,000 is a really indirect way of getting at the packs. So that's it. Clerk, it's been moved, it's been seconded. Call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick? No. Mosier? No. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Yes. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. It passes. Uh, it passes 4-3 with council members Kalmick, Mosher, and Bolton voting no. And I need to read for the record the title of ordinance number 4276, an ordinance of the city of Huntington Beach amending chapter 2.07 of the Huntington Beach Municipal Code relating to campaign reform. Thank you. Thank you. All right, members, we're now on file item number 21. Uh, City Attorney Gates, please introduce this item. Thank you, Mayor. Again, on December 20th, uh, 2022, at the Council Meeting Council, directed City Attorney to amend Chapter 1 on, of the Huntington Beach Municipal Code uh, to uh, add a ban to anonymous uh, complaint lodging uh, by the public to the city um, against businesses and alleged violations of uh, Huntington Beach Municipal Code. Um, so the text, again, is presented on screen. 
Um, and as I stated on the previous item, directly or you know exactly as the uh, council directed um, at the last meeting. Great. I'd like to move that item. It's been moved by Strickland, second by Burns. Sorry, Mayor. <laughs> no, uh, Councilman Kelly. I have a again that there's no staff analysis, and this is a different complaint because we received threat of litigation from the ACLU. Uh, and we had two concerns from our bargaining units, both of which asked for meet and confer. And generally speaking, when we get letters from potential litigants or even our, our own uh, employees uh, with questions or concerns about this, there's generally a staff analysis saying, yeah, we don't have any problems with the ACLU on this letter. Um, we've talked to the uh, labor unions uh, and they're fine. We did receive um, uh, an additional letter from them as part of this meeting as well. And again, that's not been addressed. And so as I guess, um, I don't see anybody from HR here, but maybe the city manager can well, if, ask if, that. If I could comment on it first and then um, I'm happy to, uh to defer to city manager. Uh, so first of all, on the ACLU letter, I already commented on it at the last meeting. I didn't. I, I, I mentioned publicly that I read the letter. I didn't see anything in there that was of any significant concern. Um, it was grounded in free speech. There's no particular free speech right that I know of in any statute or case law for um, lodging complaints against businesses. Um, so that's point one. Point two, um, with regard to the bargaining units, they did express concerns. Um, I met with them, we met with them, um, and that was recently, um, past, I don't know, 24 hours, 48 hours, um, and alleviated their concerns that, um, about what this was about. In fact, much of it was a misconception um, because they were saying things about the ordinance that wasn't in the ordinance, and I presented the plain language of the ordinance, and then they were, you know, they corrected themselves. So. Um, the, the meet and confer um, has been dealt with, and the additional letter with regard to additional meet and confer had to do with a different topic, not this one. So, thank you. So that would have been nice to have been in a supplemental communication staff report for future. That, that's news, you know, all I have is the information that they've, that the, they've gotten letters from the, the, them. Um, with regard to PD on this item, um, or even fire, the fire investigators or arson investigators, um, are they gonna have to come down? Um, and if they, you know, I talked to a police officer and asked, hey, do you make code enforcement complaints as part of your job? He's like, I do. So are they gonna have to come down, show ID, and fill out a form that's CPRable? So, uh, it, no. Um, city, and this was made clear uh, to all the, the, the units with regard to city employees. City employees simply, if they're gonna lodge a complaint against a business, they simply identify who they are. There is already built into that revealing their name um, that there, we can follow up and find out you know, more information about the complaint. So they're already identifying themselves, they're already in our system. This is about, and it says it, plain language of the ordinance, the public reporting and individuals reporting, they're prevented from filing anonymous complaints. Um, and you know, I took a sample from uh, you know, other city employees about what they're you know, complaining about. And you know they're not really complaining about businesses when they're when they're going onto MyHB and they're reporting something. It's hey, you know, there's a swarm of bees on this field. We need to come take a look at it. Or there's a crack in a sidewalk. Those are not businesses. This is very narrow, um, pursuant to the H item. I think the H item was pretty clear, and I think this is consistent with the H item that was presented. This is about businesses. This is about Huntington Beach Municipal Code violations or alleged violations. This is not about ABC license uh, infractions. This is not about uh, state penal code violations. This is not about bees in parks or cracked sidewalks or falling trees. This is about businesses, anonymous complaints against businesses for Huntington Beach Municipal Code violations. That shrinks this universe of complaints 
to like a very, very small universe. So um, a lot of the concerns through discussion with um, representatives of the employees have been alleviated, have been allayed. So, okay. um, so you pulled you pulled the building the building department provided a report of all of the code enforcement violations I went last year off of what the representatives from the units represented to me in our discussions. Okay, and, and look. This is, this is, I, I, I understand. Th uh, that's, that's, this, I totally understand. This just, is not just, initiated by the city attorney. Okay, so this is initiated by council. So I understand. I just wanted to you understand can the, direct probably most of your questions to the council that brought the H item in the first place. I just wanted to, well, you wrote the ordinance, so I just wanted to understand what edge cases we'd hit. So if, Pursuant if, if to a the police charter. officer has to make a complaint against them, this ordinance says that they must come in and file a complaint showing their driver's license and provide information that would be a public record. Okay, I, so it's just, I already okay. responded to your question. Councilwoman Bolton. Yeah, so Mr. Uh, Mr. Gates, I'm looking at the text of the ordinance, and okay, so you're saying that it specifies that um, it's reporting complaints by the public as opposed to city so, employees. So it, it simply bans anonymous reporting. Mm -hmm. We know if Officer Tom reports something to code enforcement, we know Officer Tom, that can't be anonymous. We don't know somebody from the public calling in. We don't know who they are until they verify who they are. And actually, really from a prosecutorial standpoint, when my code enforcement cases go to court, which they have in the past, I can't take evidence to court that was submitted by somebody anonymously. So it actually, this wasn't brought up in the H item, but it actually, from a, like a chain of custody or authentication or, or you know, so, uh, providing a foundation for the evidence, it actually is extremely helpful. We don't want anything anonymous in my cases that go to court. We have to be able to have declarations and witnesses testify and put their name to it. That's how we get evidence in front of a court or a jury. So I'm just saying it just simply prevents anonymous reporting. Officers are not anonymous. I mean, we know who they are. People who call in are anonymous. Or if they go onto an app online and fill something in, if they're not required to put in their name or identification, they are anonymous, and it simply prevents the anonymous reporting. Okay, the average member of the public is not going to know that from just reading this. I understand what you're saying. Um, so, uh, th again, that's another reason why it would be helpful to have some type of analysis to, you know, as backup for this, so the, p the average member of the public who's reading this can understand what all of that means. So, thank you. Clerk, call the roll. It's been moved by uh, myself, seconded by Mr. Burns. Uh-huh. Councilmember Kalmick. No. Mosher? No. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Yes. McKeon? Aye. Aye. Bolton? No. Burns. Aye. Passes 4-3 with Council Members Cal McMosher and Bolton voting no. I'll read for the record the title of Ordinance Number 4277, an ordinance of the City of Huntington Beach amending Chapter 1.18 of the Huntington Beach Municipal Code relating to anonymous complaints. All right, members, now we're on item 22. It's my item. Uh, what this would do is uh, the recommended action would be direct staff to work with the Community and Library Services Commission and leadership of the Greater Huntington Beach Interfaith Council to develop a proposal for a public memorial honoring Don McAllister on Tower Zero. Uh, it will return back to the City Council within 90 days to present a proposal for consideration. Second. I'll second it. Okay. 
Been moved, seconded. Clerk, call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick? Aye. Mosier? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? Yes. Burns? Aye. All right, we're on a roll. Members, item number 23, submitted by Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. You'd like to open this item? So during the COVID-19 pandemic, and in the interest of accommodating small businesses and public during the COVID-19 shutdown throughout the city, the city, allowed, the city council allowed restaurants on Main Street and other nearby areas to expand their outdoor seating, such as public rights-of-ways, um, for use. This expansion included shutting down and completely cutting off the second block on Main Street to vehicular travel in favor of businesses. Additionally, some tenants expanded onto private property beyond approval or permits. This expansion served as two purposes, to assist the small business in continuing revenue generation during the pandemic, but also to allow safe outdoor healthy dining and retail shopping to reduce the spread of COVID-19. However, we're now in 2023. The COVID-19 pandemic is over. The downtown small businesses are still occupying the same expanded outdoor dining in retail areas on public property. And on the streets of the second block of Main Street, it remains closed. There are efforts to pursue plans to revitalize Main Street downtown, but the current outdoor dining and retail expansion, including the second block closure, is not warranted any longer. It brought with it a lot of avoidable blight, causing an increase in transient occupation and created an increase in health and safety concerns. The recommended action is to direct the city manager to work with staff to give downtown businesses on Main Street who are occupying public areas with outdoor dining and retail instead of 30 days, i actually like to amend that till March 1st, um, notice to remove all expanded outdoor dining and return Main Street to its pre-COVID-19 state. This reversal of the outdoor dining and retail expansion by small businesses will remain until the city council makes a decision about a long-term revitalization plan. Additionally, direct the city manager to require tenants to have an expanded public rights-of-way nearby Main Streets as well as on private property to scale back to approved patio areas until they are permanently permitted for expansion. Lastly, direct the city manager to reinstitute parking meters to their pre-COVID state on Main Street as well. We anticipate that this restoring of Main Street downtown to its pre-COVID state will require support of community development, community and library services, and the police department and public works. I'd like to second that as amended. Members, do you have any comments? Yeah, I just want to make a couple quick comments. Yeah, I just want to commend uh, Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Um, of all the issues that we're focused on, one of the most uh, combustible is Main Street. There's a lot of uh, high emotions down there, and Gracie took it on. Uh, she stuck her neck out. She walked every single business uh, the last few weeks to talk with them, reach out to them, <clears throat> leave their card, leave her card uh, to meet with them to understand their concerns. Um, there's been some statements made that we don't, you know, by if we open it up, we don't support business. Couldn't be further from the truth. We're trying to find a solution that benefits every single business on Main Street. Um, you know, the last two years exposed some deficiencies and also presented some opportunities. And so it's time to have like an adult conversation about this. You know, this haphazard, what we have now is just not acceptable. Um, you know, we need a level playing field for all the businesses. Um, you know, we want great circulation on every single block, first up through fourth. Uh, we've talked about um, revitalizing the entire Main Street, Fifth Street, um, you know, maybe creating a, a path of connectivity from Pacific City, um, well-lit path. 
better signage. Like we want Main Street to be as vibrant as possible so all our businesses are ex extremely successful. And so we just need consistency. Right now there is no consistency. Um, we don't have permits. It's very unsanitary. unsanitary. Um, there's, you know, some of these business owners signed leases years ago based on the street being open. And so is it fair to them? Um, you know, we have ADA concerns. We have zoning violations. And also <clears throat> ABC uh, and the Coastal Commission are coming down with regulations this summer um, that's going to affect outdoor seating, you know, alcoholic beverages, et cetera. That's going to be imposed on us. So let's jump on it now. Let's get ahead of it. So there was concerns from business owners that they don't want to disrupt their summer season. Well, if ABC comes in or the Coastal Commission comes in and disrupts their summer business, that's a concern. So let's jump on it now. Let's be prudent. Let's take the right approach. Um, so what we're trying to do is just, you know, have everyone's best interest be measured. We've, we've talked with staff already in the community development about using the plans that Studio 111 already drafted, using our survey we've done, kind of tweaking it, you know, with staff to maybe make, make sure we have some, um, the right width we need and some plans going forward. But we're committed to jumping on this quickly for everybody. And if there's, you know, current encroachment permits on the west or north side of Main Street that exist, you know, we want to ensure you guys have maximum outdoor seating. And if you don't have an encroachment permit, like, like the wine merchant, you know, we make a commitment to help you streamline that as well so that we, everyone can be successful while we work towards a long-term reasonable solution that benefits everybody. And Madam Clerk, it's been moved by uh, Vandermark, seconded by Strickland. Uh, please call the roll. Um, oh, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't see you, Ray. <laughs> I was looking at you guys. I didn't see anything. So go ahead, Councilman. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, this was, uh, I mean, we went back and forth on this multiple times since uh, I got on council. Um, we've heard from a lot of folks. Um, you saw the emails today. We had a, two dozen emails, maybe, of support for keeping it closed. Every resident that I've talked to loves it closed. You're going to have some, a lot of the businesses that came down today uh, had some mutual um, acquaintances uh, with, uh, with Bob Bolin, um, who has been a vocal um, advocate for keeping um, all three blocks open. Uh, and ma building maximum parking for 4th of July. Uh, Bob and I have had uh, a long conversation about this. And, uh, you know, being the son of a Main Street proprietor uh, in Seal Beach for you know, business 50 years, I know what it's like to um, be part of a business that has three blocks that dead end in the Pacific Ocean. You know, it's, it's not promenade that parallels the beach where you've got side streets. But with COVID, we finally stopped uh, banging our head against the wall saying, what's it going to be like if we close it? We should close it. We closed it. Um, and yeah, it's a hodgepodge mishmash of stuff. And we've been um, somewhat shortchanged, I think, by not getting better policy downtown to quantify it. But that was the Studio 111 plan. And I think there was some discussion of, well, we're so close to being able to kick this off. Why are we going to go do it this way and that way? Um, this seems like the, the issues that are addressed in the item are for things that are fixable, right? It's, it's fixing the problem rather than uh, taking an simp overly simplistic solution, which is just get rid of it. Um, try to address the complex problem. Coastal Commission's gonna come at it. We have parking removal uh, conveniently at First and Atlanta. That's actually a temporary parking lot. Um, and so we could actually convert that to permanent parking if we needed to, to address the one-for-one -one parking deficit that would happen there. But I guess the bigger question is uh, two twofold. It's like, why do we wanna subsidize private vehicle storage on public property? because um, that's what we'll be doing by, by adding parking back. Um, the parking meters are not intended to make money, just as street sweeping is not intended to make money. The parking meters are intended to turn spots. 
um, just as street sweepings is there to help us meet our um, discharge permit so we don't put t hundreds of tons of trash into the ocean every year. And so people will move their cars. If we didn't do it, they wouldn't, they wouldn't move their cars and people would camp out. Um, so I just look at it as the second block could be absolutely cleaned up. We've seen some visioning plans from Studio 111. We did our, our downtown community meetings to discuss what, what neighbors and residents want. Um, but there's, you're never going to find a solution that makes everybody happy in this. There's going to be winners and losers no matter what public policy we choose. Um, I think that what we've seen down there are strollers. I've gone, down more, I've gone downtown more now uh, than I used to um, prior to going downtown a lot more when I was younger. Um, and so I think, that, uh, I think that keeping that second block closed, I think some of the folks that were talking about first and third block, I think that that's a future conversation as well. But there's... Downtown has evolved over the last 100 years, and it's changed from having City Hall uh, on Main Street. Um, Pacific City Hall was there, um, and now it's, I believe it's an ice cream store. Uh, and so I think that looking to the future of what retail looks like, what service industry looks like, um, what outdoor dining looks like, 330 days of sunshine, um, I think that there's some really cool flex ideas in there, but we've paused that Studio 111 project at this point. So, and now we're looking at ripping everything out. So I don't see a path forward as part of this item to get back to changing Main Street. What I see is moving it back to status quo ante and then with no forward plan. So I think it doesn't give business the consistency that it wants um, because business thrives on consistency. We've now, I think, changed this multiple times. We've gone back and forth. We opened the first and third blocks and now we're going to open the whole thing. Um, but I think we could come back with some basic standards, what ABC is going to want, what, uh, um, what the Coastal Commission is going to want, um, and start working on that now. Because it's going to take Coastal a while to come back, yeah. right? It's going to take yeah. a while to amend the downtown specific plan. But I think ripping everything out is, I, I think that we're going to have a lot of angry residents wondering it, it, what happened. If so, I might, um, I think this is just a reasonable proposal because all we're doing is taking us back to pre-COVID. Uh, that's all we're doing, taking it back to pre-COVID. While we look at those long-term goals right. and our long-term plans, all, we're, all this proposal does is say COVID's over, we're going back to pre-COVID, and that's exactly what this is, while we study what we want to do. We might want to shut down everything from 6th Street down to the pier. We don't know. Sure. But while we're studying our long-term plan, we're going back opening it up uh, because I have walked uh, Main Street and overwhelmingly the business owners overwhelmingly have told me uh, this is not good for us and so I think this is a reasonable proposal while we can look uh, councilman uh, you're mentioning a lot of the long-term right. issues and we can huddle about what those goals are but this is a very in my opinion this is yeah. a very reasonable proposal just to take us back to pre-covid time i think we, i mean i think we agree on half of it right i think that the longer term look is great i think this i just don't i don't think the short-term solution is to take it all out i think the short-term solution is to make it better in the short term and we can do that without hiring a bunch of consultants i think we can we can work with staff to try to figure that out. And we've had conversations about that and i but again i think it kind of got lost in the larger picture of it but I, we can i mean we can agree to disagree on that I would uh, agree with much of, uh, sure, thank you, um, uh, with much of or most of what uh, Councilmember Kalmuk already said. I do have a question for uh, Ms. Luna Reynosa. Um, it was mentioned about ABC and Coastal, um, you know, changing things later this year. Can you tell us when that's actually going to be happening? Yes, I'm pulling up an email from staff. I asked for this to be researched um, earlier today. Uh, <clears throat> 
I was initially under the impression that it was at the end of this calendar year, but it's actually within a, I think it's 365 days after the governor's state of emergency ends. So that puts us at February 23rd, 2024, because I think Governor Newsom has mentioned that the state of emergency will end on February 28th, 2023. So related to ABC, there's a little bit more time. That's, however, on the Coastal Commission side, I thought that they were corresponding with the ABC, and actually they have already issued um, correspondence to a couple of different cities. So to Monterey, that pier area, Fisherman's Wharf, they have granted a one-year extension in December for them to wind that down. So that's where the one year from that December came to about the end of this calendar year. And then they took action at their December meeting requiring the city of San Diego businesses to replace any lost parking that has resulted from outdoor dining expansions. Um, so no more relaxed parking regulations, and that took effect, it appears, kind of immediately, so not even at the end of this calendar year. Okay, thank you very much. That's, that's very helpful. And I didn't know about those things until earlier today as well. Um, but I did get a chance to meet with um, an, many business owners, uh, restaurant owners, property owners downtown. Um, I've also talked with many, many community members, and um, all have... All that I spoke to have supported keeping the second block, which is actually interesting. Some say closed, some say open. And by that, I mean they mean the same thing because some of it's open to people walking and some of it's closed to traffic. So that's kind of interesting, the different um, language with that. Um, I know that there are some business owners also who do not want it to be that way and do want it to revert back. Um, one of those was Jim Hall, and we've spoken many times about this. Um, you know, he had commented that it was arbitrary um, that you know third block didn't get the same benefit that second block did. And I, I've actually always appreciated that because it is challenging when one business gets something and the other does not receive. That being said, the decisions were made before second block had remained closed. Um, you know, there were particular items that were mentioned earlier by both public commenters and um, within the report. With the public commenters earlier, there were some saying that it was dirty, ugly, scary, and dark. And I have to say, um, I've seen the opposite. I, when I've been down there, it's been much more um, welcoming to families. I've seen a lot of neighbors interacting. Miss um, Orr that spoke earlier, she talked about that, um, that specifically um, it was, you know, it felt safer, um, more pro-community. I've talked to a lot of the police department who've also said the same thing that they felt like, and the homeowners, where noise has gone down. They feel like crime has gone down. Do I have the data to support that? I don't. It's really just the qualitative data of people um, talking to to me about that. I do feel, though, like Councilmember Kalmick mentioned, um, we don't need to necessarily stop everything right now. I appreciate that Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark extended it to March, I think giving people more time regardless of the outcome. Um, but what, what I would propose is that we perhaps would take a little bit more time. And, you know, it's going to be getting into um, the spring and the summer. And if, if ABC and Coastal are giving this more time, or maybe if we can get an extension to that for these people, um, it's not merely a rewinding back to pre-COVID Main Street. It's also a rewinding of people's jobs. Uh, this is essentially laying people off, potentially, who are working in those outdoor dining areas right now. Um, in the conversations that I had with many of the uh, business owners, restaurant owners, property owners that, were, that are down there, they acknowledge that, you know, I think it's a, 
they said, is it dirty? And you know, we've, I know that the bid has worked hard um, with Public Works also to try to figure out the, um, the cleanliness of the street itself. It's very difficult to keep pavement clean like that. They've worked on steam cleaning and such. There's definitely more opportunity. But I think a lot of, it, of the, um, the look of it has to do with the mismatched um, umbrellas and all of that. It's just a lot of different things going on. So if perhaps we could look at, in lieu of canceling everything, and I know that we're looking at a more long-term approach as well, and I appreciate that, and I'm glad that I'm on that, that committee as well to look at that. But perhaps at this point, the, the, res or excuse me, the business owners down there were interested in investing in their properties. They were talking about ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to upgrade um, you know, the fencing, to upgrade the umbrellas, plants, things like that. You, know, you can look at Sandbar and say, that is really beautiful. It could look like that. So to maybe if we could perhaps look at talking to staff about um, creating some temporary design standards for that space. And in lieu of just stopping everything, um, you know, this is, we're coming up to the time of year. If we cleaned things up now, if we made it consistent, we could actually help all of Main Street because it would be cleaner. We do want it to look nice. Somebody talked about the Olympics and things like that. We don't want people to walk down the street and see Corona umbrellas and, you know, uh, faded Japanese lanterns. Those are not the things that we want them to see. We want them to see um, a beautiful, community-oriented, at least that's what I want, consistent, um, beautiful outdoor setting that's thriving. Um, and I think that we can do that um, in the short term by giving those business owners and working with them a um, perhaps a design palette, design standards. And by the way, the other thing that's important too is it is a good point to note that um, when we did talk about this in the longer term planning, that we do need to start charging for the space. Um, and so I think that's something too. It's not just this is just free, right? We are moving away from the original um, proposal with, with the COVID pandemic. And fortunately, we've come through this and there is this positive outcome, um, I see. And if we could make things look nicer, provide design standards, allow people to invest if they're willing, um, at least for the interim, realizing that it can maybe only be till the end of the year. I, I Personally, I think that that might be a great opportunity um, then looking forward um, at the longer term approach. Uh, Councilwoman Vandermark, you may close. So um, this is not a new issue, whether Main Street is open or Main Street is closed has been going on for a long time. So when COVID came in that they started proposing that it be closed, the people who want it open said, no, 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 we're not closing it because you're never going to open it again. So what, were the, what was the community told? They said, this is only temporary. So now we have the community saying, we were told, so they stopped fighting it. The people that wanted it open said, you know what, we want our businesses to thrive, we're not going to fight it. We want everyone to do well. Now we're at the point where we're no longer in a pandemic. Now we're at the point where the community says, okay, guys, it's time to open it up. You promised that you guys were not going to keep it closed. So now it's like you're going back on our word. It seems, it seems dishonest to tell the community, hey, this is only temporary, but now that we got where we want to go, we're not giving it up. When we campaigned, we campaigned on listening to the community and being honest and transparent. I'm not opposed to... Either closing it, opening it, having a hybrid program, whatever it takes. However, we need to be honest moving forward that that's exactly what the intention is. The intention was never to keep it closed permanently. But they're using COVID-19 is being used as an excuse to get there, take a shortcut there. 
So this might very well just be something that needs to be on the ballot. I have people that say 90% want it open. I have other people that say, no, we want it closed. But I don't think the seven of us should make the decision and keep it closed permanently when what the people were told was that this was temporary. That's not being truthful. And like I said, I'm not opposed. I want downtown to be beautiful, safe, prosperous. But we can't go and trick the community. It's like we're already there. Um, Mr. Kalmick, you spoke about the parking meters, that it wasn't about generating revenue. And it, it, it was working. The meters were turning people over. However, I asked for a breakdown of how much revenue we were generating from those meters on Main Street pre-COVID versus this past year. 2017, we were generating $295,000. $295.54. 2018, we generated $292,033.20. In 2019, when the rates went up to $2, we generated $335,835.41. In 2022, the meters generated $151,577.45. So that's about about $156,000 of revenue we're not generating. We need to make an impact study. We need to look further. We can't just trick the community into saying, oh, yeah, we got here. Sorry, guys. Just kidding. Uh, That's it. Madam Clerk, it's been moved as amended by Vandermark, seconded by Strickland. Please call the roll. And I just want to clarify that you're saying that um, the compliance amendment, the of amendment the amendment is March 1st. March 1st. Okay. So, Councilmember Kalmick? No. Mosier? No. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. Okay, the item passes 4-3 with council members Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton voting no. Thank you. Now we're on, members, we're on item number 24, authored by Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem, please open. So the newly formed city council, we need to actually get up to speed with the fiscal health of the city, which includes gaining a clear understanding of the city's staffing levels, their associated costs, and the financial impacts. To that end, the city should implement a managed hiring program for the currently vacant positions until the city council gets a comprehensive education on what staffing is necessary. There is a sincere concern about the financial help of the city after the past couple of years of high spending by the previous city council. The current deepening recession for the last couple of years of high spending by the previous council, the current deepening recession of recent CalPERS returning on investment and related unfunded accrued liability and worsening economic conditions. And as the budget is being prepared for the upcoming fiscal year, the newly formed city council should be afforded this opportunity to make an informed decision about staffing and the impacts to the budget prior to adopting the 23-24 budget for council in June. I'd like to recommend that we direct the city manager to take the necessary measures to develop and implement a managed hiring process for city staff positions, vacancies that result in only necessary hiring for public safety, including police and fire departments, building inspection and code enforcement, legal services, city attorney's office, infrastructure maintenance and operation, essential support services, meeting charter and municipal code requirements, filing interim permanent department head vacancies, et cetera. This managed hiring process is meant to be temporary and is designed to allow the city manager to prepare and present a report for city council at his, 
at its regular meeting on February 21st, 2023, about the state of the city's budget and financial health, as well as the staffing levels and vacancies, the cost of filing vacancies, and any other aspect of citywide reorganization or planned increase in fiscal responsibility and economic efficiency. Now, I'd like to add that the action being put forward in no way will impact the existing um, workers. Also, um, the Teamsters did reach out. They want to discuss this, and um, I look forward to having a discussion with the associations. Second. Okay. It's been moved by uh, Vandermark, uh, seconded by McKeon. Uh, Councilman Kalmick. Thank you. So um, I had some conversations with, um, uh, with our shop steward uh, about some of this. So based on what the the vacancies we're going to manage, which I'm unclear what that kind of means, but I don't know what we're not because public safety is 60, 70% of our HR budget, building inspection, code enforcement, legal services. I don't know if that's outside legal services as well or as just the city attorney's office. Infrastructure maintenance operations, essential support services, meeting charter, filling interim permanent department. That's everybody. So I don't know... What positions are we trying to hold open here? Because what I saw on the list was some enterprise accounts, which is the water district, which they pay for themselves. IT, which keeps police, supports police and fire since we're a full service city. Um, I, this, is what we, this is what the city normally does, is the city manager doesn't hire superfluous folks. Um, we've got 30 police officers, obviously we're trying to, or 27 police officers we're trying to fill. We've got one person doing payroll at this point, so if they quit, we've got 1,500 people that don't get paid. Um, all of this is how the city operates, and as we go into the budget, which will be coming up here in the next couple of months, this is when we get all those visions. But currently, we have a $17 million surplus with every single position budgeted. So to go into a, what's effectively a hiring freeze um, it doesn't make any sense. And the fact that we're, you're saying effectively is that that you're not clear as to how we hire or how the how our budget works is what coming on council is about. You've got to get up to speed as fast as possible, but to say we're not going to fill positions that are integral to the services in the city. I saw the open list. I mean, there's maintenance workers. There's the guys that keep the trucks working, um, the radios working, a lot of public works folks, um, and that's those are very important positions, and they're all budgeted. And we have a $17 million surplus this year. So as we go into the budget, and I have no problem getting a report from the city manager if he's got capacity at this point. We got about 15 reports coming from you. Um, that's fine, but to put any type of hiring freeze on for positions that we cannot fill um, currently because we're competing with other cities, um, I don't even know if, I don't think any other cities, even Westminster, who's on the brink of bankruptcy, has a hiring freeze at this point. So um, we're going into budget in what, two, three months? And so, I mean, that's, I, I don't think that there's even a need for this item. I'm happy to have the report come back, but um, I, I just, I don't see it. Thank you. You just carved out, I mean, or mentioned all the items that are already carved out, infrastructure, maintenance, operation, essential support services. I mean, I think a lot of it is just going to be, Who's you know, left? The administration, right? Like under the, under the department heads, like those hundred positions that were uh, put forward that have not been filled. So, but that's excluded. It says filling interim and no. Department I, I'm heads. saying under underneath that level, underneath the department heads, there's a lot of positions. So who, who? No. Who? There's the, all the deputies are full. So, I mean, I I just don't know like who we're skipping out on. I mean, is there like three people that and then? Well, again, on? I could like uh, 
Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark said, this is just temporary. It's just freeze the hiring, except for these critical positions. Let the city manager come back with a budget. Um, again, we're trying to be good stewards of our finances. We're going under into hard economic times. But the We've G got expenses coming. So I don't understand what the big deal is if, if we're not. I, I just look at, we, have a, we are the board of directors with 1,500 employees, sure. and this scares the crap out of them. Right? When you're saying that I'm working super hard, I've been trying to hire four people under me, and now you're saying well, we not, it's unclear as to if I'm going to be able to hire the, the support staff I need to do my job, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm going to be overworked. I've been working overtime trying to get this stuff done. So I don't know. I just think that this yeah. is that, that we've got to be cognizant that we do run an organization with employees. And I don't know. I think that you know, signing the front of the checks on this stuff is, is I, I think, way different than signing the back. I just think it's being prudent and being a good steward of our finances. We're just asking for an analysis of the budget and these positions that are, have not been filled. How critical are they? These ones that we just carved out are critical to the operations of the city. What are those positions that aren't critical, that are still open, that are not, that are vacant? And let's put a freeze on those. Let's look at the budget, see if they're necessary, and be, like I said, a good steward of our finances. That's, that's all this does, and it's temporary. Councilwoman Bolton. Thank you, Mayor. So I just want to point out that we are sending mixed signals to the residents of Huntington Beach. So on the one hand, we're saying, wow, you know, we're worried about bad economic times and recession. Um, and so, you know, our concerns are such that we need to institute a hiring freeze, uh, which is a pretty serious thing because I'm not aware of any other municipality either. Uh, certainly not in Orange County and not even Westminster, that's um, you know, instituting a hiring freeze right now. Everybody's scrambling trying to find staff because there's a shortage of folks. So on the one hand, we talk about that, but then on the other hand, we gave $100,000 a year raise to a, an elected, a senior person without a compensation study. And so which is it? Are we flush or are these hard times? So just and, pointing that out. As someone who um, has been uh, a Howard Jarvis taxpayer's fighting champion in the past and known for fiscal responsibility, everybody keeps bringing up the city attorney's salary, but I will just mention city attorney was punished. He was the only city staffer that didn't get the normal calls that every other, every other employee got. And all we did was give him a cola that matched if the he got city, what everybody else right, got. Right, but you're talking about civil servants. The city attorney, just like the treasurer and the clerk, they make their requests to the um, council. Uh, they agendize it and make the requests in open session. And, it doesn't and, work like everybody and, else and, does. And it seemed like the And past, I don't have it, an issue with a COLA. I have an issue with not doing a compensation study like we do it, for everybody and, and, else. And, and, and quite frankly, I have an issue when one person's you know, uh, pointed out uh, because he's not on the right side of the majority of the political side. And all we did was remedy that. Um, but anyways, and uh, Mayor, you know, I, I, if I may, no, please. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I certainly appreciate you coming to my defense because this criticism, I think, is um, completely, completely uncalled for. And, and part of it is I take exception to the fact that um, council members especially are saying that there wasn't a comp study for the city attorney's salary. Yet you know it was at your direction that the city attorney comp was not studied when the council voted to do a comprehensive class and comp study of the 1,500 employees you just mentioned, every single one of them, except the city attorney. So you had this opportunity to do a class and comp study. You commissioned one, you spent a ton of money doing it, 
and yet you carved out the city attorney's salary. Moreover, my increase was a far less than you spent on Richards, Watson, Gershon the previous year. I'm sorry, this is not agendized for a comment oh, tonight. Well, it was part of the debate. Let's move it back to Germanus. Let's move it back to Germanus on the item before us. Uh, Councilwoman, do you still have the floor? Or do you still want the floor? Sending mixed signals to the public. That's it. Okay, this measure's been moved. It's been seconded. I had a comment. Oh. Councilwoman. Thank you. Um, you were saying that it was um, prudent to do this. Um, I think it is prudent to, as a new council, to get up to speed on the budgets and how things are working um, because you will be the ones making the decisions. Um, you know, as Councilmember Kalmick mentioned, those decisions are coming up on the next couple of months, are coming up very quickly. Um, so we'll, you'll have that opportunity very soon. Um, I did want to understand also, um, you know, since you mentioned all the things that were carved out, I don't know what's not carved out. Um, there have to be something there, or why are we even doing this item? Um, but managed hiring does sound like and make people feel like it's a hiring freeze. And there are repercussions to that. And the repercussions are that staff is going to get nervous and, and also that the community and the residents are going to wonder, are we okay? And I don't think that our finances indicate that we're not. Now, that being said, there are certainly things on the horizon that we need to consider. And I think that's what our upcoming budget we will need to be able to do. But to, there are repercussions with doing this. You know, this, uh, I definitely want to report. Nothing wrong with getting more information. Um, but to actually move forward with this managed hiring slash hiring freeze on whomever it affects, I don't think it sends the right message. I don't think it has the impact other than, um, again, kind of telling the community that we're being fiscally prudent when you're doing that by preparing to go for the next budget. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, and, and Councilwoman, uh, with all due respect, you, you keep saying uh, you need to get up to speed. I've had 10 years of legislative experience, and, and um, I am up to speed on the budget issues. And just so you know, like, uh, I, I do have experience in doing budgets. Certainly, yeah. and I don't actually, and let me, let me okay. clarify, I, I just want to make sure that that's clear, because it sure. seems like you talked down saying you new members need to get up to speed. I'm so no, experienced. No, no, the item says that. Okay. Well, I'm just repeating I just what it says. I want to make sure there's clarification there. So, and I, I totally appreciate all of, your, all of your past experience, but the item itself indicates that the council needs to get up to speed, and that's all I'm saying. I wasn't trying to okay. talk down to you. All right. Councilmember uh, Kalmick? No. Mosier? No. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. Item passes 4-3, council members Cal McMosier and Bolton, no. Okay, members, we're on item number 25. Council member McKeon, would you like to uh, uh, introduce your item? Yeah, uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, in 2011, the uh, previous council uh, removed some of the treasurer's uh, responsibilities out as laid out in our charter. So in allegiance and fealty to the, the charter, I would just like to bring her uh, that role back to uh, what the charter defines. Pretty straightforward. All right, it's been moved by McKeon, second by Burns. Any, please, Councilman. Sorry, I, I don't quite understand this item. Um, sure. On charter review, so um, Treasurer brought, I have an email from the Treasurer basically saying like, hey, we should take this out of the charter, uh, or at least a section out of the charter. I'm not quite clear even what roles we're 
giving back. It goes back to the charter. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, we're, it's, we're, I'm sorry. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I, I don't see because the, the ordinance wasn't attached. So sure. I don't know what the delta is between the ordinance and it's and the charter. Let's sure. Go. I mean, we haven't dropped the ordinance yet, right? Well, no. The, yeah. I think I think what he's referring to is the ordinance that's referenced in the item, Huntington Beach Municipal Codes, uh, Section two point one five point zero three zero. I think that's what yeah. No, the ordinance is thirty nine oh seven. Like I don't. Uh, what's the delta? But my my understanding yeah. and again, it's not my item. But my right. understanding is the treasurer had uh, specific powers. Sure. And then when we hired the COO, those powers, some of those powers went to the COO. CFO. 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 COO. Yeah. We don't no, CFO. 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 Sorry. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. CFO. And then now that our most recent CFO has left, yeah. it's just going back to our original charter about where the position, so, the uh, duties and responsibilities go back to the elected treasurer. Sure. So I, but I went back and I talked to a council member who was on the council when they did this. They did this as a cost-cutting measure. It saved like $100,000 a year, and the, the treasurer went to a part-time position. So I don't know if what the cost is. I actually have a question for the treasurer. Um, you sent that email asking to have that uh, removed. Um, was there a reason that you didn't bring this item forward specifically? Oh, I've brought this item to the attention of every city manager since uh, 2016 and didn't feel that I had support or cooperation. Uh, so uh, with the new city manager we have now, we have discussed this item and uh, along with the city attorney agreed that uh, if you review Section 311 of the city charter, those same responsibilities have never been changed. Sure. So I mean, all we're doing is going, are, are we're saying that the ordinance number 3907 was actually in opposition to the charter and was incorrect. So what he's saying is we're going to correct that by either deleting or removing that ordinance. So there's no change to the charter. What we're trying to do, yeah, I believe, is, is to continue the will of the people based on the city charter itself. That's right. all and, it is. Okay, I don't disagree that like we can't have an ordinance that trumps the charter. Um, and we'll come, the staff will come back with, you can't have an ordinance that is in conflict with the charter, right? Like your the charter is supreme. You you cannot have an ordinance, right. um, and I think we came to the conclusion seven years ago yeah, that yeah. the ordinance is basically it really is basically void because it is in conflict with the charter. Sure. So then I guess when this comes back, right, it'll be you're not going to repeal all of thirty nine oh seven, right? Because there's some things that were moved over. Um, no. No. What? No, that is incorrect. What you just stated. All we're going to do is review what is in the city charter itself and those are the items that stand so anything in ordinance 3907 which is in conflict with the charter which are all of the charter duties primarily are all void okay but Bring up those items so if there's sections of 3907 that aren't the treasurer aren't. there really aren't or there aren't there are not okay um, so I, I'm assuming there are no substantial items in Ordinance 3907 that would agree with the charter. Okay. Therefore, the ordinance would be deleted or repealed. Okay. Repealed. All right. So I'm assuming that will come back as a staff item, and then uh, city manager as part of this. I, we're gonna, that's going to be a sub, pretty substantial change in job role, I'm guessing. Um, so I don't know what, and I'd like to know what the cost of of that is, because I think that some of them. Um, could be 
the city treasurer could s sign off and delegate some of those tasks to the CFO if, if need be to keep operational if there wasn't save money to be able to do that, right? Right, we're gonna be working together and okay. I know that um, the city treasurer and the interim CFO have been working together to figure out the coordination right. of that transfer back to the city treasurer. So we'll put in the, in the report how the reorganization will occur and the related financial sure. dimensions of okay. it. Okay, yeah, it seems, I mean, again, like it's, if it's illegal, it's illegal, and, right? And, and we'll also, I think, have to meet and confer Oops, I'm sorry. We'll also have to meet and confer with our bargaining partners to communicate this with them and uh, understand what, if any, concerns they may have. Okay, thank you. So. Okay, just um, a point of clarification. So what specific duties are we talking about? Because I don't, I don't think I've heard um, anyone, so this is just for the public so that they understand. Go ahead, City I, Treasurer. If, if I Go can ahead. answer Please. that, if you, uh, let me just get my uh, charter out, Section 311, Powers and Duties, I'll summarize for you. The City Treasurer shall have the power and shall be required to receive on behalf of City all taxes, assessments, license fees, and other revenues, have and keep custody of all public funds, pay out monies on proper orders. That would be the summary. So it's, it's those specific ones. Correct. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, Madam Clerk, it's been moved, it's been seconded. It's been moved uh, by McKeon, seconded McKeon by Burns. Burns. Mm -hmm. And please call the roll. All right, Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosier. Aye. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Aye. Bolton. Yes. Burns. Aye. Item passes 7-0. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, members, we're now on item number 26, authored by Councilmember McKeon. Um, Councilmember, please open with your item. Yeah, this is just a request to update the development objective standards for development within the city. Um, a lot of standards are subjective. So um, we, this motion is to move to update the municipal code, including zoning, building, and fire codes, fire codes to reflect improved objective standards for development. Um, and essentially for the community, there, you know, there's a lot of subjective standards that are used with projects. Um, you know, as an example, uh, you know, fire trucks, if they need, you know, the fire lanes too, too narrow on a certain project, they've talked about using a neighbor's property to extend their ladder over the wall, et cetera. So, you know, I feel that every project should stand on its own. Should, we should have objective standards to meet that. And so what this does is, um, you know, request that we have an update to that municipal code to make these, to remove these subjective standards, to make them more objective so that we can ensure that we protect our health and safety on all our projects going forward. I'll, I'll second that motion. Uh, no, Council Member Kalmick. So uh, a couple of things that flagged on this, right? So having done quite a few of these projects on Planning Commission and um, knowing our zoning code back and forth, this is a pretty substantial undertaking if we're going to hire a consultant to go through and update our municipal code. I understand that you know we did this for SB9. Actually, I brought an item on 1018 that addressed SB6 and AB2011, which are two other bills to add objective standards for. Um, some of the statements you made, though, in your preamble to the item, uh, I don't know I don't know where they're coming from, and so I, I just kind of, I wanted to add some questions on. So, um, I, I mean, arguably that the city's been um, planned, uh, carefully planned, I think is 
I don't know. That's that's subjective, but it's not. It's, I don't know if the uh, if you'd say building homes next to the uh, Ascon site and uh, and a power plant is is good planning, but it is what we have in in the city. Um, so um, the fire and traffic code experts that retained the city to defend another housing project. I don't believe they said that the Elon project wouldn't have been recommended or supported. I believe it's that project at Beach and Ellis that wouldn't have been supported. Um, and my understanding is that the, um, the alternative means and methods for that, they actually got easements on their other property. And don't get me wrong, like, right. I agree that you should have your project stand on its own two feet. Right. Like, you shouldn't have to go and get other. An easement, I think, is a hedge on that, because then now you, tech, you basically own that section of property if it needs to be. But yeah, if you've got to throw ladders, you should throw ladders on your own property. Right. And we, had, we went through a lawsuit with that project, because originally I voted against it on planning commission. Um, so, um, again, like I think reviewing these is, is pretty large. I think we're, and I'm asking uh, staff here, um, adding, removing alternative means and methods and specifically targeting multifamily housing um, seems to be a barrier to building housing uh, in this city. Is, are we going to run into potentially an issue with HCD on that? I, I can't get into HCD's head um, to understand how exactly they would look at that. I'm a little concerned about eliminating alternative means and methods because it's part of the California Building Code. And if we don't adopt the California Building Code, it automatically goes into effect for every single jurisdiction in the state. We are allowed to make local amendments to the California Building Code for special circumstances within town. Um, but the alternative means and methods is not a special circumstance, it's not a local amendment. So just, I'm not even sure if we are legally able to just get rid of alternative means and methods. I, I don't think we can amend that part of the state building code, but I would defer to the city attorney's office on that. Your other question about whether HCD would view that issue as um, problematic from housing production, it's a good question. I, I, I don't know the answer. Okay. Um, because I think also, like, looking at multifamily, I mean, that could be townhomes, for instance, right? That we've had a couple where getting a hose pole 150 feet in is going to be a little tough, so they put standpipes in, right? And that's an alternative means and method. I think we just codified quite a few updates that we wouldn't have to go through some of these alternative means in, I think, October of last year. Um, so I get very nervous when we, again, take a, a sledgehammer when, I think, going through and... Um, taking issue with a specific code that you have, like, hey, let's eliminate that ability to use other people's property for your fire. Like, let's, let's address the specific issues and not remove alternative means and methods. Because I've used, I mean, I've seen it come through on quite a few good projects um, where, you know, it's, it's not 10 pounds of oranges in a two-pound sack. It's a good project. It just happens to be situated in a weird spot where you can't get a fire engine in the backside. So um, you put standpipes in. You oversprinkle the system. And in some, and talking with fire, and actually, I think the only person that has fire service experience up here, you end up with a safer project because you've overbuilt it based on the state code. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, sure, let's, objective standards are great in our code, but I again, I want to, I'd want to see what that consultants going to sure. charge us. Well, that's, I was just going to say, like, you know, HIMs are ideas that we put forward and then they come back to us with more, you know, fine details to your points. So we're not using a, a sledgehammer. That's just all this is. The consultant would come back with recommended, recommended objective standards that may include removing alternative means and methods or tweaking it or some, some of that capacity. That's all this HIM essentially does is, is to move that forward for the consultant then to come back. And within the, can I say, within the legal ability of um, 
our codes. Right, exactly. I mean, the, the, a lot of codes are subjective. They need to be objective, and each project needs to stand on their own. So are we going to come back with a contract for this consultant, or are we approving? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're gonna, I would imagine they're going to come back with, with a contract. We're not just going to vote to hire a consultant, but for direct the city manager to retain, you know, the city manager, Al, re retain, re require a consultant or come back with a couple options. I mean, whatever is the most prudent financially. You yeah, know. based on the council's direction, we as staff, you've identified the departments and others that will work together, figure out the path forward, and um, go through the process to select a consultant and bring it back for your approval. Sounds good. Thank you. And I'm assuming I can piggyback on the work that staff's already doing with SB6 and AB 2011. Absolutely. Right, cool. yeah, great. Yeah, we don't want to want to reinvent the wheel. And obviously, if there's you know consultants we've already used in the past on previous work, then absolutely. Madam Clerk, it's been moved. It's been seconded. Please call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosher. Aye. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Aye. Bolton. Yes. Burns. Aye. Passes 7-0. Thank you. Uh, members, we're now on item number 27, introduced by Councilmember Burns. Uh, Councilmember, please open your item. All right. Historically, the city's owned some wells. The, they have produced some revenue, unknown to myself exactly how much. I haven't been able to get figures from that from anybody. For some reason, city leadership decided to abandon those a couple year, years ago for possibly... Uh, I don't know why, Jesus, but foregoing some income. And really all this is doing and asking for pretty much a feasibility study from the fire department on what it would cost to get them going and operational. If, we, if it's in our better interest to get rid of them, if it's in our better interest to operate them ourselves or rent them out, just because I believe we, sh I believe we should keep uh, at least the option open and keep a foothold on uh, fossil fuels and stuff because I don't, I mean, wind is killing wells on the East Coast. Wind is killing uh, tons of birds in the desert. Uh, solar's difficult to get rid of, dispose of. The other things are just, I, I just don't agree that we're, we have the technology. So just out of a matter of spirit, I think we should just do a feasibility study and keep it here. Uh, and look into keeping getting those things operational again if it works out. And I've already talked to the uh, fire, and he, what did we say, uh, 60 days or something? Yes, sir. Probably yeah. earlier than that he would be able to get I, it. I will second that item for all different reasons. <laughs> okay. It's been moved and seconded. Uh, any other comments? Clerk, call the roll. Council Member Kalmick? Aye. Mosher? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? Yes. Burns? Aye. Passes 7-0. Thank you. Uh, members, we're now on item number 28, submitted by Councilmember Burns. Councilmember, please open your item. Uh, the Finance Commission a while ago was uh, restricted in looking into certain No, no. Um, Councilmember, you're on 28. That's 29. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, I 28 is the appointments of boards oh, and commissions. I had it in the wrong order in my notes. Um, all right, boards and commissions, they're designed to have seven members, the ones that are appointed by us on council, period. I mean, uh, we make appointments so they function 
in a reasonable way. Some of these boards, I don't, I'm not even sure how many, but have been combined, and there are more than that. And this just put reduces, assures that we are reduced to the number seven, and that's all there is to it. We have, if uh, I believe Councilman Kalmick has somebody on, I think it's public works, two people, and with that, it could be eight, eight, and we get nothing done if they go four, four, or four, four, I'm sorry. And, um, but reduce it, period, and just so we're limit to seven, and each person has one uh, appointment on there. I'll second that item. Uh, any discussion? I, uh, just the reason that that happens is we consolidated boards yeah. and commissions, um, and we didn't want to let people go. And these are advisory boards, they don't make policy. And so there was no consideration. We've already atrophied, I think, quite a few members. Like, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll let my It's for efficiency. Go, That's my main purpose. Yeah, we were just, we kept them on there for community, yeah. like, just for being members of the community. Yeah, and we did on the commission library, uh, library and Yeah, community services. Service. We just let and the folks continue serving until they were termed out. Did you, how many split votes did you guys have? Yeah, I don't know. Well, none. Well, let's not go into that because there's one on there that. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> let's not go. So, so uh, this is an item introduced by uh, Councilmember Burns, seconded by Tony Strickland. Uh, let's call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick? No. Mosier? No. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. The item passes 4 3. Councilmembers Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton voting no. Thank you. Uh, members, we're now on item number 29, uh, submitted by Councilmember Burns. Councilmember, please open your, your uh, item. Okay. A while ago, the Finance Commission had quite a bit of uh, freedom to look into the finances of the city, but then were restricted and were told that they can't look into whatever they choose and they were uh, told that they need to get city council approval to look into areas that uh, they felt necessary to properly do their job. And what I'm recommending is that direct the city manager to immediately f facilitate monthly finance commission meetings and direct city manager to accommodate and facilitate the finance commission to undertake whatever reviews the finance commission and its citizen driven oversight wisdom deems necessary without any limitation from the city council or any other city leader. In other words, the Finance Commission is hereby unlimited discretion to what is reviewed, analyzed, and considered by the Financial Commission within the financial realm of their authority. I'll second that motion. Patrice, I'd like to do a quick amendment. I'd like for them to come back to council chambers to have their meetings. Oh. For Finance Commission. I wasn't sure where they did them. Yep. All right. I, I was on the Finance Commission, never did it here. Okay. <laughs> but then, whatever. Okay. Um, I'll second that amendment. Move, move it. Okay. Councilwoman. Thank you, Mayor. So um, if the Finance Commission has the ability to just do whatever it wants within the realm of finance, to me that puts them in a policy-making role and per the charter, only the council is in a policy-making role. So I'm not sure, again, if they were doing it before, the same, I would say the same thing. I'm not sure that that was consistent with the charter. I also don't think that it's a good governance practice. 
I don't know what the qualifications are uh, for the folks on the finance committee, but I know there is not, um, it's not mandatory for them to be CPAs or anything like that. I think it just says there's a preference for folks uh, who have finance experience. If we don't know what it is that they are going to do, there's nothing to prevent them from doing something like, you know, an audit. And the question oh, then sorry. becomes an audit. Oh. Yeah. The question then becomes, we have independent audits that are done by uh, professionals per the charter that requires that every year. Those have to be people who have no interest in city government, the finances, or anything like that. If we have somebody else, so the Finance Commission come along and they do an audit, and then we have our audit by the independent folks, I'm concerned that the people who do bond ratings are going to look at that and say, what are we supposed to, you know, if they're in conflict, which one are we supposed to rely on? What are we supposed to believe? And I'm concerned that it could impact the uh, city's bond rating. I think this is the reason why the boards and commissions in finance specifically is not supposed to be in a policy-making role. It can really, um, you know, create issues, and we don't want those kind of issues when it comes to the city's finances. So that's it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I was on the finance commission when this actually happened, when they, you know, pushed us to, like, quarterly, and then we had to run what we were going to talk about through the city council, and that just... They got rid of a lot of good ideas and, you know, you know whether we should, you know, capital lease our, you know, vehicles instead of purchase them, et cetera. So it just really took out the, I think, a good role that the Finance Commission does. I, I don't think they could actually kick off an audit. I mean, wouldn't an audit cost money? I don't think they have authority to pass, a, like, something that would cost money, right? Um, that generally is correct, right? If, if yeah. the Finance Commission wanted to undertake an audit, staff would bring back to this body... Um, that request. And if I may real yeah. quick, uh, just a couple thoughts. One is um, the, the we're preparing to come back to council. The um, I think it was in November of last year, we um, got council approval to bring back departmental um, financial and performance audits. And so um, through the council, the council can help define what those audits include, you know, things that are on your minds about each of our departments and the department heads will as well. And we can also bring some of those results back to the Finance Commission at your direction if, if that would be helpful for them to, to um, provide, provide feedback. Right. The other thing I would just ask is, depending on the scope of the, uh, the work plan of the Finance Commission, uh, given um, how skeletal our finance department is as well, uh, we may have to have a conversation about the staffing demands to do the work um, and the inquiry uh, to follow up with the Finance Commission sure. being wide open. Right. So. Okay. Councilwoman. Yes. Um, could any one finance commissioner bring an item forward and then ask staff to proceed in reviewing that or would it require the whole commission or majority they're, st they're still operating in as an advisory body they have to pass what they do as an advisory body and under uh, robert's rules of order they gotta vote and carry on their mission as a team 
Okay. And then as far as I think what um, city manager was referring to is I was curious if there was a limit on staff time, especially given um, the challenges with staffing and finance. Um, and also we can't even assign staff work, right? Only the city, we can provide that to the city manager who would then do that. So I'm just curious how that's going to work. Again, just really to kind of protect staff time. Um, I'm sure that if they're doing great work, that's wonderful, but they have a lot of other work to do too. Um, so I'm just curious kind of how that would, would work. I suppose we'll find out. <laughs> Perfect. And then I guess one final thing there too. Um, I just, again, I, we talked about the code of ethics earlier, um, and I just would hope that um, any time, I, I guess, that we have a... Um, an entity that is not just purely um, researching and advising, it could get into um, this um, maybe a more aggressive fact-finding, which is fine as long as it's doing it the right way. I just really hope that um, our entire finance commission is respectful and treats the staff well and respectfully. Um, yeah. By the way, that goes for anybody who... I mean, that, that's a non... Yeah, that, that goes for anybody that deals with the city. It should be. I agree. So firmly. Not not just the commissioners, everybody. Thank you. There. Thank you for saying that. Definitely. Mayor. Um, Mayor. Just one. Go ahead, so, Councilman. Um, I would like to remind you this is the last thing on. The I know I'm going to get out of here too. I got to I got sick kids at home. Um, okay, so as the city manager said, um, and as Councilmember Bolton said, the city has an annual audit done by professionals. Um, and all of our accounting practices win awards annually. Our, our, our finances are in, are in great shape. Um, the Finance Commission uh, doesn't have any base requirements, I think, as uh, Councilmember Bolton said, um, and it leans towards political appointments, which therefore is patronage, right? Like, it presumes that these folks have accounting backgrounds, and they don't. Um, or if they do, they have personal finance backgrounds, not large government entities. Um, I know some of our finance commissioners do, and that's wonderful, but we changed the finance commission because it was asking for audits of departments requiring massive staff time. Uh, there was one, they were auditing the IT department, and we had some guy, uh, one of our staff members had to come in, he had a baby the day before, but since they were looking at potentially outsourcing the IT department, which was not council policy in any stretch, um, because one of the commissioners had his buddy said, we can outsource the IT department, I can do it cheaper. So they're directing um, staff to go and do this massive lift um, which wasn't based on council policy. And that's why we pulled it back in to say, look, like you serve at the pleasure of council policy. We'll give you the policy. Please go analyze this. And we've done that over the last year. We've given them uh, things to analyze and put on the agenda. But if the staff, if the individual members of the finance commission can bring an item forward and put it on the agenda, what's, I need, there's no guardrails on what that item can be. Um, and the reason we went to quarterly was because it was to review the budget and go over the policies. And the budget is the most important policy document we set. Um, this, as I said, this item will require an enormous amount of staff time. Uh, and with the hiring freeze now in place, I don't know um, what type of staff support for a body with a seemingly very low The hiring oversight. freeze that doesn't affect anybody? That one? Yeah, that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're going to... You're you know, talking both ways, too. I am. That's <laughs> okay. what you have to do. Um, so, uh, and you're going to have... The issue that I have when you, you, you put something in here that's a very big concern in here. You've got people evaluating the honesty and um, integrity of our, of our finances. Um, to put that in an item is very dangerous, especially to folks that are looking at Huntington Beach as a corporate entity. Um, it calls into question the fact, why would we even need to have 
uh, Finance Commission review the honesty of our books. It implies that there's something else going on here. Um, and then I don't quite understand what community involvement of the financial city's financial obligations are. Um, it's just very dangerous, and I would, in the future, hope that we think a little bit clearly as to who we are on this board and that the public is, is seeing these, in addition to folks that want to do business in our city, and calling into account the honesty and integrity of, uh, of the finances of the city is, is dangerous. Um, I think this is too vague. It's dangerously overly political. Uh, there's no chance for expertise, or there's no reason for expertise on this board, and we already have two separate outside audits with non-political entities. Um, additionally, this item is recommending that the city manager update the Huntington Beach Municipal Code, which the city manager can't, so a would friendly amendment would be to direct staff to come back with, um, with an amendment unless we want to take a two-thirds vote uh, on an emergency ordinance, but I doubt that that's the case. So I just, again, it's a technical piece, but Councilmember Peterson used to call me on that, so that's all I have. Thank you. Well, it could be what if all day long, all night long, and it's to empower this the crew that we picked, who have hopefully financial knowledge to do the city and serve the city right. And I'm not. I'm just like I said during the election. I brought some figures up that showed us that we were 29 last year in the red and 41 this year in the red. I keep hearing you say we're in great shape, but I'm just fund transfers. Oh. Councilmember Burns, and they explained it at the following meeting. Yeah, and yeah. you have an accounting degree, like yes, I do. And uh, I called to question some of the information. Okay, and that's why we just got to get our advisory crew dialed in and empower them to do what they're supposed to do. The the measure's been moved and seconded. Clerk, please call the roll. All right, just to be clear, so you're saying, um, what about the correction to the city manager updating the municipal code? Would you like to revise that recommended action? I mean, it's again, it's an HM's an idea, right? It's just direction and they come back. It's not, mm -hmm. doesn't need to be that specific that it's the city okay. manager. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. So it's fine as it is. All right, so I'll start the roll call. Councilmember Kalmick? No. Mosher? No. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Aye. Bolton? No. Burns? Aye. All right, the motion passes 4-3. Council members Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton voting no. I'd Thank like you, members. Now that, now that and I, the and it, Mayor, if I may, I think I understand the objection on the municipal code update now. Sorry, I didn't get it before. Um, I will work with the city manager to bring back a proposed modification of the ordinance. Completely missed that, didn't understand what you were saying. So there, that, for that clarification, we will do that. So members, we're done with all the agenda items. Do I hear a motion to adjourn? All motion. It's been moved and second. Uh, we stand adjourned. The next meeting uh, of the Huntington Beach City Council Public Finance Authority is gonna be Tuesday, February 7th, 2023.